everyone, and welcome to Between the Sheets, episode number 393. I'm your host, Chris Zellner, joined as always by my co-host, David Bixenspan. And Bix, a sad day today as we uh, record this show, as uh, Jerry Jarrett has passed away and uh, at the age of 80 years old. And, um, I mean, that wrestling would be so different without Jerry Jarrett. I mean, the Memphis Territory and what it would become influenced so much in wrestling history and started so many people in wrestling history that, you know, Jerry Jarrett doesn't get enough credit, in my mind, for the impact that he had personally on the wrestling business. So what are your thoughts on Jerry Jarrett real quick? I mean, I would kind of go with what Meltzer said uh, today, that his style of TV set the template for modern wrestling TV more than anyone else. Um, In terms of the structure and the pacing and all that, you know, you can say, you know, world-class added more competitive matches on TV and production values and the production values and the, you know, more segments away from the ring, less Thatcher with Southeastern brought in instant replay and originated the personality profile stuff. But in terms of the structure and how the show flows and the beats of the show and pacing and everything, it's Memphis. There is much more Memphis in the DNA of modern TV wrestling than there is any other promotion by far. And just look, I mean, Mid-South Wrestling doesn't become what they become in the mid-80s without Jerry Jarrett you know, getting in Bill Watts' ear and telling him where to blow jobs. You know, just that one sentence, you know, I mean, just changed a territory completely and put them on one of the greatest runs they ever had. And another thing that changed wrestling, you know, and Joel Watts had to be influenced by Memphis and their, and their videos. And so he gets in his videos, starts making videos as well. I mean, there's so much influence around wrestling that is from Jerry Jarrett and his style of wrestling. And, um, I was honored to get to do two podcasts with Jerry a few years ago, which I posted on my Twitter feed, uh, dated as of February 14th. If you want to go back and find them, with uh, when he Jerry had his podcast with Sean Reedy, and uh, yeah, very honored to get to uh, spend a couple hours on each show with with Jerry, and uh, yeah, it's um, a big loss, and just you know, you know, Lawler with all his health issues. And then Jared, I mean, man, uh, you know, Memphis wrestling, we're losing, you know, we're, we're losing our, our legends. And it's just sad to see as we grow older, which that's, you know, part of the circle of life. But, uh, man, uh, it's sad. And it's good that, you know, Jerry and Jeff of these last few years were able to uh, resolve their differences and uh, rebuild their relationship. So, um, there is that, but uh, yeah, Jared Jared, uh, gone at the age of 80. Rest in peace, Mr. Jared, absolutely. And we'll have a TNA discussion later on the show. So, uh, as we're talking about an interesting year in wrestling history, so uh, so yeah, so yeah. 
So we have some Jarrett-related content coming on later. Yes, yes. But on a more pleasant note, we do have a guest, a returning guest. And I would definitely say that of all of the wrestlers who are nicknamed the wrestling genius that listen to this show and wrestle in trunks and sports team jerseys, he is the best one. <laughs> well, hey, he's got your support. Hey, I, I, I love everybody. Well, so. I know I don't have the support of the other ones. So there's also that. <laughs> but anyway. All right. Yes, we are joined for part of the show. Not the full show, but part of the show. And we're glad to have him for the the part that we're going to have him on. We are joined by our dear friend, the wrestling genius, Daniel Macabe. Welcome back, Dan. Thank you for having me, Bix. Please don't get me heat. I... Uh... <laughs> I I finally was able to break bread with one Mr. Hero a couple months ago when he was uh, visiting here in Vancouver and, and had a lovely time uh, uh, just shooting the shit and, and talking things with him. So, so yeah, uh, I am a fan of, of all wrestling geniuses out there, myself included, but uh, I'm very happy to be back. It's been two years, and actually the last time I was here was talking about 2003 and here we are again talking about 2003 which is the Pretty year i had my my first professional wrestling match albeit not until november of 2003 but here we are in february and talking about some stuff that's near and dear to my fandom and my uh coming up in in the business here in the in the pacific northwest so yeah because uh we're going to begin this show which is the week of February 15th through the 22nd of 2003, extra day in here because of previous shows. We're Portland in the attempted revival of Portland wrestling, which appears to have at least temporarily closed up shop, but just seven weeks with the final show airing on February the 15th due to the dispute of a regulation by the athletic commission. What a oh, shock. Oh, oh, I'm shocked. <laughs> this was the least shocking development ever. Also, I completely forgot it was only seven weeks. Yes. So, get ready for some familiar names, I'm sure. I'm sure Bruce Anderson's name will probably come up somewhere along the way, possibly, in this. Who knows? Um, the show, which aired on Saturday nights at 11 p.m. on KWBP in Portland, attempting to recreate the tradition of the famed Portland Wrestling TV show, which is one of the longest-running weekly shows in the history of both television and wrestling, running from 1955 until its cancellation in 1991. That's right. 36 years. Frank Culbertson, a longtime area fan who works with the station in advertising, put the promotion together and announced its demise on February 13th in a press release. He blamed the antiquated laws regulating wrestling and the belief that even though they were assured they wouldn't be enforced, and since the promotion has already been told they since since they weren't charged for admission, they wouldn't fall under commission regulation, which you know what that means is they're not charged for admission, there's no money for the commission. According to Culberson, he had been assured that as they didn't charge admission, they wouldn't be under commission jurisdiction when they went for the commission last March. Although at the time, that was stated as a theoretical situation where Culberson asked if his employer, KWBP, were to produce a weekly wrestling TV show without an admission charge, would the commission regulate it? And Joe Pedrogetti of the commission said he didn't believe they would. However, in a discussion on February the 6th, when Culberson brought up that point, the commission played a tape for Culberson, which, according to an article by Mike Rogers, one of the bookers, and Ring Around the Northwest, what was on tape was completely different than his, Culberson, or Ed Moretti's memory of that meeting. <laughs> oh, boy. 
<laughs> How does that happen? How do we have this gotcha moment here? No wonder Paul Heyman records every conversation. He needs to keep his story straight. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Okay, I'm, I'm curious now if we have that issue of Ring Around in the Northwest, too. <laughs> because we do have a bunch of them, including some of the later ones. Um, wow. Well, Culbertson Wait. said they were att attempting, but not surprisingly, had little success in getting copies of the transcripts of that meeting. In advance of the meeting, he means, I guess. Yeah. On February 6th, a few hours before the schedule to be taped, and they received a cease and desist order signed by Assistant Attorney General Roland Ipaguire and Cassidy stating that the was holding the station was the, and, and Cassidy stating the station was holding legal purpose and events. A subsequent meeting between Culberson, Dant, and Cassidy on February 10th wound up with sides being able unable to come to an agreement. The station would not have been allowed to continue future tapings until garnering licenses for the promotion and all the wrestlers. The cost of the license doesn't appear to be an issue, but due to red tape, it would take a few weeks to go through, which would kill the television continuity of the product because it was forced into going to reruns just a few weeks into the run. The commission was also asked to bound into the company got its license. They would use someone else's license to keep tapings on schedule. And even though there is a precedent for this happening in Oregon and most commission states, they were told that that wasn't also, also wasn't acceptable. But that wasn't a major problem. Between the license itself and the drug testing, it would cost a competitor probably in the range of $125 to get a license. Meaning the wrestlers used on the shows had valid licenses already. Steve Dant, the vice president and general manager of the station, wasn't able to get in writing for the commission director, Jim Cassidy. He wouldn't enforce the laws. Cassidy didn't agree verbally not to. Against such things as pulling hair, kicking with one foot, elbows, low blows, <laughs> oiling, oiling up the body... We're coming off the top rope. Jesus. This came at the same time as Cassidy was attempting to convince Rich Herring of the WWE to return to Oregon after more than 10 years for a proposed date in June. Sure. WWE stopped promoting the city because the commission uh, mandated drug testing for marijuana and cocaine. Not steroids. This is the common misconception as there's never been steroid testing done in Oregon before issuing a license. There's also controversy in the late 1980s when it was discovered that a blood test for Terry Balea, Hulk Hogan, was falsified in testing for HIV as the blood of ring announcer Howard Finkel was used. The regulations, among other things, allow drop kicks, but only if both feet are using simultaneously. So a flying single leg kick would be illegal. Also illegal are closed fist punching, eye gouging, fish hooking, biting, stomping, using the knee as a weapon, headbutting, choking, hair pulling, throwing an opponent out of the ring, attacking the ears, double foot stomps, scratching, or coming off the top rope. Oh my goodness. By the letter of law, violations of any of those rules would be a class A misdemeanor, meaning each violation theoretically could be subject to a year in jail and a $5,000 fine. Okay, I don't think any other commission has that. Damn. <laughs> I gotta stop right here. I mean, you have experience in Oregon. I'm, you know, this is insanity. I don't know how these kind of rules get put in place in a state that has such a rich history. Like you mentioned at the top of, of the paragraph, they're on television from 55 to 91. How out of nowhere, you know, like, I'm guessing these rules go into place in the 90s sometime. Well, uh, it was 88 that the commission started under Bruce Anderson. 
it's it's insane to me that uh, that they could come to these conclusions like or that like we all know that it's a work right <laughs> like what you know like some of the specifics of of like you know you can drop kick with two feet but not one i don't even know how you determine such laws like this it's it's truly bizarre. I'm thankful that it's not in place uh, any any longer in in, in Oregon. Uh, and we we had issues with the commission in Washington State for like all the way up until 2017. Um, so yeah, these things still do go on, but not to that extent. Okay, Jeez. I pulled up the February issue of Ring Around the Northwest. Um. So, you know, it talks about all the rules that everyone hated under Bruce Anderson. So, and so here's a, what Mike Rogers writes. Then when Anderson retired and Jim Cassidy took over, the changes started to take place. The commission wanted to make an effort to be more user-friendly, but it seems in the process lost the focus of the commission. One of the changes that came that seemed to come about when Cassidy took office was allowing nonprofit or student shows to take place without regulation. Brian Alvarez in the February 17th issue of... Figure four bulletin <laughs> printed the wording of the loophole. The promoting, conducting, or maintaining of boxing and wrestling matches, contests, or exhibitions when conducted by educational institutions, Oregon National Guard units, U.S. Amateur Boxing Federation, or any other amateur athletic organizations duly recognized by the Oregon State Boxing and Wrestling Commission shall be exempt from the licensing and bonding provisions of this chapter if none of the participants in the contests or exhibitions receives a monetary remuneration, purse, or prize for performance or services therein. And um, Mike then adds, here are some examples. In 2001, there were six license-regulated shows. Two by Kafori's Portland Wrestling, three by MCLL, which was the area lucha promotion, and one by Pete Schweitzer. There were five unlicensed shows by Sandy Barr. Oh, shocking. Uh, Ken Stillwell's Red Cross show. Um, and there were seven New Dimension shows where licenses were shared with CCW. CCW was licensed, but their shows were not regulated. Since CCW shows were in a gym, they were able to charge workout fees where you could watch the matches if you chose to. Is that like customs? <laughs> no, it's like the Sandy Bar thing where Sandy was like, oh, these are these are workouts. It's, <laughs> That's it's what like, I'm saying. It's, it's like, like the uh, wrestling workouts TV show from the 60s. <laughs> sure. Or for 50s or whatever it was. Um I don't think I've ever seen customs called that. Because remember, too, in in the uh, world of the fans who like their customs, they distinguish. They what is it? They have amateur and pro. Pro refers to actual pro wrestling, with I believe amateur and other terms referring to customs and apartment wrestling and the like. Uh huh. So when you see the YouTube comments from the likes of Libra Forty Two Full talking about how much they love pro. <laughs> that's what they're talking about there you go obviously Dan we can see how this has influenced your wrestling style because of all this stuff you can't do you had to become more of a mat based wrestler <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> exactly. Wasn't I? Wasn't uh, I? Also, came up watching uh, that uh, specific era of WCW where Bill Watts was in charge. So uh, <laughs> you know, no going off the top rope, and there's there's no mat on the outside of the ring, and uh, yeah, but yeah, this, it's just ludicrous. It's crazy to me that like. These people, how, <laughs> I mean, we, you talk about anytime a, a commission comes up, it's just, how do they come up with these rules and like, look at themselves in the mirror? Like they're, you know, that they're not a clown, you know, it, it's, uh, it's truly head scratching. Yeah. Mm. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's well, continue. Wait, there's a little bit more to add on point just real quick from Ring Around the Northwest. So, I mean, he gave more information from some other unregulated shows but it doesn't really explain why. So overall, there were six regulated shows and at least 27 unregulated in 01. In 02, there were, there were five licensed shows with PNCW and Kafori's Portland Wrestling. There were at least 38 unregulated shows, and many of the unregulated shows ran without the knowledge of Jim Cassidy. And now, according to the state, the commission should be regulating everything. The current commission seems to be able to change rules on their discretion. They have told WB in their discussions that they do not have to worry about HIV or drug testing, and in conversation with WWE, the Oregon Commission has said they only need their physicals to be within the last six months with the doctor of their choice. I would speaking of Cassidy, he he was agreeable to attempt to get the law changed, not to list such offenses and punishable by fines or jail terms. Begging a state legislature to change laws regarding pro wrestling would take time. It should be noted that none of these regulations have actually ever been enforced. The only regulations enforced in Oregon by previous commissioner Bruce Anderson, who was by far the strictest commissioner in the country that came to wrestling, was banning blading, which is banned in many states or any groups, although nobody ever enforced that ban on WWE show, and fighting amongst the spectators as well as users of barricades. There are numerous promotions in Oregon that have been operating on a regular basis, not charging admission and using wrestlers without licenses. As it turned out over the weekend, we found all the controversy. We saw there were a few shows in Oregon, a show in the Dalles, which saw none of the regulations in force. Weekly, the show put on by Tito Carrion at his gym, where they don't charge admission so as to avoid the need for licensing and regulation, also went on just as it always does. Shocking how these other promotions have no issues. And it, okay, so Bruce, here's the thing Bruce Anderson takes over in 88. Well, no, there was no commission until 88. Uh, so, yeah, 88. So, I mean, that's yeah. when, you know, we have a commission. But he doesn't really give Don Owen any shit. Yes, he did. What are you talking about? Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. I forgot. <laughs> that's what, yeah, what did Chris... I was thinking all the Bruce... I was thinking most of the Bruce Anderson stuff was Sandy Barr. No, no, it caused a lot of problems for Don Owen. It's just yeah, that you're Sandy right. was a lot more combative about it. See, that's the thing. That's what I was thinking about with Sandy being more combative. But yeah, I mean, yeah, if he, if, if, if they were giving Don Owen shit, you know, good Lord. And see, and the thing is, you look at, you know, so 88, you get a mission, but then you watch 89 Portland, and it's so wild and crazy that uh, it's like the the Piper and Lynn Denton's like, screw this commission. We'll do what the hell we want to do. Um, but, uh, I mean, there was the thing in the uh, Portland episode of Tales from the Territories where Len Denton explains that the whole reason for the breakfast club angle yes was to have who is it that who is it that they attack oh shit is it Brian Adams yes was to be able to lay out 
Brian Adams with liquid all over him that was not blood. Pretty much. <laughs> Hence pouring all the milk and cereal all over him. Yes. Well, the following episode of the show aired on February 15th. With Roddy Piper first doing an interview about Kurt Henning, knowing that his own first interview match was against Larry Henning. Piper said Kurt was a great father, stood for morals and decency, and there was no better athlete in pro wrestling, which said much better than anything any other promotion had done on the subject. He followed with a 10-minute speech that didn't seem to make any points. Oh, that's Roddy Piper. But ended saying the rules written 40 years ago are squashing the dreams of the kids in a promotion. He told the governor that now these kids are out of jobs, can't feed their families. As of working one TV tape in area of the week was anyone's full-time job. He told fans to email the governor and the athletic commission told parents that let their kids watch the monopolized version of pro wrestling that borders on pornography. He got down on his knees begging the governor and talked about his visits to children's hospitals. There was a scroll at the bottom of the screen giving a phone number for people to apply for the two vacancies on the commission. They're showing with Piper playing the bagpipes in honor of Henning. All right, Piper returns to WWE six weeks later. Yes. But, you know, I mean, I understand. But, Dan, you yeah. watched the first episode of Portland Wrestling. So that's one that's on YouTube, basically. Because the one that we're talking about here is not on YouTube. So, um,. Give us your thoughts on what when you watch that. Uh, so, so yeah, where we what did it say? Seven episodes aired total. I I had never seen this before. Uh, anytime I come on the show, to, I try to watch as much as I can to get a little bit of uh, of insight of uh, to where we're where we're at. So I, I checked out the first episode. It was basically, I mean, it was kind of a fun blast from the past for me because this is an era where I'm going to to independent shows pretty regularly. And it's a lot of the regulars I'm seeing uh, on shows up in British Columbia that were all over these shows here uh, on on Portland Wrestling, including people that I you know ended up sharing locker rooms with later on this year. So it's 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 funny because like I, I think they're still trying to figure out what they're doing. Like it's definitely got that old style television wrestling presentation with you know, interviews in the ring before and after the matches with the competitors. And, uh, you know, uh, obviously you know, anyone who's seen this era of Portland wrestling remembers Miss Renta own as being the, the <laughs> valet for, for one Brian Alvarez and Renta own and car to go are like the two primary sponsors. And they're mentioned like every other minute, this match is sponsored by one. This the ring is sponsored by one. You know, like the this specific main event is sponsored by by one of them. So it's a new Tom Peterson. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, it's. I mean, it was kind of a fun no novelty. The wrestling was was certainly inoffensive. Um, a bunch of decent like. They got a lot of good local area workers from the time, plus some throwbacks. Ed Moretti's on there. Len Denton's on there. Um, so, uh, you know, the one thing that kind of sticks with me is that, and I don't know if there's more going on that's not said here, but it feels like they just kind of fold like a like a sheet of paper, you know? Like they they don't want to stop the show in order to give themselves time to get everyone licenses and get everything licensed because they worry about continuity and, and fans being able to follow. 
that doesn't feel like that big of a, of a hurdle to me, you know, like I, I could be wrong, but just, you know, take six months off and try it again. But well, do you uh, think they just didn't want to, they didn't want to fight this because they, they I, know it's never going to be an end. That's a good possibility. And I, I, I'd be interested to know, like, I don't know when like Oregon, uh, I don't believe has a commission anymore. If they do, they really are hands off because I've never had issues uh, wrestling in Oregon. Like there absolutely were issues in Washington up until the last few years. And, uh, and we had to do similar workarounds uh, when we were running shows in Washington. Like, you know, there were years and years that I was working shows in Washington that were entry by donation, you know, as a, as a way to not have to deal with the commission because the Washington commission was for, for points just as brutal as this Oregon commission, maybe not to the point of, uh, you know, no drop kicks and no coming off the top rope, but certainly to the point that no one could, you know, run shows and be, you know, reasonably successful unless they had the kind of resources that the WWE has. It's just insane to me. That the, but they said those rules were never enforced. It's just insane to me that such a, those rules were on the books. Well, on the books for a commission that started in 1988. You know, like, most of the commissions that have rules like that on the books, even if some of them are newer, like in Louisiana, like, most of the commissions that have rules like that are from going back decades. You know, decades and decades from when wrestling was less openly at work. You know, Louisiana is because of insurance concerns and stuff, because of when they got sued over a guy getting paralyzed by a uh, messed up powerbomb. But otherwise, like, I don't think the others are supposed to be liability things. So it's very weird that you have all this from such a new commission. Yeah, I mean, it's... And what is it about Pacific Northwest, Washington, Oregon, being so hard-ass on this, Dan? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what it is, and and it's funny because it's like it's only had a negative effect on wrestling. It's hard enough to be an independent wrestler in this part of the country uh, and try and break out because, you know, we're so far removed from the rest of the continent you know, flying, you know, flying from the West Coast to the East Coast is is more of a of a cost. If uh, if you are someone like me and you're trying to get uh, your name out there or a promoter is interested in using you um, and, you know, we're not doing our, you know, ourselves any favors by not getting the kind of experience we need or the exposure we need by being able to run shows. That's the other thing. Lots of times shows were going on for years and years and years on com- on. Um, tribal you know tribal land and and that sort of thing too that's that's always been a thing here as well so yeah it's some it's something i'll tell you it's yeah. definitely something um i also so i also opened up the january issue of ring around the northwest and we do have a little bit more details about some of the stuff mentioned here so um they received word from the attorney general on february 6th that WB must not produce a wrestling show that night because they didn't have a promoter's license. And then, so it became evident that someone had gone over Cassidy's head straight to the attorney general to force the shutdown. The commission claims it was Robert Miller, who works with the state police, who oversees the wrestling commission. However, there are people who don't believe it was him, and there was a lot of speculation finger-pointing over the weekend concerning who it could have been. Meetings were scheduled on 
Friday the 7th, Monday the 10th, and Tuesday the 11th to try and straighten things out. It was investigated to see if WB wanted to get a promoter's license. Jim Cassidy promised that it was all the commission was worried about. Uh, WB wanted in writing that unless the rules in the rule book... Wait, WB wanted in writing that all the useless rules in the rule book would not be enforced. Cassidy and the Attorney General declined to put it in writing. WB is concerned for the fact that Oregon rules read like pro wrestling's a legitimate contest. Included are rules about eye gouging, biting, hair pulling, wearing two pairs of trunks, and specifics about the wrestler's costume. Well, you know what that is. That's like wearing a, a, the trunks over the long boys. Or, I mean, some wrestlers who wear just trunks wear two pairs of trunks, too. But, yeah. Um, That's a look we don't have anymore in wrestling. The, uh, the talent that wears the short trunks over their long boys. Yes. Uh, a lost art in wrestling. Yes, the Attorney General himself said these rules make it next to impossible to promote wrestling, but they are laws, and the AG made it clear they would not ignore them. Um, now, for an individual promoter, these rules and violations are one thing, but for a television station like the local WB affiliate, it's different. Rule violations and Class A misdemeanors would cause severe problems with the FCC renewing their broadcasting license. <laughs> as long as the rules read like they do, WB will be unable to promote wrestling. So then we get to that recording. This is a strange story that dates back approximately March of 2002 during commission meeting. At that meeting, Frank Culbertson posed a question. Quote, suppose my employer, WBTV, were to produce a wrestling television program with no admission charge, strictly a television product. Would this be something the commission needs to regulate? End quote. Um, the answer surprised my, both myself and Culbertson. Joe Pedragetti of Medford, a commission chairman who runs Bulldog Boxing Gym, answered, no, he didn't believe that it would. During the exchange on February 6th, the commission played the tape from that commission meeting for Frank Culbertson. The tape played something completely different than what Frank Culbertson, myself, or Ed Moretti remembered from the meeting. Mm-hmm. So no specifics, but the way... The way that Mike writes it here, and we're understanding it's also him and Ed that remembered it a certain way, it reads less like Frank was trying to carny people with a fake story about the commission, and more that someone at the commission doctored a tape or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's even better. <laughs> and uh, Mike adds, the wrestling community has welcomed Jim Cassidy because he bent over backwards to look the other way. But in doing this, he has at times waived rules, overlooked unlicensed promotions, and given unclear leadership. <laughs> um, Lord, these commissions and their politics. Oh, there are various other issues they talk about. Portland Organic Wrestling, which was termed a theater group. They ran once a month in a bar. (laughs) Cassidy told them to take the name wrestling out of the name and he would be fine with it. They even managed to spank Cassidy in one of their angles. (laughs) What? (laughs) Oh, this is Ulala's promotion. Pow. There you go. Because it's Pow and he's from Portland, right? Yeah. Okay, so I guess that's his promotion because he refers to it as Pow, P-O-W. Um, or it's Pow Pro. I mean, you should hear his thoughts on this, on all this stuff, Ben. Yeah. Um, they also called their promotion Super Action Heroes for a short time, but then changed it back to Portland Organic Wrestling. Um, 
there's some MMA related stuff in here. Um, Oregon budget crunch. (laughs) Portland public schools are cutting 24 days this school year to give them the shortest school year in the nation because of budget issues. Uh, Culbertson said the station cannot take the chance that some regulator would watch a tape of the show and decide to prosecute every purported violation of the rules, like headbutting or excessive grease or lotion on the wrestler's body. He said WB32 may start taping and broadcasting the program again if regulators clarify or alter the rules. At press time, they're still hoping things work out. I don't understand how these issues are dated anyway, that this is allegedly the January issue and it's stuff that's well, happening in February. I don't know. But what a cluster. (laughs) It is indeed that. But anyway, all right, well, let's uh, stay in the Pacific Northwest, but in Canada, as we go to British Columbia in Daniel Maccabe territory in ECCW, Extreme Canadian Championship Wrestling at Forrester's Hall in Chilliwack, British Columbia. Chilliwack, also a great 80s uh, pop band, which I have a few of their songs on my phone. So there's that. I'm going to tell you, we were talking about classic rock before we went on the air. And uh, if you are a classic rock station in Western Canada, you're playing lots of Chilliwack because of (laughs) because of the uh, the CanCon laws where 35 percent of the material Canadian. That they they fall under the category of of uh, one of those bands that that got uh, a higher percentage of airplay than they may have may have <laughs> deserved because of the CanCon laws. Wait, and so Chilliwack's attack? CanCon's only thirty five percent. Only thirty five percent. Yes, it's thirty five percent. Well, I say That's that because, high. as I know now from my personal experience, the Film Board of Canada grants require that you not spend more than 25% outside Canada. Oh, interesting. Yeah. For, yeah, for if anyone radio, ever wants to, yeah. Everyone ever wanted to know why I only worked on oh, go ahead. That sort of thing. Yeah. It's, it's, it's 35. Okay. Oh, sorry. Yeah. I think we're Biggs, okay now. Biggs is lagging. That's always. Um, Rush. What do you mean as I always? Mean, I, I, I can't think of You're always lagging behind me. You're always interrupting me. Rush. How much does Rush consider uh, take up of that thirty four percent? You know what? I I love Rush, and of all, of all the CanCon bands, they're definitely my favorite. But uh, you know what? They obviously get some radio play up here, not as much as you'd think, though. Like Al, uh, there's Aldo still, Nova has to get some radio airplay, I'm sure. Still, uh, still kind of. They're not a, a cult <laughs> band necessarily, but uh, but it's kind of underappreciated, I think. Lover Boy. Of course. Lo- well, lover, lover boy are from Vancouver, so lots of lover boys. It's been God. one week since you looked at me. <laughs> well, that's not classic rock. <laughs> well, it is no. now, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I just think not classic rock, but we're we're bordering on it being classic rock. So because Brian Wilson, the song Brian Wilson, that that got big over twenty five years ago. So yeah, we're uh, yeah. Oh Brian, my god. Brian 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 Wilson is off of the uh, the Bare Naked Ladies' first record, Gordon, which came out in 1992. Yes, that's 30 years ago. Yeah, well, that version, but the live version is one. Chris, I, uh, of course, Chris, one week is from 1998. That's almost 25 years. Old. It, it's 25 years ago. Yeah, I know. That's it's classic crazy. rock, brother. It is, I guess now. Uh, but anyway, enough about great Canadian rock. Uh, Burton Cummings, another. Uh, great uh, guess who of course uh 
Bachman Turner Overdrive. There's a lot of great Canadian rock bands. Robert O'Connor should be here for all this. I mean, this, this is his wheelhouse. He'll, but uh, Gordon Lightfoot. He, he will message me afterwards and we'll, <laughs> we'll continue this conversation. This is majority of what we talk about is is Canadian bands from the 80s and the 90s. So, John uh, Cochran, Love is a Highway. <laughs> Glass Tiger, yes. There's a lot. Uh, all right, so February 21st, the Forest is Hall in Chilliwack. We have Matt Classic, which is not Cole Cabana, over Scott Savage. Disco Fury over Michael Rains. Memphis Rains over Jimbo Richards. Major Hardway over Adam Firestorm. Bit Bane over Bass Nevada. And Ladies' Choice over Scotty Mack. All right, Dan, these are some of your uh, contemporaries here. What are your thoughts on this card? Definitely... Some 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 of these guys are really young and really green here. Uh, uh, some of them are still wrestling to this day. That that main event of Ladies' Choice and Scotty Mac could probably still happen on a show in British Columbia in 2023. Uh, it could sell out any hall in British Columbia. <laughs> well, it, it would depend on the type of hall, but yes. Uh, <laughs> Ben Savada went on to write uh, recently, I think, has put out some books all about Canadian wrestling. Um, yes. Actually, o- O'Connor has asked me about some names that have popped up. He's He's been reading through Vance's recent book. Um, Matt Classic was not Cabana, as you mentioned, but he was a local guy who never really did much, but was actually really, really good. Um, Disco Fury was around forever. He's still... Um, helped uh run the uh, local all-star wrestling promotion that's still going to this day and his son is now in the business and has actually refereed some of my matches so um okay and and then the big name for me that stands out is is adam firestorm who was a just a really nice guy his real name was adam dykes uh who was a, a transplant for new zealand who ended up here in british columbia um, grew up or uh, was uh, based in Surrey, British Columbia, which is a town that I grew up in. He was the first person that I ever bought uh, like tapes of. He would sell like he had Japanese tapes, ECW territory I that. that I had never seen before as a uh, I was probably 14, 15 when I first started buying from him. And uh, and unfortunately, oh, God, probably a good. 10 years ago now, maybe not quite. Um, he passed away uh, in really sad fashion and, uh, yeah. and really, really sad story. Cause he was such a nice guy, uh, and was a, a good wrestler. Um, you know, worked like, uh, you know, someone who was really influenced uh, as a tape trader to do, um, stuff he would have seen on, on Lucha tapes and Japanese tapes and, when this was very much like a kick punch, work a hold, get it again territory, even as late as the the early 2000s when I started working shows myself, and it was guys like Adam Firestorm and Tony Kazina and and others like that who uh, who showed me that you could get away with doing a little bit more here and and uh, were definitely inspirations to me as I was getting into wrestling and going to independent shows and. T- taking my crack at doing independent wrestling here in BC myself. So, yeah, I mean, it, and it was a vibrant scene, you know, in that time period, because, uh, you had ECCW, um, you had, uh, 
U- UWA, right? When UWA a promotion? I don't, know, I don't know if there's a UWA. There was Tim Flowers, ICW. Who ICW, yeah. They were at Cloverdale Fairgrounds uh, all the time. Uh, ECCW was around from 96 and, and still may exist, depending on who you ask. Uh, <laughs> that's too long of a story to get into. Um and uh, there, All Star Wrestling, the, which is a name that has come and gone, and uh, but it was right around this time, and and that's the promotion that I actually broke in with was a then an incarnation of All Star Wrestling that was around from like '99 to '04, um, and uh, but I mean ECCW would run long loops all over the province, up into the northern parts of the province, Vancouver Island. They would dip down into Washington. Um, you know, the, the Kootenays, which is the region in Eastern British Columbia that borders on Alberta. Um, like I was looking, you know, after reading these notes and these results, just kind of reading up on some results on cage match. And like some of these guys were working 15 shots a month on a good month and they were just working ECCW. So like they had, uh, I don't know how much, you know, money they were clearing but um i mean they had a pretty active uh territory uh all the way up until the you know the early to mid 2000s uh and all of that is really uh in due to michelle Starr, who really oh, yeah. was the one who kind of kept things alive and and going for decades here in british columbia so yeah, because Tomco's UWA was that's what I was thinking about. Tomco, Tom, Tomco had his UWA that ended in '89, and then um, I mean, you had other like uh, I mean, there was Mark Velios, Mark Velios, yeah, yeah. Well, Mark Velios is Michelle Star, so yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. You, you had that, then you had um, Pacific Coast Championship Wrestling, Rocky Della Sera. Yep, and, and that Tim Flowers, of course, come later. I mean, there's different groups, but yeah, I mean, it was a vibrant scene. You know, lots of little promotions that was running around British Columbia. So, uh, yeah, it was always uh, something I would always, uh, when I did the wrestling news stuff back in the day, that Defy Driver, when I was doing North America stuff, I would always uh, try to dig those little gems off the uh, the British Columbia indie scene and stuff like that. Always cool stuff. That was going on up there because Danielson was up there, you know, working stuff that nobody was even knowing what was going on. I was like putting stuff up there, you know, his the stuff he was doing in those little groups when he was working. So, and he was he was a semi regular in ECCW from like 2001 to 05 um, or so, you know, like he would come and go, but. Um, as soon as he was let go from his developmental contract, he moves back to Aberdeen, Washington, and he was like monthly. He'd be on ECCW shows, mm-hmm. yeah. and I, I, my friends and I would just—I'm sure we pestered the shit out of him because we were just, you know, we were tape traders. We were seeing him on ECWA, and then later, you know, Ring of Honor, and and uh, you know, he was having good matches here. But I, I remember one specifically after. Uh, it was like the week after he had that match with Paul London, the 40 minute, you know, the famous two out of three falls match in ring of honor. And he came to EC, ECCW and he had like a nine minute match. And I remember giving him a hard time, like, 
why can't we have these like 30 minute matches like you're you're having with Paul London in Ring of Honor? And he's sort of like, you know, give me a break. Like it's not <laughs> not exactly the same crowd. No. No. So, not at all. Can't say I blame him, but Yeah. And 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 I I would be remiss to say that honestly, uh the independent scene that's happening in British Columbia as we speak is as strong as as it's ever been. Uh, well, Northwest in general, because I, I mean, I was going to mention that and I forgot. I mean, you look at the the indie scene in Oregon and Washington now and British Columbia. I mean, it's it's arguable that that's the hottest indie scene going right now is all that stuff in the Pacific Northwest. It, it's kind of a hidden gem. People are starting to pick up on it, and and thanks to you know, places like IWTV that, you know, a lot of these promotions stream live on now or or it goes up on demand. Um, but, I mean, there's probably six or seven promotions here in the Northwest alone that have um, deals through IWTV. Defy obviously has their own thing going with their pivot share. We have a new group here in, in British Columbia called NEW who have their own thing going and have announced, you know, they're running the Commodore Ballroom, which is a very famous venue here in Vancouver. Uh, coming up next month, and they're bringing in Minoru Suzuki and the Tokyo Joshi Pro Girls. So, like, who's the you know, 20 years ago, if you told me that Minoru Suzuki would wrestle in Vancouver uh, at the Commodore and I would be on the show, uh, you know, I I would have called you a liar. There's there's no way in my mind we'd ever get to the point that we're at now. So, yeah, yeah. All right, we're gonna close out this segment in Canada. As we uh, stay in uh, Western Canada, go to Stampede Wrestling, their revival here on February 21st at Ogden Legion Hall in Calgary. We have Rico Barzini over Marky Mark, Kirk Melnick over Rod Rage, Jason Carter over Jack Flash. Was he jumping? Nanny Neidhart over Patrick Myers, intergender. Carnage with a K over Randy Myers. Handicap match, Juggernaut and Apocalypse. Over Bruce Hart, TJ Wilson, and the Highlander. And then our main event, Teddy Hart over Harry Smith. All right. So let's go over this. I forget. Was Marky Mark someone else later? I I actually went through this card because uh, 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 I knew we were going to play this name association. Uh, no one on the undercard is, is anyone uh, uh, who really did much of note outside of Alberta uh, up until the Natty match. Now it is noted. It is noted that Marky Mark did have a faction called the Funky Bunch. Of course, um, <laughs> of course, he did. Okay, so Natty. Of course, everyone knows Natty. So is Patrick Myers a relative of Randy? I don't believe so. I think that's they're just maybe gimmick brothers or not. Not so sure about that. Randy Myers is still wrestling to this day. I I wrestled him. Uh, the one and only time I wrestled for Defy Wrestling in Seattle was against Randy Myers, and he's he's still going to to this day. So ravishing Randy Myers, yes, yeah. Uh, well, he's been ravishing. He's been ravenous. He's he's all sorts of things. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. Um, big, 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 who's a, who's Apocalypse? Because this is what, a question that comes up all apocalypse. the time. Oh, that's uh, what you might call it. Apocalypse is uh, Rick Victor. Correct. Now, is Highlander here one of the WWF Highlanders, or no? I think he's just an Alberta guy. Okay, and of course, everyone knows Harry, and unfortunately, Teddy. <laughs> Theodore Hart, yes, Theodore yeah. Annis. I mean, it, wait, is so two thousand three? 
Do we have the Teddy hangers on from all sorts of places yet? This is the era where that's starting, yes. Because, I, you know, we don't have any uh, chasing rants. Oh, you know what? I, I, I lied. There is there is one name that stands out that I forgot to mention. Jack Flash, I believe, is Jack Evans. Okay. Makes sense. How many different names did he use in this era? Jack Evans, Jack Flash, Trey Lane. <laughs> He was just uh, just doing what he what he you know just doing different things I guess you know seeing what stick. Who else? Who <laughs> just else? Try, did, trying to. Who else was a Teddy protege in this era? There, Jason Rands, Ash Samuels. I feel like I'm forgetting a bunch of people. Um, God, I mean, there was other I mean, people that weren't even wrestlers. Yes, that was around that whole deal there. So it was quite the time period. Yes, but, Ash, Ash uh, at least. Uh, O'Connor is himself. the one that. I was about to say O'Connor's the one to ask about Teddy Hart. So. Yeah, the Teddy Hart universe. He would be the expert on that. So there you go. Well, let's move on now to the US indie scene. Yeah, I'm gonna go ahead and knock that out here early in the show with Dan. And let's start with Jersey All Pro Wrestling. They're in Charity Hall in Bayonne, New Jersey on February twenty second. Open a match, Tony Lazaro over Rick Blade. Lazaro. Lazaro, Lazaro, whatever. <laughs> Jersey All Pro Heavyweight title. Mafia beat Homicide to win the title. Great. There's that. Early in the show. Asriel went to a no contest with Nick Burke. Jersey All Pro Tag Titles. The Shaolin Wrecking Crew, Magic and Shuba, beat Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. DC Negro and Casey Blade by count out. Negro and Blade retained their titles. April Hunter over Nikki Rocks. So if April Hunter's wrestling this show, you know who's going to be up, who else on this show. Rain and Jay Lethal over Special K, Dixie and Deranged, and your main event, Slick Wagner Brown over Jonah Edelman. Also, it says Special K because it's cage match. They should be uh, Wasted Youth on here. Yes, Wasted Youth, Dixie and Deranged. You're correct. And yes, there was already another New Jersey indie team named Wasted Youth before the current Wasted Youth of uh, Marcus <laughs> Mathers and Dylan McKay. Yes. And there was already a Dylan McKay before Dylan McKay. Well, he spells it without an A, so it's D-Y-L-N McKay. Uh-huh. So, yeah, at at Charity Hall, yes. One of the later Charity Hall shows. Yeah. Um, Is this a Rick Blade return run? Yes. I do not remember this. This is after he just completely destroyed his, his leg. For CCW in 2001, he finally recovered, and uh, he's, you know, been back working for a little bit. Yeah. Now, the broken leg is not the low-key throws a fit match, right? Oh, no, that's the one where he jumps off the uh, basketball stage. Yes, and he lands on his foot. Yeah, the broken the broken leg is off the truck. The low key thing is off a basketball hoop. I think where he gets hurt on that. Not off a truck, off the stage. What venue? this is it? That's at the uh, the one they ran in New Jersey in two thousand and one. I can't oh, remember in, now. Uh, in Sewell. Uh, Sewell, yes. I forgot what the building was, but yeah. Yeah. All right. Who wins in that fucking match? Uh, let's see I'm here. Looking. Because uh, he has like a gap, so he has a gap between June and and October in 01. 
and that's in Sewell, the last match, a Champ Shocker Arena. So wait, is it the yes. four-way with Justice Payne, Lobo, and Nick? Yes, 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 yes. From Tate One, yes. So he actually came back from that four after four months, and kept <laughs> going for a little while, and like, but he worked very few dates in O two, was off for like ten months, and then he has this run from December O two through June O three. He came back too fucking quick. Yeah, that's why he had to take time off. Yeah, he completely mangled his lower leg. Oh, horrible. Yeah. Um. Okay, so Tony Lazaro in Special K was Yayo, I think? Tony Yayo? No. <laughs> <laughs> Let me double-check Hadrian for that one. Tony Lazaro uh, is yes, yes, Yayo. Yes, because of Tony Yayo in G Unit, that's probably why. Yes, one of the more obscure <laughs> uh, Special K members. Asriel still wrestling on Northeast Indies. Not a huge schedule, but he's really, really good. Um, always appreciate seeing him when I get a chance. Uh, I don't think EC Negro's working anymore. I last saw him five years ago on uh, Jack Sabbath's first ICW show back. Where it was him, because he was wrestling as El Rey, E.C. Negro, so it was King versus King of him versus Nick Gage. Um, and he briefly had a promotion, Now You Create Pro Wrestling, so NYC Pro Wrestling. But I don't think he's around now. Um, April Hunter and Nikki Rocks, I would see, uh, you know, about six weeks after this in Wilmington, I think? And... Uh, that's the match I've talked about before with the one guy in front of me who's incessantly chanting, show your tits at April Hunter every time she's out. All he's got to do is look online. He gets on. Well, okay. So here's the thing, though. So first he was chanting it during the uh, Slick Wagner Brown, Dan Moff match. Um, boy, those are two wrestlers who should be shot into the sun. But anyway, um, and then intermission was in between and then the women's match. And... Went to use the restroom during intermission. That guy is there. And to no one in particular, he's explaining how, because she had posed for Playboy, if enough people chanted that, she would probably do it. <laughs> yeah, great rationale. Yeah, don't you just love wrestling fans? Um, Rain is the former Rain child who broke in with Jay Lethal and did not stick around long. And... um. Actually, with Derange, let me pull up, uh, since we're mentioning him, he has a GoFundMe up, because he has a bad knee injury that I think he's, I think he's sustained Jonah, outside of wrestling, right? Jonah Edelman we'll talk more about later on in the show in TNA. Yes, from Tough Enough. Uh, give me one second so I can pull up the details. If you just look up ROH Deranged GoFundMe, you should find it, um, but... Just to remind myself what the knee injury was. Yeah, he had to have a major surgery. Um, yeah, yeah. Oh, no, it wasn't a match. Yeah, it was actually in a match. But major knee surgery. He has to be off his feet for months. Won't be able to walk f for a while and all that. So if you have some money to spare, please check out his GoFundMe page. All right. Well, let's scoot on down to Philly. 3PW drew reported 709 fans. 
or whatever this is worth, our live reports from the observer range from estimates of three to 500. On February 15th, in this new location of the Electric Factory in Philadelphia, many events saw Terry Funk pin Sabu in 716, the bloodbath involving chairs, tables, and with Paul Drummond on a table. Interesting match, they put rival Ring of Honor champion, Ring of Honor's champion, Xavier, in with both Raven and 3PW champion Gary Wolf, ending when Raven pinned Xavier and then Wolf pinned Raven. Said he'd be pretty bad. Nicole Bass worked the show, although she didn't wrestle, and instead did a wet t-shirt contest, which sounds rather hideous. The gimmick is that Bass scared all the judges, which included local wrestling columnist, columnist Michael Tierson and 3PW booker Todd Gordon into voting for her. They were making snide comments during the show about the weather, since it was a night XPW claimed to have to cancel because of bad weather. Hey, Let's Mad Dog Tierson. Yeah, and speaking of that whole situation, uh, from the torch, Johnny Storm was backstage at the show on, on a 3PW show. Normally, this wouldn't be a big deal, but because of the war between the Philadelphia promotions, they suspect that Storm will have heat with XPW management. Okay. Um, should we start with the show or with the the Philly war? Well, I was going to go with Dan first. I mean, 3PW was an interesting promotion at the time because, you know, this is a time where, you know, the indies are. You know, they've already Ring of Honor's had their first full year going on. And it's just still like the Indies are mainly a super indie thing, especially Northeast. You try to have these indie dream matches. Yeah, three PWs out here putting Terry Funkin' Sabu as the main event, you know. That's a lot of like ECWS things, which Todd Gordon's booking, and you know, you got Meanie involved as well and ownership and Gary Wolf and this that, and the other. So it makes sense, but it was always interesting to read these three PW results because of how different it was compared to what everything else was in that time period. Yeah. Both three PW and, and XPW to a certain extent, were still trying to cash in on whatever kind of goodwill you could get out of ECW names, you know, going on to two years since ECW's demise. Uh, I definitely was over ECW nostalgia at this point, And I was more, more in that ring of honor work rate crowd for sure. Um, I can't say I ever saw any three PW. Did they have local television or was it all just video tape that was they got their footage it, out through? It or? was it was just uh I think they video. did have a TV show briefly, didn't they? I don't think they did. I don't that, think they it was, did. It was Jasmine and Meanie's promotion, right? Yeah. Yes. If they did, it did not last long, let's put it that way. It it's, definitely wasn't a long deal because they may have gotten in the tail end of that whole Philly TV. Thing that was going on back then, but yeah, I don't think so. But yeah, I remember that. I mean, they were only on video, and that was something that I would look at and like, okay, that looks interesting, but I'd rather spend my money on Ring of Honor, Jersey All Pro, CZW, you know, that type of stuff because that, I, that I appealed was exactly more. The same way. I was exactly the same way. Yeah. I mean, th- I wouldn't say they were straight up ECW nostalgia. Like they had undercard. They weren't straight up. They weren't straight up. It was a it was a hybrid. It was a hybrid. But when you're looking at that, you're like, well, you know, you have this stuff. It's I would rather be watching something else. You know what I'm saying? Yes, but they would have some interesting looking stuff. And I'm gonna, we don't even have the actual results up here for this show. I'm curious to see what the actual card is. Um. Okay, so this is February 15th. Yeah, I forgot to put the results in. Yeah. All right, so we've got Prince Nana with Mr. Showtime over Jeff Rocker. 
Raven okay. over Meanie with Mini Meanie in his corner. Uh huh. The Rock and Rebel, Rock and Rebel, and himself <laughs> onto the show, <laughs> defeated Jason Knight with Jasmine Sinclair <laughs> in his corner. Kid Cash over Mike Cruel, the son of Bodyguard for Hire. Yes. How's this for a match to read about in 2023? Balls Mahoney and Nosawa defeated the Hit Squad. Yeah. <laughs> Matt Stryker and Rob Echoes defeated uh, Damian Adams and Josh Daniels. Loki over Homicide in 20 minutes. Uh, Wolf over Raven and Xavier. And Funk over Sabu. That's another thing, too. Josh Daniels, this is where he gets starts getting his name out there. Those those type of guys. Um, yeah, there's a few of them that they first got their... C.J. O'Doyle, I think, was, was also a 3PW guy that got his first big break in 3PW. So, yeah, I mean, it was just an interesting promotion, but it just didn't stand out like the other ones did. No, no. And when you're spending money, what like stuff you were spending money on back then, even in 2003, I mean, you're still putting out way more money than you would now if you're buying stuff. I mean, you kind of picking and choo- picking and choosing. Yes. Now, if I were to tell you 20 years ago that one of the wrestlers on this show would go on to be one of the most powerful men in wrestling 20 years later, I'm guessing neither of you would pick Nosawa. Oh no. <laughs> probably. <laughs> no probably. way. Who would we go with? Raven. Of that roster, probably. Probably Raven, yes. <laughs> but, yeah, who would have, I mean, who would have thought no style? Absolutely. Yeah. All right, well, let's move on to XPW, which they ran a show in Philadelphia the night before our week and then canceled the next night, the second night of the doubleheader. Oh, boy. I forgot that part. Um, As I talk about this, uh, there are more. Their last Philly show, I believe, right? Yes. There are more signs of XPW being in trouble. Besides Sam Alien for TNA, Chaos, Justice Payne, who just quit Combat Zone, and GQ Money reportedly approached TNA about jobs, they canceled their February 15th show in Philadelphia, citing bad weather, expected one or two inches of snow, while bad in some parts of the country is considered a regular deal in a city like Philadelphia. Well, here's maybe why. Let's go to Perosa Torch. Meanwhile, the SPW TV show was preempted last week in Philadelphia. All this had led to some accusations that companies have financial problems. There were also rumors that some of the company's paychecks bounced recently. This prompted Ring of Honor booker Gabe Sapolsky to mock XPW by writing, So much for the hostile takeover on their video website. <laughs> okay. So we need to give some backstory of the Philly War because we really have not talked that much about it. And it's a it's a topic we've gotten a decent number of requests to do a Patreon show on, and I've considered it. It's just I don't think there's necessarily enough newsletter coverage to really make a show out of it. Do you? That that would be that would be a a, a show. I don't know if we could find the content because it's gone. Because so much I mean, of the best that, stuff would be on. One Wrestling and PW Insider and Pro Wrestling Between the Sheets and places like that. Which Pro Wrestling Between the Sheets. Yes, ECW fans. A lot of that stuff, you just it's not available on Archive like that. Yeah. It's ain't. So my good is, if we're, you know, we're basing it mainly on the newsletters, they're stuff, but I don't know if there would be enough to 
get a show out of, you know. There's so. the one a lot the one regret that I have a lot of uh stuff. It's I I regret not saving more stuff from back in the day. Yeah. I mean cuz I mean especially all my stuff that I did news-wise and stuff. I wish I would have archived that right. because it, it's it, mainly gone now. Right, even just burning it to a CD and sticking it in a closet somewhere and eventually finding it. It's just gone. And, and we don't think about it back then because we were all young in our 20s. We're not thinking about this type of shit. Uh, you know, it, who cares? Who's, who's going to care about this later on? Well, <laughs> well It's <laughs> not we like are. now where everyone's, you know, drafting their stuff and Google Drive and whatever. Yeah, it's yeah. just it's just a t- the times change, but but yeah, I mean, it was a very interesting time in uh, indie wrestling when you had CZW, XPW, Ring of Honor, Three PW, all these shows trying to run in Philadelphia. Well, here's the thing, though, it was not some big war until XPW came in and started offering guys money to exclusively work for them. Yeah, there was no big war. It was XPW getting the exclusive on ECW Arena. And doing that and getting guys who you would, you know, consider loyalists to the incumbent promotions like a Justice Pain to a jump ship. Um, I mean, we dis- we discussed the Messiah thing on the show in the past. You know, yeah. the whole thing with Messiah and Rob Black, him going to CCW and all that. We talked about that. And I mean, there there's a lot. There's a lot that was going on. Yes, and uh, for what it's worth, timeline-wise, the raid of the Extreme Associates office by the federal government is April 8th. Yeah. So So that's coming right up. Um, The arena show, I remember watching the TV, and they had drawn fairly well in Philly previously. It looks like there are 200 or less people at the arena for that last show. Yeah. Which is also the only show, if I remember right— that has any presence of the XPW developmental promotions <laughs> that were started, yes. which was announced a few weeks earlier at the uh, 300th IWA Mid-South show. And Chris Hero appears on that Philly show uh, defending, I think, defending the IWA title against Salem, which was Crowbar's name there. And you could just things were not going in a good direction. So, okay, wait, the developmental promotions were... IWA Mid-South, Heritage Championship Wrestling in Philly, and what was the third? CCW in Evansville? Yes. Okay. What a weird... Like, that's something that no one remembers because it just came and went right before they closed. And nothing really came Mm -hmm. of it. And only Mm -hmm. IWA actually did anything with them. Mm -hmm. And it's also, in a way, it's a little bit of a shame as a fan just because... Once Shane Douglas got rid of the bullshit as the booker, and when I say bullshit, I mean that, like, there was still stuff when he was booker, like, shooting uh, Angel with the uh, tranquilizer dart and making him fall off the scaffold and stuff like that. But once he kind of boiled it down to normal wrestling, the Shane Douglas booked XPW was very good. It was entertaining. (laughs) Absolutely. It was completely different from the previous XPW, but it was a perfectly fine wrestling show. And I think they run one other weekend in the L.A. area after this in the next few weeks, and that's it. Yeah. Well, now they're back, though. 
I would say until now, Bex. Yes. <laughs> yes, indeed. And they're using their old tactics too. <laughs> they Rob is just kind of. All right. Well, we you know we had this discussion about uh, state athletic commissions. Well, the Sandman had a run in with the Pennsylvania State Athletic Commission, another notorious one. They suspended the Sandman for stripping down during the show in December. He had a hearing on February 21st, so he could work the February 22nd IWC show in Butler, Pennsylvania, but was turned down. Well, I guess he did not have Tommy Dreamer there to uh, cup his balls to uh, <laughs> keep their license from being suspended or whatever he did at that ECW show. Cup his balls. <laughs> I mean, isn't that literally what happened? Yeah, that's what happened, yeah. Goodness gracious. Well, yeah. All right, speaking of the IWC in Butler, they ran Hyman Hall on February 22nd in Butler, Pennsylvania. We have a uh, friend of the show, Norm Connors, is IWC as well. Uh, we had uh, Carlton Kaz over one of my favorite indie names of the era, Al B. Dam. <laughs> D-A-M-M. Love it. The Mysterious X over Spider-Mask. IWC World Heavyweight title match as Jimmy Vegas, and yes, the S is a dollar sign, retained over Trevor Lowe by disqualifications. Disqualification, excuse me. Fans bring the weapons match. T-Rantula defeated Seth James. Dean Radford defeated Sterling James Keenan, who you see every Monday night on Raw. And as announcer, Corey Graves, IWC tag titles match, even though, well, this is a funky way they did this here. They did this wrong. But anyway, there's a titles match where you had JT Rogers, Eric X to see, and it says, and Sabu defeated Devil Budokan and Glenn Spector with the champions and Jake Garrett. Okay, so what I'm guessing this is, is a trios match where if the the champions team lose JT Rogers and Eric Ecstasy win the titles. I would think the tag team of sexual harassment and what a team they were. <laughs> they were something else. And then Raven over Steve Carino in the main event. Hmm. I tell you one thing I love about this era of indie wrestling, Dan is you have these super promotions, not ring of honor or such. But you also had the, the regional indies like IWC and ECWA and even, you know, USA Pro in New York. I mean, so you have your groups where you have your, your core local talent and you have the big names come in and they'll work around them or they'll have a spotlight main event. I love that. Instead of these days where you really don't have that anymore in, a, in ways that it's all a big crew. You know, it's all the same people or such that are going around doing different things. I, I love this era a lot because you have this localized variety going on. Uh, yeah. And it made for, you know, interesting and unique matches for sure. Like you would, you'd have sometimes like you would have a name pop up on an IWC show and, you know, like a, like a punk or a hero or a cabana or a Christopher Daniels. And you, you know, oh, okay, I'll check that show out. And then that's how you discover guys like, you know, uh, Shima Zion or Super mm -hmm. Hentai or, um, I'm trying Shirley to think of some other Pittsburgh. Orion. Yeah. Orion. Uh, yeah. And that's IW, yeah. that's just IWC. <laughs> yeah. 
you know, that's, I mean, that's, you, just one, that's just one example, but yeah, I mean, uh, for sure. That was, I mean, you still get it to uh, some extent there, there are definitely regional guys who don't break out uh, of their region as much as maybe they should. Um, and you know, maybe they'll get the opportunity when, uh, when a name comes to town. And honestly, that's, that's kind of my story up until a certain point, but, uh, but yeah, it, nowadays you definitely do get, you know, certainly with groups like GCW and ICW who run all over the country and bring their entire crews with them. Um, there's a little bit less of that going on. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's just different. GCW lately has been doing a little bit better of a job, I think, of incorporating local flavor onto some of the. Like, they, they definitely. Like regular when, when they've worked with. When they've worked with local promotions like New South in in Alabama, or um, you know, when they've worked you know in promotions in in Indiana, or even when they work on the West Coast, you see, you know, names that don't necessarily pop up on your your uh, average GCW show who are maybe more lo- local to the West Coast. So, yeah, I mean, they they do uh, they it's not like it's totally foreign to them for sure, but but uh, this is it's kind of a, a unique thing back to to this era yeah where you would see like talent that only time you would see them was for that one promotion yeah you know something like that that's what i mean so you would see like a dennis gregory in iwc or uh you know ken sweeney just a, a name for example in usa pro or somebody like that you just well, thought you ken really sweeney was the a guy who may not have been trained who printed the posters, and that's how he got It's on just show. a name, Bix. It's just a name. <laughs> I threw it out there because it came in my mind. <laughs> I didn't say it was good. I didn't say it was a name that, I did, you, would just, that you would only see on, on yes. a certain promotion. Yes, yes. Um, I, uh, I, I, uh, I like, would rather uh, you mention someone ba- good. Bassman's, UP, Bassman's UPW. I mean, you had the talent you would only see there, like Mikey Henderson and fucking Billy Kim. And I mean, it's just, it's just... It's just different people that you just see only in these specific groups. So. Yeah, I mean, I guess there are still some places that do more of the older style of like mostly locals with some names sprinkled in. Like West Coast Pro, I feel like has kind of they haven't been loading up as much with bigger names lately. So I feel like they've been doing a little bit more of that. Um, I feel like I should be able to think of more. You know, you see it. You see it more with Southern Indies these days than you do with other regions. Yeah, but even then, in your Southern Indies, though, a lot of them are all the the same guys that are just going to promotion from to promotion. Yeah. You know. So, anyway, all right. Uh, ECWA at St. Matthew's Parish Hall in Wilmington, Delaware, on February twenty second. We have Joey and Johnny Max over at Divine Storm, Chris Divine and Quiet Storm in your opener. Thunder and Zero, X-Zero, uh, won a no-DQ match over Mozart Fontaine and Tyler Payne. Wait, wait that's who Zero News is. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. And then we have this one. An evening gown match for the ECWA Mid-Atlantic Heavyweight title as the Japanese pool boy retained over Mr. Ooh-la-la. <laughs> Not the one we talked about earlier who's been on this podcast, though. No, oh my god! Yeah, I think I've I've seen this. I've seen this before, and I mean, it's been a long time. But man, that is comedy right there. I don't remember seeing this show, but I feel like I saw that match. It definitely seems very familiar. 
a four-way elimination match for the tag titles as Ace, Darling, and Stryker, yes, Matt Stryker, uh, defeated the SATs, Joel and Jose Maximo, who were the champions, the Hit Squad, Mafia, Mastamac, and Mega and Prince Nana to become the champions. And this is um, large black eye in a suit Mega, not uh, Lucha Mega or any other Mega. Well, of course not. <laughs> of course it ain't that guy. <laughs> Uh, then you had a six-man Prince of Darkness Battle Royal won by Boogie Woogie Brown. Loser leaves ECWA match as the Cheetah Master beat Xavier. Got a fuzzy dice on a pole match. What? Inferno and Roughhouse Rivera over Billy Bax and Rob Echoes. And then our main event, a three-way Iron Man match for the ECWA World Heavyweight title as Christopher Daniels retained over Low-Key and Mike Cruel. So wait a second, I just realized something. Is Rob Echoes still in WWE? Yes. When was he last on TV? Um, he was in a thing with Von Wagner uh, the other other week. He's still there. Is he still doing a Tony Khan parody gimmick? He's Robert Stone. I mean, he's not. He's basically just a manager. Okay, that's what he is. But yes, ECWA always an interesting Mm -hmm. mix because like you have your like hot work rate indie names. And sometimes they're mixing in with the others, but it's mostly among themselves and maybe some, you know, other Northeast guys who might fit in like my cruel. And then it's just your usual Delaware uh, folk on the undercard. Like I was saying, yes. (laughs) No, but I mean, in ECWA, though, there was something about it that felt different because like you had all the weird comedy gimmicks and stuff, you know. Well, it was definitely more of a localized deal there. Right. And I'm sure Dan knows nothing about having serious technical matches on top with weird comedy underneath. <laughs> <laughs> we we weren't having a discussion about this before before Chris joined us on the call or anything like that. But yeah, that's <laughs> definitely hasn't been my mo for the last five years. And and ECW to this day still running, still doing the Super Eight every year. That's yeah. Well, there are three yeah. Super Eights now. There's the regular, you know, mostly men Super Eight, the women's Super Eight, and the tag team Super Eight. And that was a big deal every year. In fact, uh, one Chance Beckett made a name for himself at the ECW Super A, one of uh, the Western Canadians' finest there. It was at the O3 Super 8, right? Yeah. That was the O3 Super 8. I think Casino was in maybe O2. Um, And then obviously, you know, the big one is O1 with, you know, Danielson um, uh, and Key and those guys breaking out. Absolutely, yes. Yes, it was uh, fun stuff. Beckett, I think, it was that his mouth got, like, busted open bad in the first round, right? And then he came back for the semis. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. But just also had a really good performance as well. Yeah. All right. Dusty Rose's son, Cody Runnels, high school record is now up to 42-0 and this season. He's favored to win the Georgia State title at 189 pounds. That was during our week. Let's flash a week later. Cody Runnels, Dusty's son, who's a high school junior, did win the Georgia State High School Championship at 189 over the weekend, finishing the season with a 48-0 record. After winning, Runnels hugged both his father and Diamond Dallas Page. So there you go. 20 years ago, young Cody, uh, junior in high school, winning uh, state championships. He was legit, folks. I remember remember this well. I remember when he was... uh, 
coming up. I mean, he was getting uh, news coverage and stuff, and uh, yeah, Cody's and he, a, real, a real deal. He had a bunch of scholarship offers, but I think, it, if I remember right, he just didn't want to do it. Well, I mean, he didn't want to really go into wrestling. I mean, he did his acting school stuff, and, you know, it did, it wasn't until a couple of years later, you know, once he got out of high school, and, and so does Oates a little bit, that he decided he wanted to get in the business. Although he did but, do his uh, refereeing and turnbuckle. Uh, well, that's before this. Previously. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's before this, so... If if Jeff Jarrett was Jeffrey Leonard at the beginning, does that mean that Cody was Cody Garrett? <laughs> I don't even know what name he used back in those days. But I mean, uh, Kevin Christian Lawler. Yeah. You know, Jeffrey Leonard Jarrett, Cody Garrett Reynolds. It's possible. Yeah. Well, you definitely knew he was Dusty's kid. <laughs> There's no, there was no debating that. <laughs> so, yeah. All right, uh, staying in Georgia, NWA Wildside Wrestling. NWA Arena Cornelia on February 15th. We have Scott Cage and Chaos over the Elite Swingers Incorporated, Michael Adrian and Scott E. Smooth. Of course, Wait, Michael you... Adrian is Ma- Michael Judas. <laughs> I was just about to say, because you didn't do it with your usual rhythm. Oh, for once, you did a, you, a Michael Adrian result without saying it's Michael Judas, but you did anyway. The Lost Boys, Azrael and Gabriel, defeated the Palm Beach Boys, John Holcomb and Scott Ross. Jeff Bailey's NWA Elite, Onyx and Jeff Lewis over Murder One and Big Dog. Then we had a best of five series at this time. This is a match number three of the series. Jimmy Rave and Todd Sexton went to a 10-minute draw in their series. We had a bookhouse street fight for the Wildside Tag Titles as Scotty Ren and Tank retained over the Dobbins brothers, Jason and Chad. Jorge Estrada retained the NBA North America title, beating Damian Dynamite. Future shot, Brandon P. and Jay Freeze over J.C. North, Mr. Delicious, Matt Griffin, and Dagon Briggs. Hot Stuff Fernandez won a 17-man Mega Rumble featuring B.A.D., Brandon Knight, Chris Kamikaze, Don Juan, Fast Eddie, Big Henry Haas, Jeff Lewis, Jeremy V., Kid Cole, Masada, not Mazada, uh, Rudy Boy Gonzalez, Salvatore Renaro, and Slim J, among others. Not ma- named. And uh, our main event, Rayman and Iceberg over, over Tony Mamaluke and David Young. So, uh, it's looking wild side show here. Yeah. 2003. We got Matt here. We've got uh, the other Azrael, who, d- who did spell yeah. it differently. In fairness, it's not like the two homicides spelled it differently before the Georgia one became murder one. The, the two Azraels did spell it differently. Um, Tank is back to still wrestling occasionally. Well, he's on, around a lot, he says, yeah. Well, I say, I, he's, he's on shows. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, well, relatively speaking, it's occasional, but you know what I mean. <laughs> Relative to someone who retired, you know, five years ago, it's not occasional at all. Um, there was someone else. Uh, well, what's know, a Slim retirement J- wrestling? You know, Slim J is a trust buster, of course. Um, yeah, 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 he is. We have Fast Eddie, who was legally blind. Um, okay, I'll use that as uh, to ask Dan. So, how much of your style comes from, besides just being a fan of it, also the degree to which you cannot see without your glasses? Uh, you know what? I've been asked that question before, and I, I've, I don't know if there's a correlation. Like. Um, 
I don't think it was uh, a conscious decision to, to work that style. Um, I think it was just uh, a personal desire and, and, and that's what interested me. But because like I'll, I'll go off the top rope, I'll do topes, I'll do all sorts of things. And I don't know if I'm legally blind, but I'm pretty darn close to it if I'm not. Um, so, yeah. And like, uh, I mean, Fast Eddie was kind of a high flyer, too. Right. So, um, yeah, yeah, I. Uh, oh, he do a side moonsaults and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I, I, I've always been meaning to ask you this, Dan. To uh, you know, Big Spot this up. Do you ever watch any of George Weingross matches? I have not. That's a name I know probably from listening to you guys. But uh... that's somebody you need to check out just to watch him because George Weingroff is blind. Oh wow! <laughs> and watch watch how he worked because he his especially world class. Watch him in world class because that's when he really got he got even like a, a little mid-card push in world class the way he worked his matches compared to everybody else everybody had to work differently because he worked from the opposite side oh interesting you you need to watch his stuff he's got match i know there's a match with him and jake that was really really different and good him and coco had a match against each other check out george weingross stuff i, I think you'd be interested to see that how a guy who I mean, was like I said, legit blind. He could see a little bit, but I mean, not much. And how he how he worked back then. I mean, I, I, he was a really good talent. And they emphasized that, his amateur background a bit too, so he absolutely. had a fairly mat based style. Yes, but they also talk about him. They, I mean, they came out and said, "Yeah, he's blind." <laughs> it's something that was acknowledged. Yeah, it'll also always stick with me going to. Dan at the gimmick table after the first pizza party show uh, four years ago during Mania Week, and and I I noticed that you would immediately put the glasses back on, and I said something, and I don't remember exactly what you said your visual acuity was without the glasses, but I always remember Aubrey Edwards standing next to you and her reaction to you saying it being holy shit. <laughs> yeah, I you know what I've I've been wearing glasses uh, since I was seven. And uh, I just I, I never was interested in wearing contacts and I just learned to wrestle, you know, right from the get go without having a vision. And so I've just always been able to do it. And it's it's never really been an issue. And so, yeah, it's um, it, it, it is what it is. I mean, it w- wouldn't be beneficial to me if I ever wanted a job in television wrestling. I know that. But uh, but for what I'm doing, I'm, I'm doing just fine. And I was as as you started reading off these uh, results, I, I kind of looked ahead, hoping to see our our friend JC North, and there he is. Not that he would go on to do anything or you know be influential <laughs> in my career whatsoever. But uh, hey, Action Wrestling is worldwide now. We're gonna have a, a Action Wrestling Championship match for WXW. I I knew about that before it was being announced. I got I got the tip off on that one. So very very exciting to see those two guys and. And both guys have wrestled, uh, you know, Jaden and, uh, and Adam, Adam Priest, who's legit, one of the best independent wrestlers in the world right now. And uh, very excited for them to get uh, a worldwide platform to do what they do. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, props to, to Matt and everybody in Action Wrestling for uh, becoming worldwide now. They can actually claim being world champions. So good for yeah. them. I mean, that match 
I would think since it's a WXW show and they still have their WWE deal for now, I, I would think that match will end up airing on the award-winning WWE Network and Peacock. <laughs> Even better. <laughs> I, I, th- I think it will eventually. I mean, they're they're a little bit behind getting that stuff up on the network, but uh, like a six-month delay or something like that. But, uh, but yeah, that'll be cool. I've had matches of mine from there show up on the network and – the most random people in my life will bring it up to me. So it's, <laughs> it, you know, it, the, it, as big as, you know, certain independents and AEW and, and all that stuff can, can be for you. There's still, there is no, no, um, equivalent to getting, you know, that WWE kind of exposure to, you know, that's oh, a name. That, that's a name that, uh, you know, everyone's mom and and uncle and whoever that's a name that's still is ubiquitous that people know right so so i'm saying you type your name in the search bar and there it is i'm look i'm on w network you know it's like yeah that is that is cool absolutely yeah yeah for sure all right let's go to religion now as sting nikita (laughs) koloff and ted dibiase's christian play on pro wrestling took place on february 22nd for ten thousand people at the forum in tampa as part of a Christian youth convention where Sting gets confronted by Ted DiBiase and Nikita Koloff, playing heels, trying to lure him using the demons of his past like drugs and greed. Sting refuses to give in to the temptation in the play and gets attacked, in this case by local wrestlers Frankie Capone, Rod Steele, Ron Nemi, and touring regular George South. He commits his life to Christianity, which leads to Koloff attacking and putting him in a chain. Sting ends up breaking free and using a baseball bat to clean house and everyone. You have to figure out the message because they lost Dave with the baby face using a baseball bat as a weapon because this is not supposed to represent the negative elements of pro wrestling. <laughs> yeah, that is a weird deal, part of the deal, but it's Sting and his baseball bat is his gimmick. So Okay, so wait a second. DiBiase is obviously offering him greed. Does this mean that Nikita Koloff in character is offering him drugs? <laughs> oh, it's just love of time. I want to do some sobas. <laughs> no, he's he's offering them those sweet Soviet uh, steroids. That... <laughs> yeah, I guess so. But these, I mean, these things were a big deal in the 2000s, and then a lot of people went. You know, yeah, they're very successful. They taped one the, of these for TV, there, didn't they? Yes. Do exist of any of this? Yeah, the, yeah, there was one that aired on. Uh, I think it was TBN, TBN, right? Yeah, yeah. Let me. See. I'm curious if that's on YouTube. So, what would I look Sting, up? Sting, Sting had his. Uh, I know he had his TBN movie. Uh, oh, his his uh, biopic. Uh, where yeah, I guess it was. Let's see, Sting. Yeah. TBN. And to be clear, though, these were not. I don't remember if they were in a wrestling ring, but um. Of course, Sting interviewed Shawn Michaels on TBN. How can I forget that one? It wasn't a wrestling ring like, uh, what was the Russo one called? The Russo one was an actual wrestling promotion. Yeah, I can't remember what it's called. Oh, boy. Oh, Ring of Glory, yes. Um, We have one on YouTube. Obviously not going to play the whole thing. It's 40 minutes, but I want to see this. Acquire the Fire. Where's the RCA Dome? Oh, Indianapolis. Okay. And, And you know what else? We're supposed to be frightened because this is his army. <laughs> oh, we do have a ring. You yes. mean to tell me this buck 
This pack of idiots? Yes, you. No, 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 no. No, no. Not this pack of idiots. You see, you know what that? They don't have a clue. They don't have a clue, Dad. This pack of idiots. Yes. They're not strong enough. <laughs> you know what? You know what? Hey, 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 hey! Is someone feeding them lines in the headset, and that's why this is so <laughs> awkward? Yes, I think so. You're all a bunch of weak Christians. That's what you are. Chitota. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we would have expelled Jesus from, for, for being a Jew in Russia. <laughs> oh, let's get to the let's get to some payoff here. Let, let's get to a babyface comeback, Vix. Wait, who's this? <laughs> I'm assuming this is part of another religious event. I'm afraid you're right, but oh no! Anger. Oh, we have different symbols and stuff. That still leaves the question: Sting, where are you? Yeah. Where, where are you, Sting? Show your face, Sting! Where are you? I hope you didn't call me a coward! Okay, this is clearly part of a larger religious event at the TWA Dome, or, or RCA Dome, because the crowd is massive. Who are you to call me Wait a, minute. a coward? That's a high crowd, though. <laughs> and they're on a stage. But it's a way on Pyro. Shut up! Sting's got his headset, too. He's got the real estate Steve haircut. See, I came here for one reason. And one reason only, I've seen your way, the way that was supposed to give me everything I ever wanted. Well, it didn't. All it did was torment me, and it tormented my family. And tonight, I'm going to end it. <laughs> Keith Mitchell producing this? I'm going to end it tonight. This is the most normal guy haircut that Sting has ever had in his life. I was going to say, he's got a slick haircut. <laughs> he looks like, well, he looks like 90, early 96 Sting, in a way. When he but started shorter. letting his hair grow a little bit. Yeah, it's shorter, but it's that same it's a little bit shorter, style. But yeah, I, it's, it's similar, and it's dark, like it was then. Yeah. One minute, he says, let me tell you something. It gave you everything that money could buy, and most things that it couldn't. It gave you fame and fortune and the applause of millions. That's right. So they're actually good with their cutting promos. Give it to me. I'll take it. Well, you can have it all right because I don't want it. You're not mad enough to give it up. (laughs) He grabs DiBiase by the lapels. Nikita starts acting like he's going to jump in, and then watching this, you immediately remember, oh, right, Sting is the only one here without a Lloyds of London settlement. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yes. Sting is the only one here who, who can take a bump without getting sued. Yes. You know what? Maybe you're right. Because I don't know who I am anymore. I don't even know what I want. But I know what I don't want. And I don't want you. How is this going to go on for 40 minutes? You're back on us, Sting. We'll keep it fast forward. Okay. Let's see. We got more talking. More talking. Oh, my God. Oh, we're about to have the the, eyes. So the Sins are about to uh, get involved. Keep going. Keep going. Well, no, they did get involved. That's what I'm saying. I'm trying to find. Or they start surrounding the. They get on the apron. So let's see. Powerful who can afford to lose themselves like this. Oh, hey, hey, hey. Speaking of power, we've got power and we've got anger, Sting. You see, you ruled your world with these. See? See what I mean? Yep. You knock you out. You ruled your world with these two Sting. Nothing keeps your friends around like fear. (laughs) (laughs) So you see, Sting, you've got to admit it. These friends of yours. Is that a smoke machine? Is it raining? What is happening? It's a smoke machine. And they made your life. Why now? Amazing. Fast forward. Yeah, what? I don't understand. There's a lot more talking. I know, it's four, almost 40 minutes All right, now. they're in the ring. Right, they got Sting, they're beating hey, him up. Back okay. off! Back off! Back away! Yes! I want to get a glimpse I of the hardcore giant. Where is this he? End. Three. Back away. I'm at the end of my rope. All the cheers, all the money, and the fame. It means nothing, and it did nothing for me. Lord, I need to know if you can. See, Lord, I know I can be strong with you in my life. There's the bat. Right here. God, I need you right now. Oh, oh fire shoot. There we go. <laughs> the ring goes. George South getting hit. This is the Matrix. Do something. Do something. I'm going to get you. Do something. It is not by might and not by power, but by the spirit of the living God. Do something. But this thing is only half hour over. Oh, Nikita just hit him. I guess Nikita can touch Sting. Get him. Up oh, there's the chain. There's the chain. I can't breathe. I can't. That's right. Oh, yeah, we know you can't breathe because you're talking. Remember, remember this thing. No matter what your God does for you. These chains of sin will always be with you. Isn't there a version of this, too, where he converts Nikita at the end, too? That's probably it. Okay. Because, yeah, I mean, we're only half over, so... Okay. Let's see. Once he breaks the chains and so... 
Okay, no, this is them coming out of character and speaking, I think. Yeah. And, okay, Ted, so that's... Nikita. That's why this is so long. Share for a couple minutes about what God did in their lives. Okay. So... Yeah. they got okay. testimonies coming okay. up now. Okay, so here's the thing I don't understand. I get yeah. the sharing your testimony thing, at, you know, as there is at the end. But what is the point of spending 20 minutes trying to deliver the message to the people who are, are already there? I mean, there you you have visitors, Bix. There are people that, that would attend events like this because Sting's there. Okay. And you're trying to convert them. I mean, you're trying to... You're trying to, you know, get them to get salvation. You know, you're trying to save them. You know, that's that's the thing. You have these events like this, especially with names like this that were big names in, you know, pop culture or whatever that have uh, converted. And, you know, you they do these types of events. They use their name value. And that's what happens. You know, just because you have an event like this, not everybody in there is going to be a believer. Hmm. I mean, you, you that, that's the thing. I mean, you look at like you watch those little Billy Graham crusades, you know, where they're packing out, you know, soccer stadiums and stuff. And, you know, you see the altar call and just see all these people oh, just I come down to, you know, try to accept God. You know, I mean, it's just it's just the way it is. It's, it's, it's what it is. You know, it's just to try to convert people that aren't that aren't, you know, believers. So who would do the wrestling version of this if Jews proselytized? If you, uh, <laughs> Lanny Poffo until a week well, ago. Raven. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, I, I would think you have to find somebody that maybe wasn't <laughs> problematic. <laughs> Dean Malenko. <laughs> Dean Malenko is probably a good one. I mean, you don't he's, hear anything about, about Dean Malenko. He's not flashy enough, though. He's he's too boring. No. Um, no. Uh, Saul Weingroff when he was alive. <laughs> is he Slapowitz? <laughs> I don't know, but yeah, that's interesting. I mean, those are, like I said, those are big deals. Back Eddie Creature. So. Uh, Leslie Saul Creature. Yes. Um, <laughs> I mean, Paul Paul Heyman. Paul Heyman. <laughs> As a Jew. <laughs> so, yeah. Anyway, all right. IWA Mid South. No, no. Yeah. You would have Lanny Poffo in the Sting role, and it would be like, I was sitting, I was performing <laughs> audio auto fellatio in front of arena rats. <laughs> Lord. Now it may not uh, be a crime it? unless you do it in a playground or a schoolyard. Or whatever his line was, but you get the idea. All right, right Lanny so, Poffo. <laughs> yes. All right, so I never mid south. Let's talk about them. Uh, they had yes, a, a promotion that is not uh, going to do a, a whole bunch of Christian testimony and all that. I'm guessing. IWA Arena on February 15th. We have uh, in Clarksville. We have Steve Stone over Adam Gooch. I never missed off the title. Nate Webb retained them over Mark Wolf. Danny Daniels over Michael Todd Stratton. CM Punk over J.C. Bailey. Fans bring the weapons. Corporal Robinson over Two Tough Tony as your main event. But then the Ultra Styles Clash weekend on uh, February 21st and the 22nd in Clarksville, Dada Arena. 
doubleheader. First night drew 120 fans. As we had Jimmy Jacobs over Alex Shelley. Rolling hard over Steve Stone. Ken Anderson. Yes, him over Austin Aries. That's a match. Jerry Lynn over Danny Daniels. Jorge Estrada over Truth Martini. Three-way Drake Younger over Sharp Boy and Simon Says. More on that in a minute. Handicap match. Ian Rotten and J.C. Bailey over Michael Todd Stratton. Adam Gooch, Too Tough Tony. Colt Cabana over Chris Saban. Texas Death Match. Bullpain over Copa Robinson. Hey, Colt Cabana would be the guy that'd be the, the Jewish staying. There you go. Uh, <laughs> CM Punk over Jimmy Rave. A Steel. 68 Steel over AJ Styles. And then a three-way death match. Man Man Pondo over Nate Webb and Rick Matrix. Oh, boy. Um, can you imagine Cabana in that role? Uh, I was so <laughs> down on my luck. I shared a bank account with my mother. And you know what that <laughs> says about me. <laughs> CM Punk would be the devil to him, that's for sure. So there you go. No, but Punk <laughs> Punk would be like the devil on Homer's shoulder and be like do, doing the I am evil Homer thing. Like <laughs> So the next night featured the sick move of the week. That's four hundred and fifty fans in Clarsville. Man Man Pondo superplexed JC Bailey off a scaffold and both took a bump into a net of barbed wire. Neither was seriously injured. Also during the match, Bailey did a senton off the scaffold onto Pondo in the net. Both need assistance to get free from the barbed wire to continue the match. Pondo also delivered a Russian leg sweep. They both took, up, took the fall off the scaffold into the barbed wire and got some nasty puncture wounds out of that. We'll talk more about this as we fin- do the show here. Adam Gooch over Chris Cole in your opener. Mean and hard. Mitch Page and Roland Hart over Steve Stone and Devin Fury. Mitch Ryder over Mark Wolf. Terry the Great over Simon Says. Danny Daniels over Jimmy Rave. Bullpain over Rick Matrix. Jorge Estrada retained the American title, being Tracy Smothers. Ian Rotten over Michael Todd Stratton. Nate Webb retained the IBM Mid-South Lightweight title, being M-Dog 20. Matt Cross. AJ Styles over Colt Cabana. And the Circus Deathmatch, Man Man Pondo over J.C. Bailey. And this was pretty famous at the time. Yes. Uh, I never get to watch this for the first time and just go, oh, my God. I mean, this is when J.C. Bailey... Starts really making a name for himself for uh, all the insane shit he was doing. Yes. Um, so, yeah, let's start with that. So, this was supposed to be an actual circus death match like the ones in Big Japan. Um, where you would have a scaffold over a ring with a net of barbed wire, you know, wh- you know, kind of wound through it. Um, the story at the time, as it was explained to me, was that Ian was at least claiming that uh, Home Depot did not deliver all of the scaffold materials in time. So you had scaffolding set up next to the ring, so they couldn't really do a match. They did three spots going into the wall. Um, but it was still insane, and, like, the thing was, too, you know, kind of a shame that he didn't get to do the proper version, but, like, that was Pondo's dream at the time, was to do the circus death match in a U.S. ending. Well, he worked big Japan, you know, and wanted to bring that in and bring that style in. Yeah. And JC, you know, for as much as people talk understandably about the tragedy of his death and about his, you know, deathmatch style stuff, he was a lot more than crazy shit. He was turning into a hell of a worker in this period. Yeah. You know, he was 
training with Hero before every show that Hero was there, which also that's interesting to look at here that Hero is not on any of these shows. The champion is not on any of these shows we have here because he's booked elsewhere. Um, I think he's in Europe. Okay. Well, wait, was the, wait, so the 15th was the XPW show was that night, right? Yeah. So, okay, that's not, where it was there. there on the tw- but he's not there on the 20. First, the second, because of Europe. Okay. Um, and I guess just to clear the deathmatch slate before we look at more of the cards. Um, Rick Matrix, for those who don't know, uh, Al Snow student who broke in at the same time as uh, Blue Meanie who would occasionally yeah. work IWA in this era and show up random places. So, okay, what do we have here? So if we start with the show the week before, I mean, nothing particularly notable, but a solid-looking show. I don't remember if I ever saw this one. So then we get to the Ultra Styles Clash weekend, and until seeing it here, it didn't click with me, and I double-checked to make sure. First Jimmy Jacobs-Alex Shelley match in uh, IWA Mid-South. On night one. Yep, that's the beginning of that whole deal. Absolutely. And, you know, they came into IWA more or less together, you know, linked as, you know, the Michigan kids. Alex Shelley, in the business for 10 months at the time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they were putting on these, not only, like, shockingly really good to great matches, but the thing that was really apparent watching them, especially knowing how new Shelley was, was each match was better than the last because Shelley was improving so quickly. Yeah, he was he he was a wonderkin, so to speak. He's only twenty years old here too. Yeah, yeah, he's I mean, not even twenty. He's nineteen. Oh, he's nineteen at the beginning of this. Okay, he's he's uh, late eighty three. He's only like five or six months older than me. Okay, that's right. Wow. Yeah, like, when we talk about wrestling prodigies, he needs to be listed up there. Oh, he, yeah, he's he was so good, so young. And Jacobs is no uh, old man at this point in time either, so. Yeah, and someone who it's it's nice to see, you know, I'm glad also that he made kind of a good life for himself away from wrestling with his physical therapy job. But it's also nice to see him having this last run now, and also that he and Saban, too, are getting the recognition they deserve for just how influential they've been on the style of the last 20 years. Oh, absolutely. You know, like, one match that I I thought of this last week when Impact announced the thing they're doing, which is uh, Time Machine, so Saban, Shelley, and Kushida— against uh I think Chris Bay, Ace Austin and Kenta. <laughs> While it's politically possible and physically possible, someone should try to book uh, Shelley and Saban against Kenta and Marafuji. Because I mean, talk about influence on in ring wrestling in the last twenty years. Yeah. You know, you can't really think of guys who got more copied, you know, than those two tag teams. Yeah. Um okay, so on the undercard, I forget if it's night one or night two. Um, Punk is on commentary and complains during one of the Drake Younger matches that it took him three years to get a show named after him in IWA because when Hero met Punk was the first time Punk's name was in a show title. And that was you know just a few weeks earlier. 
And AJ Styles was getting two shows named after him his first weekend in. So on commentary, Prezak, uh, and I think maybe someone else on commentary, I don't remember, keep inserting Drake Younger's name into past IWA Mid-South show titles. So we get Simply the Drake, When Drake Met Younger, King of the Drake Matches, 2003 A Drake Younger Odyssey, and my favorite, No Blood, No Guts, No Drake Younger. Yeah, I, I mean... But AJ Styles is a guy who was a national kind of name at this point in time. Right, right. No, so I know. Course, but it was, you know, I it mean, was a funny bit, on. though. That's the only reason I mentioned it. But um, so what else? Because there is a lot here. Jesus. Uh, Ken Anderson and Austin Aries is quite the battle of malcontents. Yeah. Um, Roland Hard versus Steve Stone is a match that does not age well 20 years later since you have the white guy pretending to be a black guy wrestling the guy who had a sort of implied white supremacist gimmick. Yeah. Um, Truth Martini did not wrestle a lot in IWA, if I remember right, but um, he was always good there and trying to think anything else notable. First CM Punk Jimmy Rave match in IWA, you know, would go on to be a big feud and... Or anything on also on night two. I mean, Styles. Um, the only other thing I'll say, yes, yeah, Style Styles uh, Steel is going out of your way to see from night one. Worth going out of your way, I should say. But Dan, you ever seen the Circus Death match? I think that's the only thing I've seen from this show. If I'm being honest, I know my we my friends and I probably went out of our way to see it because. We love the Big Japan one, and we're shocked to see anyone in North America attempt to pull it off. Um, it's crazy. I I think it's on IWTV. Um, yeah, I, it's yeah, pretty like sure five, it is. It's only like five minutes long because yeah, like Big said, it's literally they fight up the scaffold, they take a bump, and uh, then they do it two more times. <laughs> but it's it's worth going out of your way to check out because it's it's wild for sure and. I don't know if anyone – I mean people have done – I know uh, Prestige here in the Northwest have done like a, a trampoline frame that they've replaced the trampoline with barbed wire um, fairly recently for a, a Drexel-Akira match. But I don't know if I've seen anyone subsequently do a Circus Death match anywhere in the world for that matter. Yeah, it's definitely an interesting gimmick that uh, – it was definitely memorable for those of us at the time. That's for sure. Man, very, very, a match that people were going out of their way to try to get a hold of. So, uh, yeah, that, yeah. if you haven't seen that, yeah, check out IWTV. It should be on there. And uh, watch that insanity. Good Lord of mercy. All right. Now, you notice there were a couple of things missing from the second show that was on the first show. Well, there's a reason why. As we go to Harley Race's World League Wrestling on February 22nd, Nelda, Missouri. We had a tag title tournament going on as uh, Trevor Rhodes and Wade Chisholm won a semifinal over Tim Warcloud and Jason Bates. Josh Besor and Mark Goddicker defeated Law Dog and T-Money in another semifinal. Miss Natural beat Wendy Rimmer. Oh, come on. That's then we had... last name. <laughs> there, there, there's no way that's not a terrible rib at best, right? There's no way I, that she was given that name completely innocently. <laughs> I guess CM Punk over 68 Steel. So they're, they're working for Harley on the, the 22nd. And then they had the tournament final, which was Josh B. Mark Goddicker over Trevor Rhodes and Wade Chisholm. 
And our main event, Buff Bagwell or a Bull Schmidt. Sure. Why not? Um, <laughs> so Trevor Rhodes, of course, is Trevor Murdoch. Um, Wade Chisholm is the answer to the trivia question, who was Kenta Kavashi's opponent in his first match in the United States? Yeah. Because he wrestled him a week before Joe. Um, Ace, I don't think, is working for Harley at the school and moving to Eldon yet. But I think that's not that long after this. Um, and I have no idea what happened to Mark Ottaker and Josh Besor, but they were really promising. You know, when you would occasionally see WLW tapes or when they'd show up in IWA. But a lot of those Harley students just disappeared over time. Yeah, they did. They just worked as a little territory, a little promotion, and that was it. Yeah. Well, at least so. Miss Natural got to wrestle someone other than Heather Steele for once. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Uh, yeah, I mean, people ever want to wonder why Shimmer was such a godsend for the women's scene in the U.S.? It's because every every like region had two women generally, maybe three. So every match happened over and over. Daisy Hayes. Well, yeah, Davey, Daisy Hayes in mischief. Lacey, you know, in St. Louis. Lacey and Rain in Minnesota, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, uh, Mercedes Mont- Martinez and Trudy Campbell in New England, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. All right. Well, let's go now to the West Coast. AWS at Frankenstein City in Industry, California on February 15th. We had Street Style over El Gallinero number four. Rosa Salvaje over Black Angel. Super bad. Scott Lost and Silver Tiger, T-Y-G-E-R, over Jackal, Black Metal, and Ghetto Matt. King Fabiano over Scorpio Sky. Yep, that's Scorpio Sky. Asaro Dorado and Gringo Loco went to a no contest with Los Chivos, Anima de Oro, and Cayam. Fang and an unnamed partner defeated Steve Payne and Chippy Sanchez. B-Boy and Lil Cholo, the cartel, defeated Los Luchas, Zocre and Phoenix Star. Mysterioso over Piloto Suicida and La Parca and Felino over Hardcore Kid Aaron Aguilera and The Punisher. Hmm. Uh, black Metal, the uh, jacked tall white guy in IWRG in this era, but probably better known to some listeners of this show as Jake on the High Spots message boards. I just wonder how many people actually remember that. <laughs> I'm kidding, but... Um, uh, I mean, that's a long time ago. Yeah. B-Boy and Cholo still going, and both still really, really good. Yeah. Yeah. I As underrated as B-Boy, I think, has been long-term, Lil Cholo is a guy who I've wondered about if he traveled, what kind of career he would have had. Well, he's, he's like we talked about there earlier, you know? This guy that was just a SoCal, mainly SoCal guy, just stayed in SoCal. Yeah. You know, and yeah. The B-Boy, you know, broke out and then traveled. So, yeah, I mean, again, it's just these, some of these regional talents. Like the Los Luchas, Los Chivos, they just were SoCal guys and basically stayed in SoCal. Good talents. Well, Ch- the Chivos were originally uh, El Paso Juarez guys, right? Um, I think so, but they just they set up home in SoCal. Yeah. And no, this is not Chicago current Gringo Loco. No. All right, uh, Roland Alexander's All Pro Wrestling. Scorpio Sky in your opener in APW Garage February 22nd in Hayward beating Sean Riddick. Scott Lawson, Joey Ryan, the Lost uh, Boys of her Psycho Seth and Venice the Menace. 
<laughs> Jardy France over Silver Tiger. James Watkins won a handicap match. Well, James Watkins and Larry Blackwell won a handicap match over Steve Rizzono. Oh. Cheerleader Melissa won a three-way over Desire and Nikki. Bobby Quantz beat Little Cholo. And James Choi won the APW Worldwide Internet title beating Excalibur. Huh. Not a bad-looking show, although some things I would definitely never want to watch. Um, do either of you know who Psycho Seth is? No. No okay. clue. That would be uh, the future Simon Gotch, Simon Grimm. Well, how about that? Oh, there you go. Uh, I knew he was a SoCal guy, but I didn't realize he... Did he start up in, in NorCal, or is he just... I believe coming so, up with the rest yes. Of hmm. Yeah. But here, here we, I mean, here we, here we have the, we have some of the SoCal guys coming up to Roland, and that happened. I mean, yeah. there was a little crossover going on. Yes, especially in this era where you would see, you know, Super Dragon, Excalibur, Lost Boys, Joe, occasionally. It, it, this was the period where it happened most. Um, well, wait, was Quants SoCal or NorCal? He was. Okay. Oh, he was he was no cal and then he hooked up with the SoCal guys. Okay, exactly. Uh, exactly yeah, he he was a Northern California guy. Yeah, and yeah, James Choi was an APW trainee who came in under Danielson, who you know while he was around looked good. And Nikki, of course, is a uh, Sarah Del Rey. That's right. Mm-hmm. Desire, I don't remember if she becomes anyone. Um, Bobby Quantz, though, for me, is, if it's not Jason Cross, he is the what-if guy of this era. Military commitments. <laughs> I mean, he That's didn't already have them. I think he joined the military by choice instead of sticking with Brian. Yeah. But, yeah, that's what I'm saying. He chose the military. He was as talented as anyone, though. Oh, he would have been a major deal in the late 2000s or in early 2010s getting over and the P in that PWG era, he would have been one of those guys that would have, uh, if he says he stayed healthy, would have been a top indie star tour in Japan, all that stuff. He was a hell of a talent. I mean, he already had the in with new Japan. I think he did one tour, right? Maybe one. Yeah. And he definitely did stuff in CMLL. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yes. yes. Cause, uh, yes. he, he was one of the Havana pit Havana Pitbulls. As yeah. uh, Rocco. Yeah. Rocco Quants. Yes, you had uh, Rocky Romero, Ricky Reyes, uh, TJP, Kuma, and Ro yeah, Rocco Quants. California Indie scene was interesting at this time, that's for sure. Uh, a lot of stuff going on. So, um, yeah, fun time there. Now, also, speaking of California Indie scene, Tom Howard of Zero One and Matt Weiss of UPW, Horseshoe. Have cameos in the movie Daredevil. The movie Trinity of TNA was a stunt double for Jennifer Garner in. But Tom Howard got even more cameo exposure on February 17th as he was interviewed on the Joe Millionaire final episode as being a friend of Evan Marriott's, just referred to as Thomas. He was his pro wrestling trainer. That's right. That's the thing we talk about. We'll talk about uh, Joe Millionaire later in the show. But uh, yes, Evan Marriott, Joe Millionaire, was a wrestler. Yes. In UPW, <laughs> I think both before and a little bit after uh, the show. Yeah. Well, he would and, do other indies, though, as as Evan Marriott of Joe Millionaire after the show. 
But uh, yeah, there you go. So well, yeah, I also uh, realized we need to explain what Joe Millionaire was. Well, we'll talk uh, about it later in the show. We, okay, that's right. But yeah, it was this. It was here's a regular Joe who were lying to these greedy women and saying he's a millionaire when he's actually a, a sexy construction worker. <laughs> or whatever the hell it was. Um, Which was a very popular fucking show. Yes. Also, we have an instance here of the thing that appears semi-regularly at times, but not often, of Dave um, not remembering how to spell someone's name and making it more Jewish. Because that's Matt Weiss. <laughs> it's W-I-E-S-E. <laughs> and he spells it Weiss, but with an E at the end. Oh, uh, Yes. Yeah. Now we have we have this though. Uh, Joan London was on Larry King this week and said she ended up having to undergo spinal surgery. Her injury she got from wrestling training in September 2000 when she did some training at WCW Power Plant for a TV special. Yes, behind closed doors with Joan London on A and E, I believe. Um, and she sued WCW and I believe got a huge settlement. I mean, Dan. I mean, you've been involved in training people in wrestling and stuff. I mean, it's Joan London. Somebody who is, you know, a famous news personality for decades. And you're doing this. I mean, she's also almost 50 at the time this happens, too. Yes. I mean, good Lord. I've I've never seen the segment. Does she take bumps in it? She must. I don't remember her taking bumps. I remember her uh, snap mirroring Medusa. No, she took bumps. That's how she got hurt. Well, no, but did she take bumps in the segment or just in training? In training. I don't think it happened actually. I don't think it was stuff that actually aired. Okay, the whole segment yeah, I mean, is on uh, YouTube. I mean, maybe something went awry and they, they didn't uh, air it. But, I mean, that's such a liability. Like, why she agreed to do it in the first place but or why WCW, I couldn't imagine – you know, anytime like even like a local group does something with some kind of, you know, television personality or or a- anyone not from wrestling, like, yeah, you typically don't have them get physical in a ring. That just seems like you're asking for trouble. This looks to London. This looks to be her, her official YouTube channel, actually. So she has the Medusa segment that they did at a Thunder taping, which I don't think it actually aired on Thunder isolated here. So let's take a look at that real quick, since that's very short. All right, ladies and gentlemen, for this special edition of WCW Thunder, please welcome the host of Annie's Behind Closed Doors. Give it up for Joan London. I came to see Joan London. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. In a very tight close Wait one minute, Joan a bad name. That's you know, I love what I do. You know what? This is serious business. This is WCW Thunder Live. You could get hurt. You need to get out. Out. You know, I can take care of myself. exhilarating it's exciting and it's extreme entertainment it's pro wrestling behind so yeah in the actual angle she does not take a bump 
Paul, go back to go back to go back go back go back go back go back. Oh, you want me to go back to that clip? Okay. No, go back to the screen. Go back. Go back to your YouTube search. Oh, to the search. Okay. Why? Well, I was pulling up the segment to see if we have clips of her training. Go down to Paul Orndorff. That is that is a different YouTube channel. Oh, I see what you're saying. This looks it goes right to the. Well, go down. What's, 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 go down. And see how long this clip. Okay, I'm trying to see. I right, go to the, that one. Yes, yeah, a short. Oh, because it's a short clip it. that it seems like already isolates I'm, that. Okay. Yeah. So let's see if there's anything here. And there's Medusa. Okay, this is not <laughs> as good quality though as the other one for some it reason. It doesn't fucking matter. Well, I think it's the shorter. Quality might be better. I don't give a shit. It's shorter. <laughs> We're running along. I'm show you, Joan, is just some basic, very okay. basic that we show everybody. And that's Wrestlers have to know dozens of different moves. This is called an arm bar. And you're here. <laughs> an arm bar. Okay. Now I'm going to come from this way. So am I going to go this way? There, there, it's like there, dancing. There. Oh, so I got it. I got right it. Right there. Yeah. No. Yeah. Now I'm going to shoot up. There you go. There you go. Okay. There you go. But what I really wanted to know was how to throw someone. Let's show her one more move. It's called a snap mirror or a hair mirror. A hair mirror? Yes. Okay. It's kind of a girl thing, I guess. Now, a hair mirror is something like if you're laying down on the ground, I can go to pick you up by the hair like this. Uh-huh. Okay. What I do is I turn around this way. I come her up around the head underneath your chin. Okay. Okay. When I come down, I'm going to come down on one knee. You are, Joan, because you're going to give me this. Okay. Okay. So you're going to come down on this knee. You don't want this knee up because my head could go right into your okay. knee. Oh, okay. Okay. A little bit. Choreography of it. <laughs> so you come down like this, and you're going to just kind of give me a whipping motion. Oh, okay. And I'm going to fly right over there. What I finally figured out is that I really didn't have to throw Medusa. She threw herself. I just provided the leverage. Ready? Right on. Oh, gosh. Okay, ready? <laughs> Pretty soon, Medusa and I had the glimmer of a routine going. Don't mess with me. <laughs> Why am I getting the feeling they okay. edited all Ready. of her bumps out of this because she had already at least threatened to sue them? Ah. Probably. When it seemed like I was ready, Paul set up a match. Okay, girls, you get in that corner over there, Joe. Well, well wait. Medusa, let's, you get over there. Hey, guys, let's come here a minute. Come here. Okay, Joe, London in this corner. Oh, who do we have here? Are you ready, ladies? Let's get it on! Charmel. She missed a kick by a foot. <laughs> Literally. Let's see, do we have anyone else recognizable here? Is that Mike, um, not Mike Sanders, um, Kwee-Wee. What's, uh... Kwee-Wee, Alan Funk, yeah. Alan, Alan Funk, Funk straight ahead. Yeah, Alan Funk right yep. there, yeah. Yeah. And Charmel's up there, so... Yeah, I don't recognize the black guy because they're not showing him very close at all so far. Um, and you just took it completely off screen. Oop. Screen share. I don't know what happened there. I'm fixing that. All right, let's go back to this. All right, let's see what happens. Well, it's one thing to do it at the power plant, but what would it be like to do it in front of thousands of screens? Okay, so... Also, watching how all this comes up, why were they even having her trying to take bumps anyway? Like, 
even if that's the original idea. Like, what the hell? Well, we never saw any bumps or anything, so that's, I mean... That's what I'm saying. They, uh, it must have weird. gone so badly that she already knows she's suing them and whatever, and is not going to air yes. any of the bump-taking, which, I mean, I guess yeah. that's a legal strategy thing that her lawyers have probably advised her of at this point, so... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, not but good. No. All right. Well, we close on a sad note as Kurt Hing's memorial service and funeral was attended by over an estimated 2,000 people. Torch has a report. Close cast memorial service for Henning was held on February 16th in Coon Rapids, Minnesota. The word going around the funeral home was that the attendants had stopped counting the visitors after reaching the 2,000 mark. Visitation was open to the public, as was the funeral service that was held on the 17th in St. Stephen's Church in Anoka, Minnesota. During the memorial service, Henning's father, Larry, spoke at length about his son. We'll have more on that in a minute. Henning's children, Amy, Kate, and Joe, also spoke at various times during the service. Ray Trailer, Henning's sons, Joe and Hank, brothers Randy and Jesse, independent wrestler friend Dan Jesser, and friend Pat Johnson were pallbearers. Joe Henning wore his father's Mr. Perfect jacket at the memorial service. And the Mr. Perfect theme music was played when the casket was brought into the church the following day. That's awesome. Among those who attended the funeral were Vince, Linda, Shane, and Stephanie McMahon, Vernon and Greg Gagne, Bret Hart, Shawn Michaels, Jesse Ventura, Bill Goldberg, Rick Steiner, Brian Blair, Baron Von Raschke, Stan Kowalski, Ken Patera, Masaito, who flew in from Japan to attend, the Road Warriors, Brock Lesnar, Jim Brunzel, Wayne Bloom, Kevin Wackholz, Barry Darso, and former AW announcers Ken Resnick and Mick Karch. There were no official representatives from WTNA, although the Jarrett family did send flowers, as did Eric Bischoff, and several W performers whose house show schedules prevented them from attending. And one of the most humorous stories Larry Henning told during the son's wake was uh, about the time they went to Cancun on vacation. He said they agreed to go to a gift shop together where Kurt wrapped up an expensive bill. Kurt gave the gift shop clerk his credit card, only to have it handed back to him when the explanation that his account had been canceled. Larry said Kurt appeared to be embarrassed, so he passed the clerk his own credit card and paid for all the gifts. Larry recalled Kurt later laughing as he told him that he asked the person behind the counter to say his car was canceled, no matter how much of a fuss he put up. (laughs) Classic Kurt. There was some snicker behind Jesse Ventura's back over the leather jacket and faded Zubaz outfit he wore to the funeral. He was grossly underdressed, said one attendee. <laughs> oh, Jesse. But yeah, that, that story is classic, Kurt. <laughs> he pulled a rib on his own dad on vacation in Cancun. It's, it's just so. Uh, and now, uh, Kurt's death's one of the you know, real sad ones of that era, you know? It really is. I mean, how many wrestler other wrestlers died of cocaine poisoning? You know, like yeah. And he's only like a year removed from his like WWF comeback too. Yeah. And Lesnar's at a funeral. You know, I mean, think about that. You know. <laughs> well, they had an existing relationship before WWF because when Brock wanted to train before uh, he went to Louisville. It was with Kurt and Brad Rankins. Yeah. Yeah. He's, yeah. And he's not even 45. I know. Uh, and I, I think I tweeted this when Larry died. Um, I don't know if I can think of anyone I've ever seen that loved their son more than he did. Because 
you can just tell if you ever talk to him after Kurt died. He was a very nice man, but you could tell he was just, he was broken by it for the rest of his life. Like, it just, it was in his voice. I don't know if I can describe it better than that. Yeah. Absolutely. But yeah, it's hard to believe it's been 20 years since he's passed, too. Man. Man. Time just is flying by. Good Lord of mercy. Yeah. All right, let's go to Japan now. And Dream Stage Entertainment. The futures of K1, Wrestle 1, and Pride all remain in question due to the various scandals that have in, in, enveloped the Japanese industry. The next shooter drop at the arrest of Kazushi Ishii on several different tax evasion charges was the announcement on February 21st by Fuji TV Network President Koichi Murakami, said a network would no longer sponsor Dream Stage's events. Murakami no, said the network would. No, wait, talk- Fuji? No, this is K1, I think. Or. Well, K1, excuse me, K1's events. Yeah. Murakami said a network would televise the March 30th show from Saitama Super Arena, headlined by Bob Sapp versus Mirko Krokop, said future televising of the product hadn't been decided. He noted that there was a clause that nullified the contract between the network and the promotion if either side was arrested. Okay, before we even get into anything else, isn't it interesting how both of these incidents a few years apart are with Fuji TV? That they canceled the big fight promotion due to controversy in the tabloids and the like? Yeah. Because K1 had been on TBS a bit, right? They weren't just on Fuji, I don't think. But anyway. This may be more of a break on the contract with Ishii negotiating a new deal with Sadahara Tanagawa and Nobaka Kakuda, who are now heading K1. However, if it's just changing of an existing deal, the president of the network wouldn't have called a public press conference. He just says possibility down the line the network will sponsor future events, and many believe this is simply a contract restructuring. Those close to situations said the charge that Ishii allegedly forged a signature of Mike Tyson on a contract as a way to defraud millions of taxes was too dishonest for the network to want to be involved with the company's business. Okay, wait, 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 wait. To defraud on taxes? Oh, okay. He was claiming that he had signed Tyson to be able to post a loss or something. I presume. I guess so, yeah. When, I mean, as we all know, for, if you were following that story in that era, Tyson not only never signed anything with them, did not seem to ever, ever actually entertain signing anything with them. Yes. Fuji Network actually not only televised, but served as the event promoters on, most, on the most elaborate events the company promoted. About that kind of sponsoring backing, there's no way the company could have afforded the elaborate trappings that have become what K1's known for. The feeling is that the company just produced kickboxing matches without the special effects. Its popularity would decline greatly with the mainstream, who now expect that part as the big show atmosphere. Tanagawa and Kakuda felt it necessary to rush to a match with the company's two biggest draws, Sap and Krokop, because the monster television rating would help his cause right now when it needs it most. There's fear of cancellation by Fuji, which brought the company into prominence as a primetime television spectacle almost a decade ago, because of the domino effect in regards to both other sponsors and television deals. One of the dominoes is controversial Russell One Division, the K1 company. The entire Russell One idea was based around the idea that Fuji Network was willing to put pro wrestling in prime time if it was put on shows built around Bob Sapp and other mainstream fighting stars in dream matches. Keiji Muto, taking a page from what he believed were the lessons learned from the rebirth of popularity of U.S. wrestling after it appeared dead in 1996, but not studying it closely enough, that the key is prime time exposure of wrestling to the mainstream audience. The death of Murakami's press coverage. He was announced Russell wanted to castle 
Their next scheduled show on April 19th at Saitama Super Arena. When not announced publicly, the reason was that Fuji Network wouldn't broadcast the show. The main sponsor behind the company is a network, which agreed to run monthly shows, including occasional primetime specials been around SAS match at the big shows. Now, a proposed show on February 23rd never announced publicly in Nagoya didn't take place, as well as the cancellation of the next show. It's made people question the future of the promotion. This comes on the heels of putting together a huge money losing event on January 19th at the Tokyo Dome, which believe there's so fewer tickets than any such event in the 13-year history of wrestling events in the building. This session wants two people in the company. Most of all Japan felt the alignment with Wrestle 1 would be a negative in the long run. At this point, let's be case. All Japan has saw momentum last year with strong growth, but now has a WCW-like perception among fans as a company that is making stupid decisions that are changing the wrestling product in a way their audience doesn't want them to be changed. We saw with WCW that once the snowball starts rolling, it's very difficult for it to stop. And that's true. Pride, which does a great show as far as quality fights for insiders on March 16th at Yokohama Arena, is still up in the air. But the show lacks the dream matches to attract the mainstream fans. Although Yokohama Arena is a hard, as hard to fill as the Saitama Super Arena or Soccer Castle Hall, with the upcoming shows are scheduled. While future dates have been announced for shows, it hasn't stopped rumors that this will be the last show. At the very least, it's good the company will have to restructure, structure reorganize, and a new parent company has to be formed when Dream Saint Entertainment shuts down. The pride name in Japan has both its pluses and minuses right now. The company has many huge and well-received shows over the past three years after getting off to a rocky start, but the death and questions surrounding the so-called suicide death of Naramashita have muscled, muddled up its image. While the Pride name doesn't mean much in the U.S., it's never, meant, never been more visible on a casual basis due to the television commercial for its video game. So we got K1 and Dream Stage Entertainment in this section here, but what a mess. This yeah. isn't this time, Biggs. Okay, so yeah, okay, I was wrong. They were on Fuji the whole time, but um, Wrestle 1, the original Wrestle 1, I think it was two shows, right? Yes. There was an earlier one and then the January 19th show. Um, if I remember, the number that sticks in my head from that January 19th Dome show is 9,000 fans in the Dome. <laughs> and it was announced that, yeah. as more with the idea being there were about 9,000. It looked weird. They, they had maybe the most spectacular entrance set in the history of wrestling at the Tokyo Dome, too. Um, and there was a little bit of good wrestling on the show where they had good wrestlers. But... It was just this weird mix. I mean, it was, it's basically Hustle without the charm that made, that made Hustle work later. You know, it's basically K1's version of what Hustle ends up becoming. But not that it doesn't have just the, the charm or the sense of humor or whatever you want to call it. Um, the promo cut by Ernesto Hoost's manager on that show may be the worst promo in the history of professional wrestling. Saying a lot. I mean, you remember this, though, right? Vaguely. Where he, at the beginning of the show, when he's challenging uh, Sap to a match in the main event, he keeps calling him Bobby Boy. <laughs> Bobby, come on, Bobby Boy. Yeah, if I remember right, they interrupted Sap uh, dancing to a Madonna song at the beginning of the show to set up the match. And then Ernesto Hoost had a pro wrestling match with Bob Sap in the main event. Was, I remember that, yeah. Yeah, that was just a mess, and it bombed, and... This, though, does not end up really affecting Pride much. Oh, no. No, they go into, you know, one of their 
kind of hottest periods, certainly from an in-ring perspective. I mean, uh, Crow Cop becomes, you know, their biggest star, basically. It's the rise of Fedor, uh, the rise of Gomi as a lightweight, you know, native fighter. Um, yeah, I mean, they're around for another four years at this point, so. Yeah. I get why they're looped into it, excuse me, a little, because they're doing a lot of co-promotion at the time. But that's about it, at least from what we have here. So it doesn't seem like they really should have uh, been affected by it. Um, What's well, more Ashita, you know, all that is what Dave's alluding to is, you know, how it's affected their perception. And the it, it was just the, per- the the perception of combat sports in general in that country from yeah. from uh, you know, a snowball of, of various scandals. Yeah. Yeah. And in spite of all this, you can argue that K1 gets even crazier in the next few years. Yeah. Because there ends up being the Los Angeles Coliseum card with Brock Lesnar's first fight where, I don't know if this is where people in WWE got this idea about AEW, but where they, because, I guess because stuff had to be reported to the commission and maybe also because of the Coliseum being a public building, um, there was like a ton of ticket data that was released, and they were like, they announced this much and said this is genuinely that we sold this many tickets, but then it came out and all the stuff from the commission and, and whatnot that a large portion of the tickets were tickets K1 bought from themselves. Yes. I I have friends who flew from Vancouver to that show in Los Angeles. <laughs> Oh boy. It was a big deal. It was a big deal. And 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 those same friends and myself actually, we flew to Vegas for the last Pride show in Vegas, which ended up being their second to last show ever. So Well, how about the Is that yeah. the Diaz Gomi show? That is Diaz Gomi, that is Henderson and Vanderlei. Um yeah. Not a bad card to be in person for. No, and you know what? Our our seats ended up getting blocked out by the stage setup, so we got moved up, and it was like maybe the best seats I've ever had for like a big arena wrestling or combat sports show ever, and uh, and that was a, a hell of a show. So yeah, awesome, awesome, awesome. But yeah, I mean, it's just and that pride video, that radar. pride video game is awesome too. That's the other oh, thing. it's one of the best ever. Oh, it's the best MMA okay. game until. You know, the until the ones from the UFC boom. Easily. Yes. Yes, it was yeah, those are fantastic games. That pride games, yeah. <laughs> still to this day holds up very well. You know, I still hold a place in my heart for the uh K one game on the on PlayStation One. I uh yeah, there's a there's a K one game on the PS two as well, that's good. Yeah, yeah. and there well there's nothing else really like the uh, k1 games too because they're like straight kickboxing and they have the you know mma games and you know even boxing games to a degree will have like high low block but like the k1 games they have it as high low and middle so you can act you actually have to strategize off of that there are three different areas they can attack instead of two which makes it a lot deeper and more difficult yeah all right, well, let's get into wrestling proper now. Let's go to All Japan Pro Wrestling. Dr. Dusty Williams and most of the longtime regulars like Johnny Smith, Mike Rotunda, etc., appear to be done with the group. 
A lot of people thought with DOT would resurface for World Japan, since Japan is really in the U.S. When you switch groups, you become a fresh personality. World Japan, though, hasn't expressed interest in him. I mean, this is clearing out the old school, you know, guy gene to start bringing in newer names. Yes. As we'll have more of them coming up when we read the results. Yuki Shikawa, the former president of Ballars, has joined his promotion as part of Kazushi Miyamoto's mid-card faction, Turmeric Storm. I don't remember Ishikawa in the turmeric gear, though. He was not in the gear, no. He, he, he wouldn't wear the yellow gear. Okay. No, no. So, so who else was in I don't know how I don't know how long this lasts, either. Tomiko Hashimoto's in it. Tomoko uh, Hanma, of course. Of course, yeah. They're the two main ones. But Ishikawa and, and Hashimoto don't wear the, the yellow gear. Okay. Uh... Nukunichiro has continued his winning ways and mid-carders on this tour with wins over uh, Miyamoto, Shigeo Kimura, Tobakehama, and Nobukatsu Arai. Miyamoto ended up in the hospital after his match on February 16th at the Hakata Star Lane, so Tenryu smashed his nose with a soccer kick. Seems about right. Also on that show, Arashi and Nobutaka Arai retained the All-Asian Tag Titles before style 2500, beating John Tenta and Gigantes. The wall, brother. Malice in TNA by DQ when it got to attack the referee. Got a feeling people love that finish. Let's mm. read the results of the, sh- of the card. Masafuchi over Taichi Shikari in your opening match. Shigekamura and Ryuji Jakata went to a 20 minute draw with Tomoki Homa and Yuki Shikawa. Jimmy Yang and Extreme Blade over the Gladiator and Spriggan. Should we explain that now or wait till we get through all the results? <laughs> we'll wait till we get through all the results. Grand Hamad and Nobukazu Arai over Kim Nakashin and Super Dragon. That's right. All these stack titles, Arashi and Arai over Tenta Higantes by DQ. Keiji Mudo, Yoji Anjo, and Kasayashi over Satoshi Kojima, Hideki Asaka, and Yuto Ajima in 2117. And then uh, Royal Road Initiation, seven match intense series, match number six. Tenryu Gunichiro over Kazushi Miyamoto. Okay, so that third match there. That would be Jimmy Yang and a masked Elix Skipper over Mike Awesome and Amazing Red doing a Link from Legend of Zelda gimmick. <laughs> yes. And it's Airwalt Spriggan as well. Yes, Airwalt Spriggan. So, okay, how many different gimmicks did he have in all Japan over the course of like six to nine months? There was Fuego Guerrero. Mm-hmm. Airwalk Spriggan, I think, was the second one. Uh, then you have Mysterioso Red. Well, no, it was Red. No, he was Red Mysterio as part of the short-lived stable of uh, self-aware WWE knockoff guys. Because you had Red Mysterio dressed like Rey Mysterio, um, Sean Hernandez as Kurt Angle. Yeah, that's the one that sticks out to my brain. Who was the third? There was one more. I don't remember. There was a third one. I just don't remember who it was. And, you know, Red? Red, it seems like, would have gotten a push here, but this is the beginning of him repeatedly blowing out his knee. Yes. <laughs> yes. Super Dragon, you would think, would fit in, and he did okay, but I don't think he comes back, does he? I he works think this some. Is, I thought this was his only tour. Um, He... I mean, he. I thought he had more than one. I think he, he did. I think he did two tours in in in, in two thousand three. Gotcha. I think he did. He did. He did the January tour. And he did the first two tours of the year. Gotcha. 
Okay. Um, I'm trying to see if he did anything else. Uh, I think uh, he may have actually gone gone over and stayed in the dojo. And I yeah, think he's just there for the, the first, two, first yeah. two months. The first yes. two months, yeah. And it might have been an issue where, like, because he had knee issues himself, too, because he's kind of a big guy for the style that he works. Um, and, yeah, I think he might have had injury issues as well that didn't, you know, and they were putting him through the paces like the young boys over there, which I yeah. don't know if he necessarily expected that. So probably not. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah. So, I mean, yeah. he does. He works with Red as Fuego on the previous tour. Yeah. Yeah, because this is the this tour is the debut of Airwalk Spriggan. Um, as far as anything else on the show, Taichi Shikari is, of course, Taichi. And Tenta, I'm trying to remember how Tenta was here because I was watching this stuff, but I don't really remember if he was any good at here or not. He was getting older. He wasn't the same guy. Yeah, he, he had dropped a lot of weight. Yeah, like, he looked physically good, but he had, I think, just from being a fairly good worker at that size for so long, had taken a toll on him physically, even though he's still fairly young. All Japan average. 2,088 fans per show in January, up 19%, 19.7% from the 17.44 per event last year. The December average for the tag term was 24.38, not including the Budokan, which is 75% sellouts. But the tag tourney tour is usually the most successful of the year. It should be noted that Mudo and Kojima weren't on the January tour last year. This year, they played the 25% sellouts as compared to 33.3 last year. But this is when, this is the era where the, like, like Dave was talking about, where the perception of all Japan starts changing and it starts to get a little funky as this year goes on. So, do the Voodoo murders start in 03 or is that later? Oh, no, no, that's later on. We got R O D come first. Oh, of course. Yes. Roughly obsess and destroy. And I don't think it comes up here unless we haven't with Zero One, but also the Zero One feud has just started. Yeah. Your Hashimoto wins the Triple Crown right after our week so there's that too speaking of Antonio Inoki has met with Shinyashimoto Noriyagawa regarding appearing in New Japan's May 2nd Tokyo Dome show an idea that's been batted around is for Yuji Nagata versus Shinyashimoto for the IHGB title since that would be the night Nagata be breaking Hashimoto's all-time record of nine consecutive successful title defenses that match does not happen I forget are they on the show yes because I know they I, they were on the the previous year's May Dome show for the anniversary, if I remember right. I couldn't remember. If I'm not if one. I'm not mistaken, they're on on this one. Uh I'm checking to make sure. Yeah, the the main event of this one is Takiyama and Nagata for the championship. Ultimate crush. Yes. This uh, is like a half half wrestling, half MMA show, if I recall. Yes. Okay, yeah. Hashimoto is not on the show. That's right. Hashimoto and Nagawa is not on the show. Yeah, I'm looking at it this now. Is, this is Kabashi and Chona. Yes. And Takayama Nagata in the main event. Yes. Yeah, and yes, so. yeah, and you have your... What did they call it? Wikipedia says Valley Tudo rules, but I think they called it Ultimate Crush rules. For the oh, Ultimate Crush. Yeah. yeah. Incident away in Kazunar Murakami. Yeah. Well, no, that was... Wikipedia has that as a pro wrestling match. But that was part of the whole deal, though, so... Okay. Um, You know, these days, the show at least in MMA, is considered most notable for the debut of Lyoto Machida, defeating uh, Kanga Watanabe and then getting the slap from Inoki after the fight at ringside. Yes. 
Because of Jungle Jim still tearing his ACL, the February 16th IWGB title match was changed to Dalia Sun and Kazunara Murakami, who finished second in the tournament, challenging Hiroshi Tenzan and Masiro Chono. Why you gotta be calling him Jungle Jim Steel? He hasn't been Jungle Jim Steel in a decade at this point. I call him Jungle Jim Steel. Put some respect on old uh, Wolfhawk Field's name. That show drew not 8,000 fans, announced as 10,000 at Sumo Hall, for a show with a lot of stories and angles. Since the events had been slow, they were happy with the turnout, and the show was considered very good overall. The main event was said to be a stinker, where Yoshihiro Takayama defended uh, the NWF title for the first time against Rushi Yanagasawa. 11-17 with a German suplex in a strong style match. Takayama was unable to get a match out of Yanagasawa. Chono and Tenzan retained the tag titles, beating Yasuda Murakami in 20-36 when Tenzan pinned Yasuda after a diamond headbutt. They worked earlier in the show. Yasuda Murakami, since Lab originally had Barton and Steele on the spot. Tenzan juiced heavy from all the outside interference of the Makai Club. Finished saw Tenzan move from Murakami, attempting to hit him, and Yasuda took the blow. Tenzan came out in the moonsault, two Tenzan tombstone drivers to set the finish. Angles at the show set up Takayama and Shinya Makabe as next contenders. Asashoru, who's now one of the biggest sports celebrities in Japan, and the younger brother of BB was at the show in the corner of Bubuf and Yuji Nagata for a match against Josh Barnett and Perry Saturn, who had Hisashi Shima, Onoki's longtime business manager and promoter, and one of the most legendary bookers in person history, in their corner. Also in Wolf's corner was his older brother, Sumavazo Dokusoru, who lost to Kurt Angle in the 1996 Atlanta Olympics and won the best athletes in Mongolia. He said he'd be starting his pro wrestling career soon. Well... Wolf pinned Saturn clean, and they had a big pop when Wolf, the God, and the two brothers were on the ring at the end. Show stealing match, though, was a 10-man match tag going 26-56 with Super Crazy, Tiger Mask, Masito Kakihara, The Hito, and Akira beating Jushin Thunder Liger, Koji Kanemoto, El Samurai, Gato, and Minoru Fujita. Booking made perfect sense as it came down to Liger Kanemoto, the new IWGP Junior Tag Champions, with Heat and Akira. And he and Akira beat them two straight falls, ending when Akira pinned Kanemoto with Liger's own Fisherman Buster finish. This sets up not only he and Akira's challenge for the junior tag titles, but also set up Akira as a contender for the junior singles belt next month. Well, Liger's booking, so there you go. There was a non-match on the undercard with Michio Shihara, Tatsutoshi Goto, and Hiro Saito against Yasuda in the Makai Club, mass one and two. In 53 seconds, when Kentaro Hoshino interfered, Ohara came to the ring carrying a doghouse. Because they are the Freedom Dogs, Bix. Mm-hmm. O'Hara, Goto, and Saito have reformed their old Freedom Dogs group. This time it's the Heels, who are coming back as faces to face the Makai Club. O'Hara and Saito put Hoshino in the doghouse. Hoshino escaped. When Incidental was signed with this group instead of World Japan and made his pro debut on March the 9th, came out and choked Hoshino out and put him in the doghouse. But our opening match of the show is this. Hiroshi Tanahashi also returned his first match back since being stabbed by his ex-girlfriend. Working the opener against Manaba Nakanishi, which Nakanishi won in 731 with a German suplex hold. Do we other want to talk about we... that now? Okay, we'll wait until we're through the results. Yes. Other matches not mentioned Sh- Shinya Makabe over Young Lion Toriyano, Osama Nishimura over Curry Man, Christopher Daniels, Takashi Azuka and Yutaki Yoshie over Makai Mask 4 and 5. That's Katsuyoshi Shibata and Masuya Nagai. And uh, Kazunar Murakami over Shinsuke Nakamura by referee stoppage in six minutes and 28 seconds. Very interesting to look at this show and many reasons here uh, this point in time. But yes, Bix, explain to everyone the Hiroshi Tanahashi stabbing. 
I mean, as best as we know, it was a domestic violence incident committed by his ex-girlfriend that he was not at all at fault in, and because it's Japan, especially Japan 20 years ago, his first appearance back before this was, um, if I remember right, going into the center of the ring, getting on his knees, and crying and apologizing for getting stabbed. Yes. I mean, this this was a major deal at the time. Um, big news story, uh, big controversy. Um, it was thought that, you know, he would never be the same perception-wise because of this. You know, I mean, it was crazy at the time. You know, I was covering the, the stuff at the time, and I just remember just – like the, the Japanese news websites were just you know, insane, crazy about the uh, about the story. It was salacious, you know. It was so different, and they were eating it up. But Daniel, you remember all this at the time? The the, the, the this going on? I, I vaguely do. I was a little checked out on New Japan at this point with all of the Enochism and the Makai clubs going around. But I definitely remember hearing about it and how big of a deal it was. And it's crazy to think that if they hadn't, you know, let him work his way back up, who knows what happens? I mean, he basically is the, you know, the biggest star they have of the last, I don't know, 10 years or so. You know, he helps turn around their business in the, the early 2010s and uh, and is a, a legend for that company now. It's it's crazy to just think of how how far he was able to to climb up afterwards. But. Good for him, because he's, I mean, he's an old-timer, so. Yeah. Um, has Japan at least changed enough? I know they've still got their gender issues, but he wouldn't have to go in the ring and get on his knees and cry and apologize if this happened now, would he? Mm, no. I would hope yeah, not. I don't, I don't think so, but yeah, that that's rough. <laughs> Yeah, I'm trying to find... He, he said something about it recently. I mean, basically, I mean, he was seen as, quote-unquote, a pussy for letting this happen. Quote-unquote, letting this happen, yes. Yeah, I mean, it's just fact that he didn't have the control over his ex-girlfriend to stop her from stabbing him or some shit like that. I mean, there was a lot... He He took a lot of shit online you know back back uh, from the japanese people japanese uh boards and stuff that was going around back then i mean he, he really took it and uh it's also the time of enochism and everything and all that going on but yeah it's still going strong today 20 years later wrestling uh because he's okada for the uh, IWGP title <laughs> coming yes, up. this coming weekend as we're recording this this past weekend as the show goes up in yeah, uh, San Jose. And, you know, credit to him that, like, in spite of this, and, you know, who knows what else, like, as, like, Japanese headliners and big stars go, he certainly seems like he's much more emotionally together than most of them. Yeah. I mean, even just big stars in wrestling in general, really. Yeah. You know, he's the one who made a point of... Once he got power with the dojo of 
making the New Japan Dojo a much more modern and less abusive place. You know, he very honest when he gives interviews about whatever comes up. You know, he he's a bit of a different breed from a lot of other top star wrestlers. Yeah. Absolutely. But yeah, New Japan 2003 wasn't everyone's cup of tea. Dan said he got out of it, you know. I mean, I was still a fan of New Japan because I was a fan of New Japan, but I mean, it definitely was tough at times. Yeah. <laughs> oh, real quick before I forget, we should also remember with the Tanahashi thing that within wrestling, too, it was probably considered in a way like even more egregious or a bigger deal or whatever because his ex girlfriend was a. Uh, Samurai TV anchor. So she was in the business to a degree. There's that too. Yes, that's yeah. another part of the whole deal. But as far as New Japan, I mean, I was watching pretty much everything at this point, and I do not really remember any of this other than the uh, Tanahashi return and maybe Nishimura Curry Man. Because I, I think like other people, I was starting to get checked out on New Japan. Like, I. I knew what to look for in the Makai Club Minokiism era to enjoy the shows. But then once we started getting stuff like Heat, I, I found it to be very demoralizing as far as enjoying the shows. Yeah. That they would take a guy like um, Minoru Tanaka and just take away all of his charisma and all that. Especially at a time when he really was coming into his own because the, you know, the New Japan Noah feud... All those matches in Noah, well, and the ones in New Japan where they worked heel too, he's working heel for the first time, and he shows this completely different side of himself, and, you know, even more charisma than we thought he had. And then a few months later, he's Heat. And they sent him to Mexico to become Heat, too. That's the thing. Yeah. Also, I do find it funny that um, uh, Kanemoto and Liger just won the tag titles what, like two, three weeks ago with their new tag team name of the Unbeatables and then immediately they are losing a non-title match situation to set up a title well, match? Parker's the booker. Okay, but don't call yourselves the Unbeatables then. I'll tell him that. Uh, there are rumors they have approached Dice Kate about jumping from Noah. That does not happen. Would have been a better fit for him. Yes. <laughs> he could have been a great member of the Makai Club. Would have fit in perfectly in this era. Oh, he yeah. would have he would have enjoyed himself. Yeah, doesn't happen though. Speaking of Noah, their new tour opened up on February sixteenth. Namichi Marafuji left Wave, Mitsuru Mahara Masawa's group, to form his own group with Takeshi Rikio, and they debuted over Akira Tawe, Kuro Suzuki. Takeshi Morishima came to the ringside to watch the match. Rikio tried to get his longtime partner to join the group, but Morishima walked away to the back without answering. In a main event, Mr. Masao debuted a chicken wing crossface to finish during the trio's main event, Noshiyoshi Kikuchi, to get a new move to work a match around the Kanakabashi match. Which, okay, I remember that match pretty vividly. Does he try the crossface chicken wing once? I think he does once. But, yeah, I mean, you just started using this hold, and this is a match where you give Kabashi a German, excuse me, tiger suplex off the ramp to the floor. I really don't think your uh, your new hold's going to get over, brother. Well, I don't know. Results, Haruka Aga and Junior Zamita over Rush Kamura and Miss Momoda. Takeshi Marashima and Daisuke Akeda with Scorpio Michael Modest. 
Takeshi Rikio, Norimichi Marafuji over Kira Tawe and Kotaro Suzuki. Yoshinaragawa over Kishin Kawabata. Yoshinobu Kanamaru, Makoto Hashi over Kenta and Takashi Segura. Junakiyama and Akatosh Saido over Bison Smith and Donovan Morgan. And then Mr. Amasawa, Takuma Sano, and Masawa Inoue over Kenokabashi, Timon Honda, and Shoshi Kikuchi in your main event. Yes, and uh, though they do the tease here of the dissension, Morishima does quickly join the other two, and they form Takeshi Rikimaru. Yeah, right, uh, two days later in Yokosuka City, Yokosuka City Gym on tw- front of 2,200 fans. We have Mr. Momoto over Haruka Egan, Makamatos over Kodoro Suzuki, Akira Tawe and Juno Zamita over Takeshi Morishima and Kishikawabata. Masao Inoue over Superstar Steve. Mr. Masao Yoshinarigawa and Takuma Sano over Scorpio, Bison Smith, and Donovan Morgan. Takeshi Rikyo and Namichi Marafuji over Daisuke Akeda and Takashi Segura. And Kyotokabashi, Timon Honda, Shoshikuchi, and Kenta, which is a Pretty much all a burning over a sternness. Junakiyama, Katsushino, Yoshinobu Karamaru, Makoto Hashi in your main event. No one was good stuff at this time, Dan. Uh, this is this is right when they're just really having a, their peak era. Kabashi's you know healthy, working on top, you know able to do stuff. You know, younger guys are starting to get going more. Rafuji, Rikyo, Marshima, Hashi. Kodoro, I mean, yeah, this is Noah at its best, I think, in this era. Yeah, and when we were talking about New Japan a minute ago and how I wasn't really that checked in with, with their product, it was because I was getting more and more on board with, with Noah. It was definitely the fresher product. It uh, It had more interesting matches. You know, they were pushing... Some newer guys that I liked, like Marafuji and Kenta and the Takeshis, um, you know, obviously Akiyama and, and Kobashi, you know, and the rest of the pillars that are there. You know, they're they're not new, but they've got kind of a fresh coat of paint on them. And yeah, we're only two weeks away from Kobashi beating Masawa for the GHC title and going on his really long run, which is you know maybe one of the best title reigns in the history of sports uh pro wrestling specifically i guess but the history um, of the king of sports exactly exactly thank you vix um yeah uh so they're like the next two years of noah is all kind of can't miss so absolutely yeah yes and, and you were, i mean that was okay. the thing a lot of new japan fans went over to noah i mean that was a big thing that was a difference yeah well, it certainly helps that, you know, they've been featuring the juniors pretty strongly since they launched. But, you know, at this point, we're just a few weeks removed from the first Differ Cup happening. So you can be disillusioned with either of the other two like biggest companies and get what you want out of Noah. Yep. You know, yeah. I, I, which if actually... If I recall, they introduced... Okay. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. I wonder if that's kind of an underrated factor in their rise, that it appealed in different ways to both New Japan and All Japan fans. Yeah, it did. It was the best of both worlds. What were you going to say, Dan? I I was say yeah. I I think there is something to do that to do with that where they had a nice mix of the heavyweights and and they pushed the juniors, and I think it's later that year that they debut their junior tag titles as well because that's a tape I just. Dis- I specifically remember going out of my way to see because the finals of that tournament are Kenta and Marafuji versus Liger and Murahama. And I remember that's already that. happened. Yeah, we already we already had that. Was yeah. that an O two or is that? Yeah, we've already had that. 
Oh shit! I thought that was in 03. But anyway, it might have been yes. very early 03. Yeah, I thought that was summer, but yeah, it, it, it's already happened then. Yeah, well, that's August 29th, I think, 2002. Uh, no, you're right. You're right. It was July 16, 2003. You're right. Okay. Uh, you're right. You're right. Awesome. I thought it was okay. 2002. I was like, yeah, I, IWGP, IWGP Junior Titles was 2002. Well, that's right. That's, the introduction the, you know, is the, here, right? Coming off of the feud, right? Yeah. yeah the, the basis of the Noah, the Noah, a New Japan Junior feud is is the yeah over the the IWGP Junior tag titles, but Noah comes out with their own Junior tag titles in in '03. So that's right. Yeah, that's correct. Uh, also in Noah, they would be set up an NWF title defense by Yoshiro Takayama against Takeshi Rikio. It's starting on February 21st in Osaka in a tag with Rikio Marafuji against Takayama and Takashi Segura. Rikio knocked out Takayama just for the finish. And Marafuji Pinsagura. They drew 1,800 fans at Soccer Professional Gym number two for this. Haruka Agen over Mitsumo Momoto in your opener. Takuma Sano and, and Kishikabata over Shoshikakuchi Superstar Steve. Makamatas went to a 20 minute draw with Yoshinobu Karamaru. Marashima Masanoe and Junizamita over Junakiyama Katoshido and Makoto Hashi. Mikiro Tawe, Dasuke Akeda, Masashi Oyagi over Kenakabashi, Timon Honda, and Kenta. Takeshikyo Nomichi Marafuji over Yoshiro Takayama and Takashi Segura. And Scorpio Bicesmith, Donovan Morgan over Mitsuharu Masao, Yoshinarigawa, and Kodoro Suzuki. And that's another thing, too, you know, we haven't really talked about is uh, Noah's got a lot of, you know, gaijin on this tour, too. You know, Scorpio, Bison, Donovan, Michael Modest. I mean, they got their Superstar Steve, Scuba Steve. I mean, they got, they got, their, they got a crew here as well of, of foreigners to mix it up a little bit with the uh, natives. So, yeah, Noah's, Noah's stout at this time. Absolutely. All right. Zero one. They shot an angle on their February 21st Cork and Hall show to build up to the All Japan Budokan show where Hirotaka Yokoi and Koi Sato of Rowdy beat All Japan's number because of Ryan Ruji Jakata when Yokoi was patting Jakata from the mountain. The ref stopped it. Satoshi Kojima did a run in to attack the Zero One crew, which brought out Shinjiro Tani and Masato Tanaka to clean house. All right, full results are shown in front of 1,600 at Cork and Hall. So, Ikaro Adako over Shinsuke Z. Yamagasa in your opener. Don Arakawa and Jun Kasai over Nehirashikawa and Fugo Fugo Yumeji. Katsuzu Fuji over Fuyuki Takahashi. Different style fight, Vansack Acid over Akio Kobayashi. Rowdy, Koisato and Hirotaka Yoko over Nobukazu Ryan Rajikata about referee stoppage. Wataru Sakata over Kazuka Ogosawara. Tatsuya Iwa and Yoshida Sasaki over Shinjiro Tani and Ruji Sai. And then our main event, Shinya Shimano and Teon Kaiser over Masato Tanaka and Kurogi Waguda in your main event. And Zero One's fun. I love Zero One. But you look at this card here, and the name value is just... It's not there. I mean, you got Hashimoto and Otani and Tanaka. You got your your main Zero One guys, but... No Ogawa... Yeah, none no, of the Americans, so no Korean. No, no Gaijin, yeah. Yeah. That's, look at that 1600 Cork and Hall, you know, there you go. But the That's foreign the claim number. The foreign crew is about to change a lot because it was only in January that they did those first quote unquote zero one USA shows where they started bringing a lot of indie guys. And so now we're going to start to see, you know, more. Well, uh, Spanky was already there, but, you know, Loki is going to become a regular and, you know, all that. So that's going to take shape more. And 
kind of give them more of a personality and more of an appeal to the U.S. indie fans and all that. But, you know, one thing I always say for Zero One is, you know, in this era, you know, Noah probably has top to bottom better matches throughout each card. But the only two promotions where I would pretty much make a point to always watch the whole shows in this era were Noah and Zero One. Because in Zero One, even the bad stuff was at least fun and interesting. You never really knew what yeah. you were going to get. Like, you know, you'd just watch some what like see, would seem like a random throwaway tag that had like a couple juniors and karate guys in it. And it would be shockingly great. You know, or you'd have your, you know, Jun Kasai comedy matches or whatever. Like, there was just a whole big, you know, variety show of wrestling. Yeah. All right. of which... Indie, <laughs> indie Scum Time. DDT, Osaka Festival Gate, February 16th. Hiro and Kudo over Sam Marashi and Pete. P-E-A-T. Super Uchu Power over Ken Oka. Three-way... Hollywood Hulk Hogan, Shuichi Shimiya, defeated Yoshiro Sakai and A Ladder. Well, it, it says A Ladder here, but that, of course, would be um, DDT legend uh, Ladder. Yes. It's not A Ladder like a chic. It's Ladder. Yeah, which is A Ladder. <laughs> yeah. And then you had Takashi Sasaki, Tanama Sakotoba over Shansho Takagi and Fatoshi Miwa. And it's a Moko Hashimoto over Hentaro in your main event. Ah, uh, yes, Futoshi Miwa, the Melvin Penrod the third of Japanese wrestling. Schoolboy. Yeah. Osaka Pro at Osaka Festival Gate on February 15th in front of 251. Miracle Man over Yutaka Fukuda. Billy Ken Ken over Tortuga. Super Robo K and Ebison over Super Delphin Impero. Goa over Tiger's Mask. And Gama, Subasa, and Black Buffalo, Infinity over Big Boss Magma, Dioqual, and Black Tigers. In your main event? Super Robo K did not last long. No, uh, that was a failure. The highlight of the Super Kitchen Robo Common. Yes, of yeah. the Super Robo K run is um, at the. Where, what was the major show not long before this where they did that? It was Osaka Castle Hall? Yeah. You know, where he reacts to the thing on the screen that he's now going to be Super Robo K. That's the, pretty much the only good thing about Super Robo K. Yes. Torimon, February 16th, Cork and Hall in front of 2250. Susumu Yokozuka over Brother Yashini. Dragon Kenny Kanichi Arai over Manana Collection AT and Kondori Shuji. Genki Horiguchi over Stalker Shikawa. Shima, Sua, and Taru over Anthony W. Mori, Takamichi Uwasa, and Jun Nakawuchi. Magnum Tokyo and Ryo Saito over Masaki Bochizuki and Second Doi. And then a three-way dance for the possession of Venezia. <laughs> yes, the monkey. Played by Suki. Kness defeated Don Fuji and Yoshino in the main event. Okay, so refresh my memory. Venezia was whose mascot first? He was a uh, Italian con- connection. That's what I thought. Oh, right. Hence the name. So yeah, he started with Italian connection, and then I guess M2K uh, gets custody of him here. Yes. Does anything then happen after re- that? <laughs> oh God, I don't remember. Then we got Rest of Marvels to the Future. Yeah. February fifteenth at Osaka Dome Sky Hall. Soldier over Garuda by referee stoppage. Akira Kawabata over Maneo Fujita. Flying Kid Ichihara and Mr. Ikeda over Ricky Fuji and Asian Cougar. 
Tsukihiro over Onro, Tetsuya Kuroda over Goman by disqualification, and Jin Station Sasaki and Mama Sasaki over Hayabusa and Hisakatsu. Okay, who's Hayabusa here? Uh, Mr. Ga- okay. 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 And Hisakatsu is Hisakatsu Oya doing doing his gimmick. Okay. So, Dan, uh, thoughts on the, this cluster of indie shows we just discussed here? I don't know if I ever saw a WMF show, although I've read plenty of their results in my life. I actively seek them out, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, Toriumon's Toriumon. I mean, I was still a fan in this era. Um, those shows were always a blast to watch. I don't know if I specifically saw this show, though. Um Crazy to see the longevity that so many people on that show have had who are still wrestling to this day. At a high level. At a high level. Like Masaki Mochizuki, for God's sake. Mochizuki is still so good. Um, Yeah. And a a couple recent retirees, like Yoshino, just uh, retired last year, I believe. Um, But yeah, Torimon was definitely something that me and my friends were seeking out tapes of for sure. As was Osaka Pro. Not as much into this era, but certainly the first couple years of Osaka Pro was definitely something that I I was a fan of uh, and seeking out pretty regularly. Yeah, all fun stuff, man. Good stuff. Love love all these promotions. Yeah, and I, I particularly liked just all of the FMW offshoots in this era. They were just fun. Yep. All right. U-Style. Kyoshi Tamara's attempt to bring back the old UWF style, which has become extinct in the Japanese wrestling world, drew a sellout of 18.22 for the first show of the U-Style promotion at Different Ariaki in Tokyo on February 15th. The show was built around the five-lost point system. Rope breaks on submissions, knockdowns from slaps or kicks will result in losing one point, and if you lose five points, the match is over. And working the style that made UWFI a really hot promotion during the early 90s. Working a shoot style, lots of submissions, rope breaks, kicks, slaps to the face, but no close fist, head punches, and suplexes. None of the old UWFI workers were brought back, so his goal was not to do a nostalgia deal, but to recreate it as something new with younger guys. Using timers, trainees mainly, as well as a few X-Rings guys like Wataru Sakata, Yashito Namikawa, and Ryuki Yama, as well as Takahiro Murahama, the small soccer pro guys, the New Japan MMA K1. And Katsuta Fuji, who's done Pancrase, currently does 0-1, is Noriyagawa's new tag partner. Tamara beats Sakana in the main event as they went back and forth with both guys, having lost two points before Tamara used a front guillotine for a tap out in 46. Crowd loved the match and seeing the style, since now it's a new form of pro wrestling instead of a failed form, as it was when Battle Arts went under. And for the first time in years, Tamara was able to do a match in the style he's unmatched in. Crowd was popping when guys made the ropes on submissions or popped up at nine counts from what appeared to be knockouts. Murahama beat Tamara protege Kazuki Okubo with a German suplex and an arm bar, and then challenged Tamara to a match. The Konosuke Mishima of Shudo was also there, but not fighting, and challenged Tamara to a match on April 16th when they returned to the same building. Josh Barnett, who grew up as a big UWFI fan, was at the show and said he really wanted to be part of this. This is his favorite style of pro wrestling. UFI style, while totally different, has similar cult following in Japan, much larger but similar fervency as ECW in the US. So the people there were thrilled to see it. On a major level, UWFI closed down in 1996, and Reigns went to all shoes in 1999. So at this point, it's a novelty. But in other ways, it's like trying to bring back something that died repeatedly over the last seven or eight years, with the exception of 
PWFG, UWFI, Battle Arts and Rings, once the masses saw what the real shoes look like. The extinction. The exception changes the meaning of that sentence. Whatever. It's late. All right, results of the show. I Kensuke know, Fuji I just over sure Ryu Ichigo. Manabahara over Anoki Kimura. Yoshita Namakawa over Ky- Kyosuke Sasaki. Ryuki Yama over Hiroki Ito. Takura Murahama over Kazuka Kubo. And Kyoshi Tamura over Wataru Sakata. Now, Dave actually got to watch the U-Style show and had a re- review. He, wa- he watched it and it's funny reading MMA reports by reporters who weren't sure if the matches were legit or not. Aside from the ring match vividly said in pro wrestling, it was clearly UFI Styles was advertised from the start. As something new, as an old style becoming new, it was really fun to watch for all the reasons the groups that use this style went on business with the rise of legitimate matches. It's a tough road long term. It's Kyoshi Tamara's first work match in more than three years since Reigns went to the all shoot format as a style where he was the best there ever was at. Now he's 33. It's a flex style, perhaps a little rusty. He wasn't as good as in his heyday. The crowd still loved this match with zero ones with Taro Sakata as they went back and forth with submissions and some great standing flurries, including this cool series of kicks leading to a knockdown by Tamara. The live crowd went nuts with Takahiro Marahama with bounce off the ropes, which one would figure should have been a giveaway that was looking to see if it was a shoot or not. It's so funny that the biggest crowd possible for this and pride matches are when pro wrestlers do pro wrestling moves that don't work in real fights like drop kicks or crazy flying kicks. All right, Dan, you style. I know this is something that's kind of near and dear to your heart. So, uh, yeah, talk about the debut of you style here and uh, the guys on this show. The, the timing of this is great because legitimately it was only a week or two ago that I, I, I don't even remember what brought it up in my, in my brain again that I, I had a desire to revisit you style and try and watch all of the shows and so because it was it's not around for long they're only around for about two years they run maybe a dozen shows total um and and i did track them down if anyone's listening to this and you want to revisit uh you style or you've never seen it before uh send me a dm and i will send you a secret link to where it's all available but um i did watch this show from start to finish and i really love this promotion i think it's really underrated um, I think any promotions that are trying to do the point system, you know, there are some groups in the U.S. who have done it, uh, varying degrees of success. I think U-Style distilled it to its most like simple and easy to explain form. You know, UWFI did a 15-point system, Rings did a 10-point system. You know, there were different things that led to different point deductions. U-Style is just very simple to the point. Five points, you know, rope breaks and knockdowns are worth a point apiece. Like there's no questions, you know, is this worth one point or is this worth three points or whatever? If you're trying to explain it to someone who's new to the style, it's very simple. It's very easy. Um, And this show is really easy to watch. That's the other thing. It's, you know, it's six matches. Nothing goes longer than 12 minutes. Everyone's pretty adapted at the style. Some of the undercard guys, I, I really like Kyosuke Sasaki who was a Tamara trainee and he would do the style for years. He'd pop up on battle art shows on Futen shows. I think he might still be working to this day. Um, Murahama is great. Um, you can tell that he likes to integrate little pro wrestling flourishes in there, like Dave mentioned. And it, it just makes for a little bit more diversity on the show. When someone who, you know, he was a, a, a real fighter who then became a pro wrestler who's now doing a 
you know, a pro wrestling version of real fighting, basically. So, and Tamara and Sakata is a good, good match. And uh, Tamara does end up facing Mishima on the next show, which is also a good match. And then uh, it's about a year later that he has a rematch of his probably his most famous opponent in rings, him and Kosaka face off in the one year anniversary. And for my money, that's the best match in U style history. So, um, yeah, it's a cool promotion and uh, not, you know, there was definitely uh, uh, shoot style wrestling had a bit of a buzz uh, on Twitter and, and on the indies in the last you know, a couple of years and no one really speaks all that much about you style, but it, I, I think it's cool. And Tamara is absolutely the best of all time at the style. And so, uh, yeah, good for him to get some flowers uh, here and there because not enough people talk about him and it's criminal that he's not in the observer hall of fame. So. Oh, talent. And, uh, I mean, yeah, just fantastic stuff. And, uh, yeah, I mean, Ute Style, Futsen, like you said. I mean, Battle Arts Revival. I mean, there was a lot of great shoe style indie stuff in that last part of 2000s, early 2010s that was talked about by a certain group of people online, but that was about it. Capture. You know? Capture, yes. <laughs> Wallaby. Yeah, I mean, there's there's, there's stuff, but... Well, but yeah. and, and there's... There's still shows going on today along the lines of capture where it's just, you know, mats and like rails and like there's still and obviously, you know, there's Gleet nowadays who With, you know, promote uh, that. UWF, yes. Yes, for sure. So it, it's still out there and there's still some really good workers working that style. But I mean, I everyone talks about the 90s and uh, and there's some there's some cool stuff in the 2000s that's been overlooked. So, uh, yeah, I mean, the weird thing about. Um, U style though is I mean really I kind of feel like the legacy of the promotion long term is that you know the Associated Dojo U file camp the biggest name to come out of the promotion is Masashi Takeda. That that is true. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. The you know the probably the top Japanese deathmatch worker of the last several years. So strange how those someone it was it was. Very surreal to run into him in New Jersey, Mania Weekend, uh, in 2019 uh, at the uh, the White Eagle. That was someone who I like. I don't normally get starstruck by people uh, all that often, but running into Takeda backstage, it was like, oh, like you're the fucking man, and like trying to explain to him in broken English, like like you are very good, and he was like, oh yeah, cool, thanks, man. Like I appreciate it, but <laughs> and that thanks tell me something I already know. Oh, go ahead. Oh, his match with Gresham's awesome. At that, that weekend. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, Houston's uh, great stuff. Absolutely. So, uh, everybody go check that out if you can find it online. And, uh, yeah, take up Dan's offer if you want to. All right. It's time for Joshi. Zenjo starts off. The longest lasting tag team in modern pro wrestling, Los Cachados Orientales, LCO, Escomita, and Mima Shimoda split up on February 16th at Yokohama. Uh, Mita was seconding Triple WA tag champions Shimoda and Takako Inoue in defense against Momona, or Nana Momo, excuse me, Nana Takahashi and Momo Nakanishi. When Shimoda pinned Nakanishi to retain a title, but after the match, Mita hit Shimoda over the head with a chair, and the two will start feuding. This will set up Nakanishi retaining the Triple WA singles title, pinning Takako with a Momorachi on February 18th at Corkin Hall. 
All right, full results of Yokohama Bucket Gym. We had a dog fight. Miyuki Fuji over Kanakoseki and Seki Makamura. Mamura, excuse me. Uh, AJW singles title, Mika Nishio retained over Hikaru. U-Tops, Tomoko Watanabe and Kubiko Bekawa over Mizuki Endo and Maiko Agawa. Triple WA opposite title, Keonomi over Kyoko Hariyama. Shinobu Kandori and Mika Hota over Amazing Kong and Etsuko Mita. And then the 203 Falls tag title change. Well, tag title match for it. And when Shimoda beat Nanamomo. So there's that. Corkin Hall two days later. HW tag titles. Kyoko Hariyama and Kenry Yoniyama retain over Seki Memura and Miyuki Fuji. Tomoko Watanabe over Kanakoseki. Yumiko Hota over Hikaru. Ai Fujita over Mika Nishio. Nana Takahashi Desko beat over Kimiko Mekawa and Shimoda. Amazing Kong over Kayo Nomi. And Momo Nakanishi retained the Triple WA singles title over Takako Inoue in the main event. LCO, Nanamomo, a great, great uh, show for Bix here. But it's going to get better, folks. Don't you wait. Don't you yeah, worry. Yeah, yeah, you know I'm what's sure, coming. I'm sure. It's it's coming up. Uh, I, before, before we quickly jump, I, I don't want to start into a big, long discussion because I do know it's very late on your guys' uh, side of the continent. But I think in 2023, Momo underrated. Just going to leave that out there for anyone who wants to continue that discussion with me at a later date. All right, we can move on. Bix Bix is gritting his teeth as we speak. I I know he is. And every every week I have to listen to Bix just rail against poor Momo Nakanishi, pun not intended. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, and I just I just think I think she she's pretty decent. But anyways, we yeah. we don't have to go into that. Act you are you you, you, you you are the wrestling genius, Dan. So I trust your opinion. <laughs> Click All the right, three dots. Block. <laughs> All right. So February twenty first, Nagaram City Civic Gym, Gami over Atsukomoto, Bolshoi Kid over BBA, Rie Tamada over Princess Sandy. Sandy. Linus Asuka over Bionic J, and Akano and Aifujita over Miki Yoshida and Reina Takase in your main event. Uh, Gaia. Okay, good for they're in a They ran a Soccer Dome Sky Hall as well on February 16th for the 900 fans. Chigusa Nagayo Nayakamada over Chigayo Nagashima and Toshi Yamatsu. Arai over Sukuharoda. Toshio Yamada and Ranyu Yu over Dynamite Kansai and Carlos Amano of Oz Academy. Karu over Double Masami. Mayumi Ozaki over Linus Asuka. And Manami Tiyo Kong over Meiko Satomura and Sugar Sato. See, doesn't that sound so much better than the other Joshi shows we're talking about? No, this was the best one. Well, and also, you read that as, mm. as Meiko Satomura is on our TVs right now. Yeah, uh, yeah, working in NXT. Neo Ladies Pro Rest, folks. It's, no. the, it's the best show of the whole section. They ran Inabashi Green Hall February 21st in front of 150 fans. Opening match, Subo Genjin and Tani Mouse over Yukashina and Yuko Akamura. <laughs> okay. Eskomita over Kuryoniyama. Yoko Inoue and Mimashimoto over Chaprita Asari and Yuki Miyazaki. And then our main event, Yoshiko Tamura and Azumi Hyuga over Masai Genki and Sumi Sakai in 23 minutes and 26 seconds. When Subo Genjin is the second best worker on a show, <laughs> you know you got something special. New York Ladies Pro Wrestling. 
I, I would like to just point out at this at this point in the conversation, I do not think that Neo is underrated as a promotion. <laughs> and, and Subo Genjin and Tanny Mouse is like the worst team I've ever heard of in my life. Ah, <laughs> oh, come on, Dan. No. <laughs> not big here. I, I got my share of caveman Subo on all the various battle arts and Michinoku and all those promotions for years. And yeah, I've had my share of, of him for sure. Uh, <laughs> well, at least Sumi was good in 2003. And she's, and she's a lovely human being. Yes. All right. This is, we have a England card to close out the section. All-star wrestling, Brian Dixon. They ran Colston hall in Bristol. On February 21st, 685 fans. As we had Nigel McGinnis over David Vane. Three-way, Jody Fleisch over Jorge Castano and Lucas Cool. James Mason over Dave Swift. British heavyweight title match, Robbie Brookside retained over Gangrel by disqualification. And then our main event, Yo Baby, Yo Baby, Yo, PN News over Brody Steele. Okay. Yo Baby, Yo Baby, Yo. I'd just like to throw out that that Dave Swift is fellow Western Canadian. That's right. Former, former Matt Rat, Dave the Rave Swift. That's correct. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, Nigel, I believe. I don't think this is him just seeing family. I think this is him learning the British style to get a work visa or something, right? Yeah. Because he was not very good before this stint back in England, and when he returns to the States a couple of months later, he's a completely different wrestler. Yes. Yes, he, uh, if I remember right, he trained under uh, Chick Cullen, Robbie Stewart. Yep, that's correct. Speaking and, of stampede wrestling. You know, like, I always found it interesting, you know, people would find it hard to believe, especially if they saw his HWA TV stuff from a year and a half earlier, where he was very bad. Like, I'm not saying Doug Williams was a bad wrestler, but at translating the British style, uh, Nigel, after he comes back from England here, I think was always much better than Doug Williams. Yeah. So, so. I'm just shocked you have all-star results from this era. I remember looking at the time and you would, could never find any. Guess where probably they came from. <laughs> me <laughs> yeah but you knew I was looking for him at the time and I don't remember seeing any of these <laughs> are you supposed to on the new stuff I would go find him on these on these random ass UK message boards that was not the mainstream message boards I'd find these boards and yeah well anyway enough of that I was be beating the bushes on a lot of this stuff but anyway yes it is halftime folks so there's some great 2003 commercials, if there are any. We'll pivot to the halftime seven of the show. We'll, we'll talk about Patreon. We'll hit the plugs and blah, 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 blah. And then we'll come back with uh, Lucha and all that stuff. But Dan's leaving us. So, Dan, this is it for you for the show. So uh, what's going on with you, my man? Well, uh, talk about, uh, you know, you had a, you just had a match recently and all that stuff. So what, what you got going on? Yeah, uh, for anyone who's not aware, uh, I took a, a six-month sabbatical, um, had a, a pretty nasty back injury last last summer, um, and uh, you know, uh, feeling feeling good. Um, still, still have some some ways to go, but I did have a match 
uh, as of recording this this past weekend for SOS Pro Wrestling here in the Northwest in Tacoma, Washington. And if you have not seen it, you can find it on IWTV. It's against someone who is a very good friend of mine who I think is very talented, a guy named Steve Miggs. So, yeah, if you haven't checked that out, please do. Um, other than that, the only thing that I have booked for the upcoming uh, next little while is a match for the next big NEW show here in Vancouver, B.C. at the legendary Commodore Ballroom, a very famous music venue here in Vancouver. Uh, and that show is headlined by one Mr. Minoru Suzuki wrestling for what I have to imagine is his first time ever in Vancouver. So that will be very cool. Um, my opponent has not been announced yet, but it is a match I'm very much looking forward to. Uh, so once it is announced, um, yeah, I'll be happy to, to spread that around. If you're not following me already, please do on various forms of social media, mainly Twitter and Instagram at Daniel Makabe. That's the best place to find out where I will be and if I will be places. And I'm kind of just playing it by ear. I I've had some offers put out there to return to some places that I, uh, are, are home away from home. I've got some new offers for some places to maybe wrestle for the first time. So we're just going to take it uh, as they come and, and, uh, just do this for as long as I'm, I'm still feeling good and healthy and happy and enjoying what I'm doing. And, and slowing down, I'm you know I've known these guys for since Bix and I were both teenagers, and uh, no, so I'm a little bit older than you guys. Just yeah. the hair, but yeah, Bix and I were born in the same year. I'm I'm uh, I think eight months older than Bix, so um, approaching forty. Scary to say that. Getting <laughs> been past that, brother. I know. I'm, what, I'm, what are you I'm talking getting about? Though, in, in a nice, little over a year too. So that nice Sorry, woman that again, in Chattanooga. Bix? That nice woman in Chattanooga thought you were twenty three though. I, it was a teen. It was a teenager in Chattanooga who oh. thought I was twenty. Oh wow! So, yeah, yeah, I know. Um, so yeah, definitely not twenty three. But uh, who knows how much longer I've got? But I, I'm always happy to come back and and do between the sheets. And I am an annual subscriber to the Patreon. So if you are not, you should be fifty dollars forty cents uh, a month. Yeah, or a year, a year, a year. Yeah, and I, I just actually got my bill for me switching over from monthly to annually. It just kind of dawned on me, like, duh, I've been a monthly subscriber for basically the entire time you guys have been doing it. So, um, yeah, happy to support you guys and always happy to come back and talk about local wrestling and Japanese wrestling and everything in between. And uh, thank you so much. And thank you for the work you do and helping me through my Monday morning commute and uh, and, and then some. And, uh, yeah, I appreciate you guys. We appreciate you, Dan. You've always been a good good guy for all these years. And, uh, yes, can't wait to get you back on again for a whole show next time. Absolutely. So uh, awesome, awesome stuff. On that note, let's go to halftime, shall we? So we'll be back after the break. What will be Raw's fate the night after No Way Out? Will the Rattlesnake return? Will Bischoff maintain control? And who will hold the championship? As the road to WrestleMania winds near, don't miss WWE Raw, only on the new TNN. Yeah. 
season on DVD, now in 5.1 surround sound, with 16 hours of entertainment, including six exclusive featurettes. I've never seen anything close to this. Adventure comes home on February 25th. Mama, keep the house clean with the magic. Clorox disinfecting wipes. Unlike sponges, they're a better way to wipe because they don't just clean, they disinfect. Mama, got the magic of Clorox. You know the symptoms. No matter what you do, the heartburn keeps coming back. The burn can stop you in your tracks. You worry about the risk of long-term problems. I got help. Learn to handle the disease and the risks in ways that make sense for me. Call this number now for information and a free kit from Prevacid, which includes a handbook on managing acid reflux disease, a risk alert profiler, a doctor discussion guide, and a seven-day free trial certificate to use if your doctor decides Prevacid is right for you. Prevacid fights acid reflux disease three ways. It beats the burn, helps heal the damage, and if prescribed, staying on Prevacid can stop the damage from coming back. Prevacid is a low occurrence of side effects, such as diarrhea, abdominal pain, and nausea. Other serious stomach conditions may still exist. So to learn more about the power of Prevacid, call now. Your free kit is waiting. I'm Chuck Woolery, host of Lingo, the new word game on Game Show Network. Now viewers in Nashville can play along on GameShowNetwork.com. Every time you play online, you're entered for a chance to win great prizes, including Sony Electronics. Another really good reason to get high-speed Internet service from Comcast. So watch Play and Win Nashville with Game Show Network and Comcast. Hey, I need this in my house. Rated M for Mature. Pride Fighting Championships is as simple as you versus another man. A man with an inhuman threshold for pain. A man whose only purpose in life is to paint the canvas with your soul. A heartless monster who's ready to go now. Pride Fighting Championships. The fight is on PlayStation 2. Think you've seen it all on Blind Date? Not even close. Introducing Blind Date Uncensored. Hasn't this been enough? No. The censors won't let us show you here, but order now and see it all. Sexy encounters. Vicious fights. Revealing confessions. First we'll coffee, then we'll blend, then we'll dinner, then we'll fight. Hysterical bloopers. It's all the good stuff you can't stop watching. The craziest, sexiest, uncensored scenes taken from over four years and 5,000 hours of Blind Date. Blind Date Uncensored. Get it only here and now on your choice of video or DVD for just $19.99. If you don't think it's outrageous, we'll give you your money back. You don't have a car. You're walking. Must be 18 years or older to order. Have your credit card ready and call 1-800-319-5252 to get Blind Date Uncensored on video or DVD for just $19.99. 1-800-319-5252 or buy now at GetBlindDate.com Robot War next on the new TNN Slammin' Saturday Night Alright, we're back for the Jonas Great 2003 commercials as we pivot to the halftime segment of the show we begin to about Patreon Patreon.com slash Between the Sheets we've recorded part one well, we've recorded the first half of part two, excuse me of our uh two-part uh 
episodes on Paul Heyman, a year in life, Paul Heyman, 1993. So, uh, part one went up last month. Of course, part two will go up at the end of this month. And, uh, yeah, we haven't started recording the second half of the show yet, but we will. So, uh, yeah, it is quite the show folks. You definitely want to uh, listen to this as we, um, start into the, uh, spring and summer of 1993 with Paul Heyman as, uh, we talk more about WWN, and they're getting ready to run their first show, which we actually talk about during the show, and cancellations of shows, which we'll talk about as well. Uh, ECW, him being involved with ECW at that time. Uh, we got a, a torch talk with him, which is uh, one of the very first instances of Paul Heyman being Paul Heyman, as we know him. <laughs> so there's that, and uh, a lot of other things. So... Uh, yeah, it should be quite the show, as uh, we have finished that out for the month of February. And then at the end of that show, we will announce what's coming up in the month of March. So everybody listen for that. So it should be uh, good stuff here at patreon.com slash twin sheets for $5. You get access to that audio and all the other audio that we've done in our six plus years of the Patreon. So hell of a bargain for that price. for a lot of hours of audio. Then when you have the dollar month tier here where you can uh, get thanks in the Discord, where you get your access to the Discord, thanks in this segment. And $25, of course, allows you to pick a show for the week. Now I have two shows in mind, just in case the show that you want us to do uh, is something that we may have done already in the past or whatever. And let us know why you want to do the show so we can make sure everything works out for you. Then uh, follow 30 day rule, 10 year rule, in effect, Wednesday, Tuesday on the timeline. Get that information to us through the Patreon website, follow the protocol there, and you should be good to go. Then $50 is for a segment of the show and 100 for the whole show. That's all if you choose. You don't have to. At patreon.com slash between the sheets. All right, folks. So I think this week is our new and or returning patrons. Aaron, we don't only got a couple because it's both mid month and. Short gap between uh, halftime recordings than usual as well. Yes. Because we recorded last week's on Sunday. So, yeah. We got two. We'd like to thank Paul8148. Thanks, Paul8148. And an annual pledge by Andy Toth. Thanks, Andy. And of course, annual is uh, $50.40 a year. 16% off savings. Yes, for the $5 tier. For the main For the $5 tier, tier most yes. Most people subscribe to. Yes, so you get access to the audio. So, But you can do that for any tier if you want to. Hey, if you want to put a, an annual subscription for $100 a month, we'll gladly take that <laughs> as well. You want to be gregarious in that way. So Yeah, page- uh, yeah that would be... Uh, so wait, hold on. Let me pull out the calculator. So that would be... Okay, so... 1,200 times 0. .16. $192 off, brother. Mm-hmm. There you go. Sounds like a bargain to me. Patreon.com slash Between the Sheets. All right, Pix. IWTV, anything catch your eye there? Yes, indeed. So, first off, uh, as there was last month, it now looks like it's a regular thing again. New All Japan Women Uploads, as far as classic wrestling, including, so far, at least one uh, very legendary show. You know, as we're looking mainly at 1992 and 93 stuff, 
And one of them is Dream Rush and Kawasaki from December 26th, 1992. With the main event of what I think is still considered by people who watched it. And certainly for a while was considered by many to be one of the absolute greatest matches in the history of pro wrestling. In, uh, you know, the first really big All Japan Women versus JWP match which was the main event for the Triple WA tag titles with uh, Manami Toyota and Toshio Yamada defending against the JWP team of uh, Dynamite Kansai and Miyazaki. Oh, yeah. Yes. Which, I guess the best way to put it is that, you know, the the interpromotional stuff eventually kind of becomes second nature as it starts to be on so many of the shows. Here, they are clearly working it as stylistically an interpromotional match. Like, there, you can tell there are things that are, like, deliberately, I don't know, sloppy would be the right word. But you can tell they're playing up that kind of vibe in a yeah. way that lessens as time goes on. Yeah. I mean, I would say, you know, at least on tape, it's probably my favorite Toyota match. You know, certainly of this era. You know, I was always kind of a lower Toyota voter than a lot of people and feel like more when she was like veteran Toyota later on that she was overall a better worker. Um, But, you know, this is an absolutely incredible match that people need to check out. And this is just a loaded card, too. I don't know. The last time I watched the full card, I forgot just how much is on here. The co-main for the singles title is Bull Nakano Ajakong. They have all specific title between Kyoko Inoue. When she was still good, versus Akira Hokuto, um, Debbie Malenko I, is, I think, still around. Yeah, as part of Dungle Jack teaming with Saki Hasegawa. Um, I wonder if this is a version that was not available before because I don't remember some of this being on the commercial tape. Like, I don't remember there being pre-FMW Shark Shushia. And pre-FMW Crusher made a Mori on... Or actually, wait, are they in FMW by this point? Is that interpromotion? They are in FMW by Okay, never point. mind. Yeah, 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 yeah. I forgot. I about to say, what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it, 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 brain fart. Because they're so far down the card is why. There's not there's not that much interpromotional in the mid-card or anything. Um, but yeah, this is a loaded show. And then, so let's see, what else do we have here? Because it's five, five shows go up each month. There's also a Midsummer Typhoon from August 15th, 92, which has a main event of... Oh, here we go. Another legendary show. Uh, the main event is the IWA world title hair versus hair match between Toyota and Yamada. Which, that's such a weird one because they didn't even split and weren't really feuding, right? It was simply they wanted to have a hair match because they idolized Jaguzi Nagayo, right? Basically. That said, it's still an incredible match, but it's weird. Um, I also also forgot that Yamato wrestles twice on that card. Unless this listing is wrong, she also teams with Hokuto against Kong and Nakano in the Fuji TV Tag Tournament final on the same show. Um, So there's that. uh, January 11th. Oh, excuse me, 24th. I don't know how I read that wrong. 93... Which, oh great, that has an LCO main event. But well, well, it's 93, though, and also LCO at that point would include Hokuto. But uh, 
also has the uh, Kong and Akino against Toyota and Yamada. And then there's also Tag League the Best 92, including the finals of Kong and Kyoko versus Toyota and Yamada, plus uh, Hokuto defending the All-Pacific title against Takako, in a way, among others. And then the fifth show is... Oh, the other... Wait, did I click something twice? Okay, yeah, never mind. Wait, did I skip something? Okay, wait, so Tag League the Best... Okay, there's only four shows this month for some reason. That's why I was confused. It had been five the previous months. But yes, that's the All Japan Women that's up this month. So overall, probably the biggest selection of major shows that's been uploaded in a All Japan Women drop on IWTV to date. So everyone check that out. Remember, too, like this is, you know, for a lot of this stuff, because I don't think the classic shows ran this late. Um... Some of this is the best quality we've ever seen this stuff in, you know. Well, yeah, <laughs> I mean, this isn't this isn't Wild Side where the show's on VHS anyway. <laughs> yeah, well, so. that, yeah, yeah, but that gives it the extra little. Uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, nostalgia charm. factor, charm. Yeah, nostalgia factor, charm. Yes. Well, I mean, the weird part with the Wild Side though was that Bill's copies had the local WB whatever logo on them too. <laughs> For whatever reason. Like, but he it didn't seem like he taped them off TV. Yeah. Which was strange. But anyway, so, you know, that's what's of note on demand. You know, they also have the replay of the SOS show with the Daniel Maccabi, uh, Maccabi, Maccabi taking on Steve Miggs in the main event. Steve Miggs! Yes. Local uh, rock DJ. Yeah, we found DJ. that out, yes. <laughs> yes. Seattle's number one morning drive DJ. I mean, he acquits himself well. Ripping the knob off. <laughs> okay. Anyway, so coming up on the live streams, a couple things, maybe three to point out, uh, coming this week. On Friday at 8 p.m., there is the latest... Sean Henderson presents, uh, you know, H2O spinoff show. And I guess the biggest thing on that would be the Kirks taking on the Ugly Ducklings. I guess this is the first uh, SHP show without Colby Carino since he started working there, which I'm sure has nothing to do with anything. You know, I'm sure there's nothing going on there whatsoever. It's not like so. it's not like he just had a farewell in one promotion he's featured in and is about to wrestle in a loser leaves the promotion match in the other promotion he's most featured in. So we'll see. But there's the Sean Henderson Presents show. Uh ETU, expect the unexpected, the sort of ICW but not deathmatch spin-off, maybe promotion. You know, booked by uh, The Struggles. They have a show on Sunday at 3 Eastern, coming from uh, the Mecca in Ridgefield Park. That includes Marcus Mathers, Jordan Oliver. The Maximos taking on uh, Dragon Gate's Natural Vibes, represented by Kizzy and Big Boss Shizmu. Uh, the Kirks taking on Yokai, and more. So, fun show there. They've been pretty consistent putting on entertaining shows since they've started so that should be worth checking out and also beyond returns with the show sunday night that got a, li- a bit d- 
disrupted by the ROH tapings. <laughs> yeah, I guess because so. Because I'm trying to remember, I, I know off the top of my head, I think Tracy Williams, Billy Starks, Brogan Finley were all booked and pulled. Maybe more. Um, Willow Nightingale still appearing, though, strangely enough. But uh, that show, at least in its reconstituted form, the main event looks to be the returning Zack Sabre Jr. against Ryan Clancy. And most notably for our listeners, though, Dominic Greeny and Kevin Koo, Violence is Forever, defending their newly won IWTV independent wrestling tag team titles against Miracle Generation in a rematch of the uh, tournament finals. So that yes. it? As far as live streams, yes. Okay. Yes. So if you're not already an IWTV subscriber, use code BTSPOD when you sign up and we'll get a referral fee as long as you stay a paid subscriber. So that's independentwrestling.tv, code BTSPOD. All right, today's episode Between the Sheets is sponsored by Private Internet Access, America's number one virtual private network. Even if you use incognito mode, your internet service provider is storing your browsing data, it'd be time to even selling it. But Private Internet Access can help. Private Internet Access encrypts and reroutes your internet traffic through one of its own servers, hiding your data from your internet service provider or network administrator. And with servers in over 75 different countries, you can get unrestricted access to geoblock content from around the world. Private Internet Access comes to easy-to-use apps and browser extensions for all devices, a rock-solid privacy policy, open-source security, advanced customization settings, and it was just ranked the fastest VPN in the world by PC Mac. If you sign up private internet access right now, you can take advantage of a special deal only for Between the Sheets listeners. Let's go over that, shall we? We got a monthly package we offer at $11.95 a month. That's your basic. We got a yearly package of $3.33 a month for $39.95 a year. Or you could take the best package of all three years plus four free months at $1.98 a month, $79 over three years, 83% off, the best damn deal in the market. Why is that? Because there's so much more inexpensive than virtually every other VPN on the market. You get it right now, you can take advantage of Private Internet Access 30-day risk-free challenge. Try it out for 30 days, see if you like it. If not, just return it for full refund. Well, how do you get that, you ask? Well, you go to privateinternetaccess.com slash between the sheets and try out the best damn VPN on the planet completely. Risk-free. Next week on Between the Sheets, we go back to 1998. Where we'll have quite the show on this week. We'll have uh, Vince McMahon on Off the Record. Now, of course, for those of you that are on the Patreon, you've heard us talking about the show that he did about Bret Hart. Well, we'll have a little bit of that, including Bret Hart's uh, answer to that. But we mainly will focus on the second show of the two-show set, where he talks about all kinds of subjects, including word association. So that's always a fun one. Oh, so we'll is have there that. any uh, word association for Eric Biscoff? Yes, there is. Okay, good. Um, and we'll also have uh, news on Hunter Hearst Helmsley on off the record as well. So uh, during that week. So we'll have that. Ahmed Johnson released, and we'll have Vince's thoughts on Ahmed. We got Raw to talk about. Um, a lot of stuff going on in that crazy Raw show. So we'll have that. We got uh, all kinds of the house show stuff, all kinds of WWF news. So there's that. All Japan's got their first Budokan show of the year. We'll talk about that. New Japan, we'll talk about some of their business issues. 
We have uh, the Japanese Indies, including a, quite a bit of Joshi Bigs. I know you're excited for that. The Brennan Brothers. Oh, 1998, it's fine. Well, we do have Neo Ladies Pro Wrest. Wait, uh, Neo was already open in 98? Really they sure were. Oh, well, uh, that's your fault. The Brennan Brothers. What's we'll about them in AAA? We got a major set of drama going on with Promos Tech and WCW, especially regarding Conan. So we'll have uh, that going on. We got a, a big arrest in Puerto Rico of a, a talent. We got Sonny having quite the weekend with Dennis Coraluzzo and other things going on, as we had the Eddie Gilbert Memorial Show to talk about. ECW having television issues in Pittsburgh. We'll talk about that. Uh, we got all kinds of other indie stuff. And we have Super Brawl for WCW. So we'll have that, Nitro and Thunder, and all kinds of other WCW insanity. Quite the show next week on Between the Sheets. No guest because we need to get a Patreon show done, and this show is 34 pages long. So there you go. <laughs> next week, quite the show. So there is that. All right. You can follow me on Twitter at Chris Zellner, K-R-I-S-Z-E-L-N-E-R, show proper, BT Sheets Pie, Bix at David Bix. And Bix, um, you wrote something this week about uh, Jerry Jarrett, among other things. So talk about that. Yeah, I would say that's the main thing I wrote, because I wanted to, you know, make sure there was something at Wrestling Inc., and that I wrote something, too, you know, that kind of gave people who were less familiar with him a little bit better idea of at least of his influence. So I kind of tried to focus on, like, what made Memphis different, and especially as far as, like, TV, and how successful the show was, and also how, and I know this is something you would agree with, too, you can trace so much of the influence, certainly in terms of the structure and the pacing of modern wrestling TV to Memphis more than anything else. Well, we talked about the start of the show. I mean, yeah. where, where is modern wrestling without Memphis, Memphis wrestling? It's, it's either non-existent or totally completely different. I mean, it, it was so vital in so many people's careers and then in the influence that it had, I mean, it's just, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's some of the greatest stuff that's ever been put out there as far as television wrestling. And not because of great wrestling matches. <laughs> the television part. I mean, they sure they had some their share of matches here and there, but it was everything else regarding the TV show that made it so great. Yes. So, Although, I mean, the TV show, though had more competitive wrestling than I think it gets credit for. Um, depends on the era. It does, yes. And there's a lot of errors that it ain't. <laughs> no, but, you know, expert, right, there's sometimes where exploration a, of time is star versus jobber, but not that much. Well, I mean, it's just a lot of it is, uh, is angles and promos, which, for me, that's what wrestling television was about for many, until the, the Monday Night Wars. It, it, wrestling television was... A infomercial for the house shows, as we talked about recently on this show. That's and you know, it's it's what it was. That was its goal. Yeah, was to was to promote the house shows. Yeah, and so, you know, world class as much as they move things forward with production and putting more of an emphasis on on squash matches. World class championship wrestling was not a show designed to put put house shows. It was a show that was primarily for the syndicated audience. Exactly. <laughs> with the KTVT show being what pushed mm -hmm. people to the house show. To the Sportatorium! <laughs> well, to the Sportatorium, back to Will Rogers, but also to the area spot shows. 
Yeah, I mean, that was the local show. The Friday Night World Sportatorium show was the syndicated nationwide show. Absolutely. So that's different. Yes. Well, and also before it was – well, and I guess in the very early months of it being world-class championship wrestling, the Sportatorium show that had been around at the beginning of the 80s didn't even air in the territory proper. It aired in West yeah. Texas. Because yeah. the West Texas promoters, when they brought Fritz in to bring his talent in after the Amarillo territory closed, they wanted an original TV show. KTVT owned that show. So they mm -hmm. had to do an original show. They did it at the Sportatorium. And then once the idea for World Class comes in, that replaces the, uh, what was it, Texas Championship Wrestling, I think. Mm -hmm. Which I think some of that's still on WWE Network. Like an episode or so. I think there's one show, and there was also another episode that aired on Classics on Demand back in the day. I, I do know that one has resurfaced on YouTube lately. Somebody uploaded it. That was a hidden gem. Yeah, so, yeah, and that was a different episode with, from the Classics with on Boy, Demand one. Yeah. Boy Pierce on commentary. Yes. Yeah, and yeah, not but yeah, Memphis, but give it, yeah. yeah, bring it back to Memphis. Though. I mean, yeah, I mean, Jared Jarrett and his associates created the modern template for pro wrestling television. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, one way I think that's kind of underrated as far as where you can really see it, I do not say this on a, as a slight on Bill Watts as a, you know, wrestling and booking mind, but Mid-South before Bill Dundee is not the same kind of soap opera, week-to-week -week episodic show that it is after. Um, it It's there, but it gets ramped up. It's different. Yeah. It's different. It's more dynamic. It is, it is, it is you know, week-to-week, -week, you know, progressions of angles and shit. It's just different. It's not flashy. It's not, you know, of friendly. Of more, like, old-school, yeah. hard-nosed wrestling shows, it's definitely more of, like, an episodically booked show. But it's not a soap opera until Dundee comes in. I mean, it's it's just different. Yeah. But, you it's know, there's different. that. And, of course, you know, look at how Dallas changes. Yeah. You know, that's probably so. the obvious one. And, yeah. you know, like we said at the beginning of the show, you know, with modern wrestling TV, the structure comes from, the structure and the pacing come from Memphis. The increase of um, competitive matches comes from first world class, then eventually Monday Night War. Um, production values come from world class, and then I would guess you would say Saturday Night's main event, too. And outside the ring stuff, and also production value stuff, too, like with the uh, with the instant replay. So it would come from Southeastern. You know, I feel like... There's a lot the of different links, ones. Though. There's a lot of different parts of it, but... I mean... But the Raw... Of it, I mean, you, though, you watch Raw. Memphis. I mean, Raw definitely is Memphis. I mean, the crazy The early part, days of Raw. Well, yeah. and the crazy part is that's before Jerry Jarrett was really doing anything day to day with the company, too. Yeah, but Lawler, I mean, Lawler's there. We talked about that recently when Lawler came into the company when that came up. But he's not you know, booking. He's not booking, but I'm pretty sure he was in, you know, he he was, I won't say in somebody's ear, but I mean, I don't know. It's, it's I mean, you can see it there. So it's rare. I mean, so there, there's that. But anyway, yeah, so we talked about Jerry Jarrett at the start of the show so uh yeah it was great to see jeff wrestling on dynamite the yeah. night after uh his dad passed 
and doing a lot of Tennessee bullshit in the process. And yeah, yeah. And also probably give, I would, I would think giving uh, Max Caster permission to, even though he doesn't shit talk Jerry in the rap, bring up Jerry in the rap. Cause Hey, personal issues draw money. Yeah, but I do think the crowd was kind of uneasy with that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, he praised the crowd was Jerry. Not great yeah, to I don't line. think they expected that, no. Um, and also, we should say, too, real quick, just because he's not getting enough credit for it. I think, you know, I think uh, John Pollock did mention it a little bit, but he was an excellent wrestler at the Memphis, st- at, you know, that Tennessee style. And he was over. He easily could have had a lot more staying power as a star wrestler in that territory. Jerry Jerry. You're talking about J- Jerry Jerry or Jeff Jerry? Jerry. Well, I mean, yeah, Jerry was a was a really good wrestler, but his he was business. That's what he was about was business. Yeah. More anything else. So I mean, that's what he turned his mind to was was the business side of things. And understandably, so, if you're getting a shot at booking, you know, half of the territory when you're what twenty five, twenty six. Yeah. I mean, and we saw him wrestle later in life, and I mean, he could still go, you know, when his when he came back and did his wrestling run in '85 and stuff. So, well, even the stuff yeah. we have from like '79 too. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Jerry Jarrett was a good wrestler, absolutely. Yes. Also, striking resemblance to a uh, Brazilian star Ted Boy Marino for some reason. <laughs> well, they say people have doppelgangers all over the world, so there is that. But anyway. Yeah, so uh yeah, so we as much you know, we talk about Mark Briscoe wrestling so soon after his his brother's passing and Jeff next day. So, you know, there people have way different ways of handling handling their grief and you know, they're those two are very strong individuals and uh it's good for them to be able to, to uh have have their moments for yeah. sure. So Well and also you know what, I was kinda of thinking this too, you know, last night with all that, um, you know, this is different, obviously, because Jerry was sick. He had esophageal cancer and had for a while. I kind of wonder if Jeff also maybe even would have wanted to kind of feel like give himself the power of making that decision for himself with, you know, how much, you know, admittedly, like he said on his podcast, he legit had PTSD from Owen Hart's death. Yeah. And being rushed out to the ring right after and everything. So, yeah, I mean, it wouldn't shock me if like part, you know, especially knowing how introspective he is about all that since getting clean and all that. Like, I can see how giving, you know, empowering himself in that degree also probably would have helped a lot. Yeah. So, yeah. All the best and our condolences to the Jarrett's and everyone else affected yeah all right well let's get back to the rest of the show let's go to lucha now as uh, we start with triple r whatever the real story is with antonio pena people have seen him say he has looked terribly ill he has said to be common knowledge within the company that he did suffer a heart attack they're trying to keep it on the wraps which is why they issued a denial when newspaper stories of the such came out and well, this is February 2003. I mean, so Pena's Pena's back. (laughs) Yeah, he he doesn't die for more than three and a half years. Yeah. But this is when those stories really start picking up, though. And you could see him, you know, 
it's starting to look like his, you know, health issues are really getting him. When he would show towards the end, yeah, yeah, towards the end, yeah. But uh, but yeah, this is when it's really starting up. Yeah, and you know, we end up having the stuff over the next couple of years where there'll be stuff in the Observer where it's like doctors are telling him to move from Mexico City because of the pollution and his lung issues and. Who knows exactly how legit that was, and you know, then when he dies, there's... Was it Vamp or Conan who implied to Dave that he died of AIDS? Uh, I know that was there, but I don't remember who was the one that actually said it. I, so, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to spec- not gonna yeah. speculate on that. <laughs> It but there were those rumors. There were there were those, those rumors were prevalent. Yes, the way it was put was, I'm like I'm not saying that he died of AIDS, but I've seen people who were dying of AIDS, and that's what Daniel looked like towards the end. Was the cop. well, there were there were people on Lucha message boards back then that were, you know, full force saying that was the case. So, I mean, Pena had his lifestyle. I mean, it is what it is. So, I mean, it's whatever. I mean, I mean he died. Like, he's a gay man who would have come in, come to age in the 70s, who was known to not be entirely monogamous. And he was, yeah, he was promiscuous. Yes. That can take, I mean, it can take years to show symptoms sometimes. And so, and he's from a generation that might not have been in as into testing or whatever. Regular, you know, regularly. So, I mean, you can certainly see it. It's possible. Yeah, awesome. So, I mean, that's all we can really say. But yeah. But anyway, yeah. And all right. I mean, his mind's clearly still there, though, because he ends up booking like a good year's worth of great wrestling to be used after he dies. Yeah, and he has. I mean, he has his associates with him too that helps him do things. Yeah, but I mean, as far as that goes. But I mean, but he's the he's the main idea man. But yeah, he does have his help. Well, and there was a big drop off creatively after they exhausted the stuff he had already planned out before he died. For for quite a while. I mean, yeah. I mean, from a booking perspective, AAA has not been the same since. When was it that they kind of finally ran out of his stuff? Like late 07, early 08? Sounds about right. Yeah. But, well, I mean, but anyway. The guy was a wrestling genius, the likes of which few have ever existed. So. Yeah. Yeah, he was. All right. Well, let's uh, go to uh, one of the shows he booked, TV taping in Orotaba on February 15th. We had the Barrio Boys, Alan, Billy Boy, and Desness went against the Black Family, Cuervo, Scoria, and Olds. See, it's supposed de- to be pronounced Dennis, though. The C is silent. It's only for trademark purposes. We had a, a Regio de Reyes semifinal match as Lady Apache beat Fabi Apache. Then we have a Bismo Negro, Chessman, in a little shock, go up against La Parca Jr., Mascara Sagrada, and Oak de Gon. Then we had the Reyes de Reyes finals as Montevideo Lobos defeated Lady Apache. Then we had a four-way among the minis as Mini Abismo Negro faced off with Mini Psicosis, La Parquita, and Mascarita Sagrada dos Mil. We had Hombres and Nombre, Latin Lover, and Zorro going against Heavy Metal, Hector Garza, and Mr. Aguila. And in our main event, 
Pedro Goyo Jr. and Dos Caras. We're going to split up the Morgan and El Venganza, which is dandy doing a mask gimmick at this point in time in uh, Triple R. So. I have no memory of the Venganza. It did not last long. Did not last long. They had a lot. They had quite a few of these in this era where they would have established guys show up in these mask gimmicks and they would last weeks, a couple weeks maybe. Mm. Um. Okay, since, you know, I don't remember m- most of my Spanish, it, so it's not like I ever really would listen in on commentary over that much, whatever that much. Um, how much would, you know, especially given the names, like, how much would it be acknowledged when they would wrestle that Lady Apache was Poppy and Mari's stepmom? Well, ex-stepmom, or however you want to put it. I mean, it came up. It came up. You know, it was... uh it was something that sometimes you would hear, but it wasn't something that they would just beat you over the head with. Yeah. It did come up. People people knew. Let's put it that way. Well, you would hope so. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, but anyway. So that's Triple R. CMLL. We have uh, Rina Colosse on the 18th. TV taping. Brosito de Oro. Pequeño Olimpico. Lutopo Jacasito. Over Espiritu Fire in Grito de Futuro, Date X, Oca Negro and Valentin Mayo, over Cicadelco Jr., Starman and Tigre Blanco. We have a Ricky Marvin over Mr. Power and a Guapos University match. Yes. That's where they were trying to figure out who's going to be the third Guapo. And they would have like, uh, like a tournament matches. So, well, not really tournament matches, but spotlight matches and, uh, you know, they would pick the the, the best one out of the group, which this would have been uh, Terrible yes, who won and, this. And there were the American Idol kind of, like, American Idol tryout parody skits. The yeah, there was all did. kinds of stuff going on, yeah. yeah. Funny uh, stuff. And this is, this is of course, to join uh, Shoker and Mascara Mahika, right? That's what I said, yes. Oh, I didn't uh, even, okay, I didn't even, you sure you said that? Um, I don't think positive. you did. I don't think you. I think you just said guapo. Do we have to go into this again? <laughs> I'm not, not paying attention. I'm pretty sure you didn't say show. Which, to join show. Do I have to go into? This? I got a DM about this the other day, and somebody said, "I don't know how you do it. You say this stuff, and then he comes back and says that you don't say it." I said, "I just it is." I think what, it what is. some of it is is that sometimes <laughs> I'm like, if I have my eyes away from the notes. It's one thing, and then some. if I have my eyes on the notes, I'm leaning too much into the notes, and maybe I don't necessarily catch what you're saying that's not in the notes, is the only way I can put it. It also only usually happens in the lucha section, anyway. Uh, other sections, too, but yeah, mainly, mainly here. lucha. <laughs> All right, so Bestia Savaje, Blue Panther, and Veneno over Olimpico, Safari, and Villano Tesoro. Negro Casas, Jorge Jr., and Tenebus Jr., over Milo Chavez Jr., Moscow Anya Dosmila Satanico. And then a Caballero Concha Caballero match in a call sale was put off beat Apollo Dantes, who didn't have a lot of hair to shave off. So there you go. There's that. Yeah, I mean, not his, <laughs> you know, not his first hair match at the main arenas in the last couple of years, because he also had the one with um, Emilio to set up Emilio Shoker. Couple years earlier, well, yeah, Paul Dante's losing a hair match is uh, no big feat. <laughs> so there's that. Yeah, but that one, I mean, the one with <sighs> Emilio, like it did its job though. Well, yeah, it but drew still, well I mean, for what it was, and then it really did a good job in heating up Emilio Shoker for a few weeks later. 
Uh, yeah, but still, I mean, it's pretty much, you know, we know what's going to happen here. So, yes. <laughs> oh, speaking of Vampiro, right. by the way. Vampiro, now that he holds the NWA World Light Heavyweight title, said it'd be 210 pounds because he's, no, he's no longer lifting weights. It appears Vampiro versus Tarzan Boy in a Caballero Contra Caballero match will headline the Anniversario show set for March 21st, which is uh, the um, March, a uh, big March show they do every year. So. That's the uh, anniversary of Arena Dos Leyendas. It's Dos Leyendas, is what it is. Yeah, that's, yeah, wait a second. Yeah, wait, when is the. When is Arena the Mexico anniversary Arena show? Mexico. Yeah, that's around that same time period, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, oh wait, 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 wait. There's isn't there one show that 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 is more than one thing? So maybe it is Dos Leyendas is also the yeah is also the Arena Mexico anniversary, something right? like that. Because there is one that's like two different things that it's commemorating. Yeah. Um. They started the program on February 21st with Vampiro, Shaka, Mascara Mágica beaten. Los Guerreros de Infierno when post turning issuing challenges. And Dave calls them Los Infiernos, which is a thing he did a lot in this era. Um, mm-hmm. Now, I feel bad, though, that Dave did not explain why Vampiro is no longer lifting weights. Come on, Chris, you remember this one. Oh, I mean, there's so many. I, I mean, I don't know which one it could be. I mean, there's so many vampire things. So. Well, this was one that went on for years, that he's only doing uh, Matt Fury's combat conditioning bodyweight exercises because they cured his Parkinson's. See, I, w- see, I wouldn't have uh, guessed that. <laughs> I forgot about that whole deal. You know, like, on one hand, you have Regal, who was like, okay, I googled Hindu squats, I found this guy in his book. And I did all these exercises, and they helped me really recover from my heart issues and blah, blah, blah. You know, just from staying fit, and the doctors were shocked. And, you know, nothing, but nothing, like, miraculous. Vamp is like, it cured my Parkinson's. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what do you expect? <laughs> so. Yes, and at different times, he's claimed to have been diagnosed with Parkinson's, Parkinson's again, Alzheimer's. Yeah, I mean. It's, it, 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 I mean, look, would, it, would any of it completely shock me? No. But it's Vampiro. Exactly. That's all you gotta say. It's Vampiro. Yes. You know, I'm shocked we don't have anything about people trying to shoot on him here. <laughs> well, or him trying to be kidnapped. Or all the usual fun vamp stories. And there are a lot of them. Yes, and they always came from the same person, mysteriously. Yeah. But anyway, the results of this show, Los Reyes Tapatillos over Flesha and Heke. Neutron, Jimmy Neutron, Jimmy, 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 Jimmy Neutron. Pantera and Starman over Uligan, Ramstein, and Sangre Azteca. Bellino, Ricky Marvin, and Volador Jr. over Arcanando de la Muerte, Ubuntu Guerrera, and Locomax. Black Tiger, three, Silver King. Dr. Wagner Jr., his brother, Universo dos Mil. Over Atlantis, Black Warrior, Miss Niebla. And Mascara Magica and Shocker with Vampiro beat Ray Bacanero, Tarzan Boy, and Ultimo Guerrero, Los Guerreros de Infierno. Right, and Vamp had been associated with Shocker on and off, which is why he's teaming with the Guapos. Like, they've yeah, been they haven't had it. Well, the turn's coming, so <laughs> yeah, they're going to have the big falling out soon. So. Right, but you know, they're, they're a thing. This is not just a random... Other star yeah. Technico thrown in with them. There is an alliance between he and the Guapos. Is yes. my point. Um, okay, well, he's a Guapo I'm, too. Not officially. No, I'm saying to the ladies, uh, he's a Guapo. Well, 
not in 2003, I don't think they considered him as Guapo. He doesn't have his, you know, luscious hair or anything anymore. Um, I did want to mention real quick, I think this is around the time and someone like Trevor Dame or Abahari could maybe pin this down better. I think it was around the time where that guy on the ROH message board, the legendary old official ROH message board, claimed to have gone on a trip to learn how to wrestle in Mexico and not realizing Rammstein was a uh, existing wrestler because that, oh, what was his previous gimmick name right before this? I'm forgetting all of a sudden. Fugaz. Thank you, Fugaz. Was like, oh yeah, I was, wear- I was wearing a Rammstein t-shirt, so they decided to call me Rammstein. Mm-hmm. Yeah, at least we don't get that particular kind of person as much in wrestling. Fans well, it's kind of hard to lie. It's well, hard to lie. yeah, it's hard to lie. Hard, much harder to lie about that kind of thing. All right, uh, Monterrey, February 16th, we're going to call it Monterrey. We got Mystica and Tigresa de la Dorte over Miss America and Princesa Yara, Akero and Alcantara Galactico of Ombre de Negro and Zulu. Crazy Demon, Jungle Nigger Jr. and Sexy Francis over Apollo Estrada Jr., Chuchamar Jr. and Estrella Dorada Jr. Los Cafines Racaros, 1 and 2, with Zambito, Fuerza Nuclear, Neutron, and Ricky Marvin, and Black Tiger 3, Rainbow Canero, Satanico over Yoda Santo, Negro Casas, and Tony Rivera. Ah, uh, yes. So, that era where you would have your. Uh... Main events in Monterey, where it's all, like, legit main event level guys and Tony Rivera. But not in a uh, Atomica, so regular trios no. match. They... I mean, really good looking one on paper, too. You know, especially at a time where Monterey was not having as attractive cards as regularly. Um, no. Now, I, I'm sad, though, that you did the Jimmy, 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 Jimmy Neutron, but not the Zumbi, 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 Doski. Yeah, yeah, Zumbi, 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 Dosky. All right, because of IW Puerto Rico, they show Boyamon on February 15th. Drone us out of 4,500 fans. Dominic of Apollo versus Ricky Banderas in a non-time match. And Ray Gonzalez is a mystery wrestler chosen by Savio Vega. Mystery turned out to be a flop, as it was prelim wrestler Tojo Sensei, who Gonzalez beat with the figure four leg lock. Oops. Apollo beat Banderas when... Ray Gonzalez stopped Savio Vega from interfering. Show anyway, Apollo, Shane, Vigil the Bodyguard, Vigil Quinones, and Ray Gonzalez all together saying they will end the Savio Vega dictatorship in IWA. The Savio Vega dictatorship? Yes. Okay. <laughs> well, he was uh, the he was he was the lead heel. He was running the show. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm just waiting for whenever it is that we get eventually to the week of the Observer that has about the tabloid stories about the Victor Quinone sports car. Uh, we'll get to it eventually. Yeah, I guess so. Now, all that said, though, I mean, they're doing really good business at this time, though. Yeah, well, Ray Gonzalez you know, was a big part of that. So. Mr. Ratings, yes. So that helped out, so... There you go. All right, let's uh, go back to the U.S. now, and we start with MMA news. Well, more like opinions. As uh, ESPN's Around the Horn on February 21st had a discussion on which will be bigger mainstream, pro wrestling or UFC. It's one of those embarrassing discussions, since none of the sports writers on the panel knew the first thing about either. They also said pro wrestling, signing depending on the rider, that it had a history of being around 20 to 30 or 50 years. 
There's a note that his popularity is down a little bit. The feeling is as long as there are good guys and bad guys, it'll be popular. Woody Page said UFC would be more popular because it's real and the violence was real. Well, Woody Page is always right. So there you go. Matt's Cullum at the end said it was a trick discussion because UFC should never be compared with wrestling because it's real and should be compared with boxing. Yeah. And the reason the last UFC did triple the buy rate of the previous ones last year is because of all the boxing fans that tuned in to Ken, see Ken Shamrock. What was telling about discussion is that Kellerman talked about Rock versus Hogan and the return of Austin and No Way Out. And when mentioning USC having pay-per-view on February 28th, never mentioned one name, let alone a match involved on the show. Now, the same day, Tank Abbott was on Fox Sports Net's best damn show, best damn sports show, period. He was out for getting Tank over and trying to market himself as the white Mike Tyson and kept saying he's in UFC because he gets to fight and doesn't have to worry about going to jail for it. He never mentioned his opponent, Frank Mir, during the show, nor talked about the fight directly. He had a funny comedy sketch where he beat up a boxing dummy and kicked him in the face while they were in a cage-like environment and then ran away, saying the cops were coming. The host acted like this fight would be different for Abbott because when he was in USC the first time, they had no rules. Of course they did, but they do have more now. Abbott said all the rules were made because of him and claimed credit for the rule against fish hooking. That rule was in place before Abbott was part of USC. He also ripped on Tito Ortiz for not having the balls to sign for a match with Chuck Liddell. That always broke my heart. That Tank and Tito uh, broke off from each other. Um, so here we go. You know, USC is now starting to get discussion and spotlight on these types of networks and shows. And I mean, I guess, I guess it was a question to ask at the time, like a round of horns asking. So, I mean, what did I think Dave knew what it was going to be and how he reported on it, how how everybody was going to uh, react to that subject, the sports writers and stuff. But yeah, it's interesting to go back and look at this. You know, to look at this stage of USC when they're about to, you know, start exploding and become a huge deal culture-wise there towards the end of the decade. Yeah, and I guess the hindsight answer would be wrestling is more popular UFC by not having the pro wrestling stigma is bigger money in some ways, I guess. Uh, Yeah, pretty much. I think that's the best way to put it. Yeah, pretty much. Like, I don't think you can say this, that UFC right now is as popular as WWE. What now? And right now? Yeah. Absolutely, yes. I mean, I think you could even make an argument that week-to-week UFC is not as popular as AEW. And I make the caveat of week-to-week. A big UFC fight is obviously going to be bigger. But look at what they've been filling up the calendar with lately. Well, there's too much. Well, it's not they, they had a higher level of cards that were in the too-much era. Lately, it's been about saving money and just immediately graduating fighters from Dana White Tuesday Night Contender Series to UFC and having them fill out cards at the minimum contracts. But still, it's too much. <laughs> yes. It's, I mean, it's, it's, it's oversaturation. I mean, UFC at its best was when it was doing their just straight pay-per-views. Yeah. Now, uh, looking at the pay-per-view that's being plugged here, so that's UFC 41, which is uh, Tim Sylvia winning the heavyweight title from Rico Rodriguez, Mir Abbott, like we talked about, the BJ Penn-Kala Uno rematch that goes to a draw, 
and the lightweight title stays vacant. Matt Lindland, Phil Baroni, and Vladimir Matyushenko beating uh, Pedro Hizo on the main card. Oh, and uh, also uh, prelims that included Dean Thomas, Matt Sarah. I remember that show well. Yes. <laughs> and this is Abbott's return after being away for five years, which the way that I came very about... excited. So I don't know if you know the story. The way so the way that came about was Dana negotiated entirely on his own without looping in Joe Silva. Yeah. So the first Joe Silva found out about it was when Dana made the announcement in the cage uh at the previous pay-per-view or whatever it was. Mhm. Maybe the pay-per-view before that. Joe Silva gets up out of his seat and in front of everyone you know with the media in earshot starts screaming at Dana how could you do this with looping me in? How do you expect me to get athletic commissions to clear this guy fighting against anyone that we have under contract right now? Blah, blah, etc. Like, you know, not only did you make my job impossible by signing this guy, you didn't even tell me about it. And you sprung it on me on TV. <laughs> I'm Dana White of him. It also says a lot about what Dana White thought of Joe Silva, that it seems like Joe Silva had no concerns about disagreeing with Dana if he needed to. And loudly at that. Well, I mean, Joe Silva was good at his job. Wrestling Observer subscriber Joe Silva. Yeah. Well, letter writer from back in the day. Pancreas skeptic. So, yeah. But, uh, I mean, yeah, it's 20 years ago, and you see how how everything started changing for USC and the and the public you know spotlight you know and uh, yeah so yeah <laughs> different times different oh, times just for perspective um so that's UFC 41 the one that had the fight that aired on Best Damn Sports Show was 37 and a half so we're we're past that already just to be clear yeah and obviously we've had Shamrock Tito one so we've We've had like your your big pre Ultimate Fighter evolutionary steps in terms of the company getting bigger. Yeah. All right, let's go to total nonstop action. Wait, NWA it's an ex- well, it's two thousand three. Yeah, I was about to say it's still NWA total nonstop action. And we start with Ferguson Torch with American pay sales still not at the level they need to be for TNA to be profitable. Company officials are attempting to secure as many overseas television deals as possible to cover the domestic losses. Ideally, TNA officials would prefer to find a network television home and run traditional monthly pay-per-view events. But they've been shut out by every major network they've approached. There's a talk that Fox Sports Network and other companies that require programming fee are interested, but cable industry analysts don't believe those types of deals would be economically feasible. Yeah, I mean, this was the problem for the first years of TNA was finding a home or television home, you know, and then it's not until Spike. Well, they did do Fox Sports Net. Yeah, but that's about a stable television. Oh, yeah. Of course they had Fox Sports Net, but I mean, to have a stable television home, it took a few years to to get on Spike and have somebody that would, you know, dedicate. Because, look, Fox Sports Net, they they were on in different times, you know. Well, and even then, then their quote-unquote standard time slot was Friday afternoon. Yeah, and they were, and it was on. Re- it was regionals, which you know, I mean, you could have different sporting events that could preempt them in, right. that, in, in that region. So, to be on the Spike TV, I mean, that was a huge deal for them to finally you know, get that deal. 
time, but they got it. Yeah. So they had to depend on overseas deals. And good Lord, I mean, if it wasn't for the UK, who knows how long TNA would have lasted, uh, how long TNA lasted. I mean, period. If it wasn't for international TV deals, the company probably would have died at some point. Yeah. So. You know, there were always the stories about how, how the India deal was the only thing keeping them running. Yeah. I stay on the tour. It's not only a virus disappointing for TNA, but their future on pay-per-view in general is far from secure. DirecTV was said to be on the verge of canceling their deal with TNA a while back, but the Jarrett's and in-demand officials met with DirecTV officials and convinced them to give them the promotion a strong marketing push before giving up on it. Meanwhile, TNA's deal with in-demand expires in June. Hmm. I mean, it's a big deal when they finally got on DirecTV because they were not there at the beginning. I told that story before. I had yeah. to... Uh, I mean, I had a cable box just to watch the pay-per-view shows to go on my DirecTV. So... Yeah, to finally get hooked up with Jerry TV, I mean, it was a huge step for them. I mean, it's also interesting that it says Jared and in De- to the Jared and in-demand officials, because in-demand does not work with DirecTV normally. So was this just in-demand, like, volunteering? Like, we will, do- we will send some people with you, like, as a vote of confidence? I guess, because the deal is expiring in June. No, but uh, remember, like, DirecTV and Dish don't use the pay-per-view middlemen. No. So, this is not someone they normally do business with. So, huh, that's interesting. Especially with how rocky the relationship with in-demand was, you know, just in the first several months. Well, like I said, I guess they're trying to make sure they, that they re-sign with them. It's their way of showing confidence. I don't know. Well, TNA struck a deal with Fox 8 in Australia to have a weekly TV show at 8.30 p.m. on Saturday nights in the time slot UFC had. Dave's the impression this is going to be a TV show that would build up the pay-per-views as an explosion is, but the deal to air old pay-per-view shows is going back to the start in June. So in Australia, the TV will about, be about eight months behind the pay-per-view shows. Fox 8 is an awfully good international deal to get. Yeah, they had, they had some strong international clearances. I mean, that's a big player, especially this early. I mean, Fox 8... I guess it wasn't at this point, but Fox 8 was WWE's uh, outlet in Australia at one point in this era. Yeah. So, I feel like, you know, maybe in 2003, it's not as obvious. Like, I feel like they should be getting more attention. That's a big deal. I guess some of the people back then didn't, you know, have, uh, you know, the didn't have the information of how big it was. So Yeah, they're know. not they're not trying to get their WWE VCDs downloaded each week and see how many of the rips are from Fox Eight. Yeah. All right, the February nineteenth show was the best show in a while. As they had some good wrestling, some good interviews and some great video packages. Hall row results were fifty four thumbs up, seventy one percent, ten down, thirteen point two, and twelve in the middle, fifteen point eight. Best match was Jeff Jarrett versus AJ Styles. 60 votes. Kid Cash was Paul London with 8. Worst match was Sharp Boy versus Disgrace Land with 64. But that was also designed to be a terrible match. <laughs> Surprisingly, it was Vader, who looked far too heavy and said 400 pounds, who did a run-in to save Dusty Rose from a beating by Ron and Don Harris, saying that it was the main event for February 26. Vader was earning $18,000 per week on his Noah deal. Don't know what he's getting here, but it's probably in the 2000 per week range. Obviously, there's a reason he missed the current tour, and at some point, he's expected to go back. Uh, Maybe miss- uh, uh, 
uh, is this after uh, the uh, incident where either he was attacked by the Yakuza or fake getting attacked by the Yakuza? Or is that yeah, later? I think so. I think this is around that time period. Okay. Many of saw Jared over AJ Styles in 1604 with a stroke off the middle rope and a three and three quarter star match. Both guys worked well with each other. It was like a raw match from about a year ago of all the rep bumps and outstanding interference spots. Jared threw everything under the sun and kicked out of all of it, including a brass nut shot by Larry Zbysko and the Styles Clash, as well as an H-bomb by the Harris Twins. Mighty Jeff. <laughs> um, twins were chased out by Dusty Invader, and the refs chased Zbysko away. Finish saw Sonny Siaki give Jarrett two Siaki clips while desired to straighten the referee to hand the style, title to Styles, but Styles turned on Siaki, left him land with a Styles clash, but this allowed Jarrett to get the win. Overbooking, overbooking, overbooking. <laughs> Gee, I wonder who's doing that. Raven and Loki beat Sandman <laughs> and Steve Carino. When Raven DDT to Sandman. Sandman looked pretty bad in that one. Yeah, we'll have a look more on Sandman in a minute. Outside of today. No, we had it earlier, excuse me. Pardon me. I forgot. I forgot we've already talked about that earlier in the show. My mistake. Uh, Jonah Adelman from 703 debuted and looked like a guy in the first few weeks as a pro. He said to have gotten one of the best crowd reactions of being a newcomer since this group started and the best reaction among the women. He worked with Mike Sanders and lost with an unidentified pair of breast teeth escaping from a woman's shirt. And Jonah had that like he'd never seen a pair before. When as common knowledge he had. He paid no attention to his opponent in the match, and Mike Sanders pinned him. He was nothing close to the level Maven, or for that matter, even Chris Nowinski were when they started. Still, he's got a good look and talk and has charisma. They got him off on the wrong foot because no one wants to support Bayface, who's a putz. And worse, he's the first guy to give the women in the audience to pop in a promotion, and he's the last thing women want to support. And the last thing women want to support is a guy who can't take his eyes off slutty women's boobs while he's supposed to be wrestling. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> An unidentified pair of breast teeth escaping from a woman's shirt. That is a group of words right there. My God. <laughs> I think he was trying to go for a prison escape joke. So he's like an unidentified. I just, I'm trying to understand. Is he supposed to be distracted by a plant in the crowd? Did a valet that Dave is not naming run in? <sighs> All right, I found the match. <laughs> is it on YouTube? Yes. Okay. All right, I'm trying to find the right spot here. Oh, my goodness gracious. All right, let's see. I think I got the finish here. All right, so. <sighs> Are you sending it to me? Yeah, I'm, I'm getting the, the timestamp. Oh, okay. okay, I thought you had it already. There we go. All right, let's see. Jesus Christ. <laughs> oh, and it's not taken from VHS. Okay, good. I don't need to turn my little filter gimmick on. Talk about the ultimate in distractions. Come on, Jonah. No. You want the title? You can't no. no, you didn't. You went too far ahead to tell who it was. It was an unidentified woman. Oh, it was. Okay, so let's see how this happened. Don Wesson. TF applied. Submission hold. He's got the crossface hooked in. Talk about the ultimate in distractions. 
Jonah. No. If you want the title, you can't no. that easy to play. And Jimmy Hart's here for some reason. Sanders hooked him across the neck, drops down, hooks the leg. Did he get him? Got the winner of the match. Oh, my Sanders. All right, so do you want the backstory for all this? Uh, yeah, I'm very confused. All right, he looks all right, a little so here, All right, so here is uh, an earlier clip in the in the thing. So we get the backstory of this. This woman had appeared previously? Or, oh, well, you're it's, giving it's me the same. Just tell me when to rewind to if you're sending me to the same clip. I already did it, so you're you're set up now. I mean, you could have just told me. You didn't have to send it to me with the new timestamp. For Russo Sports Entertainment Extreme, as well as the opponent. Oh, she walked out with them. Yeah. Oh, that's Disco. That's not Jimmy Hart. televised match of his career. We just heard from Jonah, young man who was part of the Tough Enough crew, and. We're going to have Jeremy Borat with the introductions of Mr. Sanders' opponent. You see uh, Glenn Gilberti is, I don't, don't know that I recognize the other young lady. No, I don't know who that is. We should get to know her, though. So does she ever appear again? No. <laughs> well, just let it play, because I guess we'll find out why, that, why she's there. Oh, is this explained? Because there is a talking segment. There is a talking segment. Okay, hold on. Where did my... Screen share button go. I accidentally clicked the screenshot button. Hold on. What the hell am I doing? Uh, there we go. Share screen. screen. Share screen. Sorry. All right. And his opponent from Massachusetts. This Where? is Massachusetts. Imagine the butterflies that oh. must be going through this young man's stomach at this point in time. Well, you know, a lot of people felt he should have won. A lot of people felt that, that the reason the man won was because of the Bob Holly incident. So many people thought this was the real tough enough winner. Well, you know what? He said that he was going to wrestle. It wasn't the last we'd ever see of him. And here he is in his debut in NWA TNA Mike. Right. What he, a great story. He made that promise. You just heard it in the sit-down interview. And uh, this is step one in the quest, and it looks as if Mr. Sanders has the stick. One thing you got to learn, kid, is if you're going to be a superstar, know where the camera's at. Come over here. Look. There you go. Look. Let's get one thing straight, okay? Oh, God. You are like the rest of these people and everybody else sitting at home. You are a loser. That, that, it's true. You didn't even come in second. You came in third. But I'm going to change all that tonight because I'm going to make you an offer. I'm going to make you the exact same offer that I made Sonny Siaki. See, things were a lot different back in 98 when I broke into business. Things were a lot tougher. You had to work your way to the top. You didn't have Sports Entertainment Extreme and Vince Russo's vision. And then you come in and, well, hell, you don't even place in the top two. But that's going to change. We made Sonny Siaki an offer that he couldn't refuse. I mean, he's with a beautiful lady. And I got something that's uh, sweet. And I'm telling you right now, she puts the lollipop girl to shame. In more ways than one. Jonah, I guarantee you that this young lady right here can make all your dreams and all your fantasies come true. What I'm offering you is a chance at entertainment, sports entertainment extreme. 
to say that I'm not tempted. Hmm. Thank you. But obviously, I am tempted. Beautiful. But I want to do this on my own. On my journey. In my dream. Hold on. My dream of becoming a pro wrestler. But, uh, thanks anyways. Well, dream on. Oh. All right. The NWA TN. <laughs> what a segment. <laughs> that man's can't... accent is throttling him at times. <laughs> can't take his eyes off slutty women's boobs. Oh. <laughs> uh... Also, we should note that uh, towards the end of Sanders' promo, there was one point where the ca- the whole frame was literally just filled by that woman's cleavage. <laughs> uh, it re- it takes me back. Uh, oh God, what movie was it? I think it was Waiting, where Ryan Reynolds, where uh, one of the girls <laughs> was talking. About, just because I dress slutty doesn't mean I am slutty. <laughs> I mean, that's true. (laughs) Oh, man. Jonah Alleman. Yeah. I mean, he, he would have, hey, if he would have been around a few years later, he'd been great on Jersey Shore. Where is he from, though, actually? I think he's from Boston, but still, he looks like a Jersey Shore Shore guy. (laughs) Well, Paulie D's from Rhode Island. You know? What does he park his car, though? Where's his father? No, no, not father. Father. <laughs> father. Father. Oh, my goodness. Kid Cash beat Paul London in an exhibition match, which was a good bout. Low point of the show, though, was the debut of Disgraceland. Oh, my God. Disgraceland. I, for those who don't... I don't know why that played. Disgraceland <laughs> is former WCW wrestler Luther Biggs, who, for those who are in obscure trivia, was the guy who Kevin Nash stole the big sexy name from. The gimmick is that Glenn Gilbert is using stupid gimmicks as entertainment. So he was horribly out of shape, and his gimmick was he was the real Elvis and kept eating peanut butter sandwiches while missing moves. He beat Sharp Boy, who has gotten over every time Dave's ever seen him except in TNA. Oh, my goodness. Oh, this is on YouTube, although it's listed as Sharkboy versus Luther Biggs. Oh, it's because it's Luther's YouTube channel, of course. (laughs) Let's watch it. Oh, he dubbed over some music. Okay, great. Oh, great. Oh, and he put his own—he covered up the Chiron. Hold on. Yeah. Wait, is the screen chair working? (laughs) No. Hold on. It it said it was— Oh, my goodness. He went into Windows Movie Maker or something and covered up Disgraceland on the Chiron with Luther Biggs. <laughs> oh, man. Okay, let's see. Oh, did he dub the whole thing over? Let's see. Yep. Fuck you. Fuck you, Luther Biggs. I mean, why? 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 Are you really surprised after he wouldn't help Billy Joe Travis when he got arrested? But I'm saying, why, why, why dub over commentary? Why not just do a video that's 
Disgraceland, parenthesis, Luther Biggs, or Luther Biggs as Disgraceland. Oh, my goodness gracious. Oh, my God. <laughs> TNA, everybody. Oh, oh he upload two weeks ago, he uploaded a, an uh, indie match he had with Hardbody Harrison in 1996 in Center, Alabama. Yes, I know of Center, Alabama, yes. Probably one of the many random uh, indie shows that Power Plant guys worked in that era. All right, let me see here. All right, so I'm trying to find Torch's uh, TNA review. Oh, we've we got have... The Glacier from WCW <laughs> versus Luther Biggs in Turnbuckle Championship Wrestling. Because Dave doesn't have the, the a full rundown, but here we go. All right, so I got a full rundown of this show. All right, so um, they started the show with Goldilocks outside the arena, so she had no idea where AJ Styles was. They didn't even shut up with Vince Russo. Styles got out first, and in the arena, Russo came looking smug as usual, said, I bet you can't believe what you just saw. Tanae and Wes were shocked seeing AJ arrive with Russo, since he said he wasn't going to associate with him. So then we had America's Most Wanted beating Ron and Don Harris uh, to earn a title shot at the tag titles. Chris Harris rolled up Ron for the pin, two stars. Um, Goldie lost mm-hmm. to interview Russo, but he yelled, shut up, and then slapped around the Harris's for losing. They shoved Russo back. He said, you better show me something tonight, or I'll kick both your asses. <laughs> Tanae looked at, I wish we had this. Tanae looked at the camera and got all serious and told AJ Styles he was betraying them for associating with Vince Russo because they worked so hard to help his career. You spit in the face of the 52-year-old tradition in the NWA, Harley Race, Storyfoot Jr., and everyone who's been associated with National Wrestling Alliance. He said, AJ Styles, you sicken me. (laughs) Oh, my God. So Russo showed up and uh, told Mike today to come in the ring so he can explain the situation. He told today that he told AJ about the real Jeff Jarrett. He said Vincent Mann was an obvious 55-year-old man who didn't know anything about attitude until he came along. What I do is make chicken salad out of chicken shit, Russo said. Dusty Rosen stepped up and made a joke about the fans chanting Russo sucks. He said he'll be still in the wrestling business as long as the Russo is gone. And that was true. Russo said that he knows why Dusty hates him. Dustin Rhodes. Dusty told Russo not to go there. Russo said he made Dustin a bigger star than he ever was. He said Dustin cried on his shoulder over not having a father growing up. Dusty challenged Russo to a fight. Russo accepted. Harris attacked Dusty. Vader made the surprise. Saved Dusty uh, from the attack. Leading to that challenge. A fan who won a charity TNA auction interviewed Jerry Lynn. Wow, that's what it took. Uh, Lynn says he's going to do whatever it takes to stop SEX from taking over, which led into Jerry Lynn versus the SATs. At 6.37, Conan did color commentary riffing Jerry Lynn for stealing the Lucha style. Good action, SATs. Minor league, Wade Keller said. Two stars. Wow. That's timely, too. With Did you see what Conan uh, said the other day, the, the latest thing that people are angry at him about? Uh, no. He didn't like that Takeshita did the uh, Latino heat shimmy before the frog splash against MJF. Oh, He's, he said that only Mexican wrestlers should do that. Stick to your own nationality or something like that. Oh, <laughs> oh wow. Yeah, which, by uh, the way, I should point out, I feel like off the top of my head, the wrestler's best known for doing 
the shoulder shimmy Eddie tribute spots, either with the Frog Slash or the Three Amigos. The ones I can think of most obviously aren't Mexican, though. They're Puerto Rican, but they also happen to be friends with Conan. You know, like Santana and Homicide. Well, they're they're Hispanic picks. I think that's what he means. Uh, he said nationality. Well, they're still. You know what I'm talking about. Uh, Conan's, Conan said a lot of interesting things. Uh, well, Conan ain't Mexican. <laughs> well, that's the other thing. So, all right. Raven cut a promo stealing Sandman's family. In 2003, continuity, brother. Russo approached Sonny Siaki, called him his ace in the hole. Mortimer Plumtree arrived and says in the Russo, but the mics weren't wor- working. TNA, everybody. Mortimer Plumtree still in TNA in February 2003? <laughs> he was doing, I think he was like doing some office deal at that point in time. Yeah. All right, so Disgraceland was supposed to be a, a rib on Jorge Estrada, Wade said. Okay. Mike Sanders rambled on commentary about how clever the whole skit was supposed to be. Because after the match, Jorge Estrada attacked Disgraceland and Sanders, but eventually all three appeals overpowered him and threw him in a bathroom stall, half a star. By wow. the way, Chris, look at the screen share. Uh, see my favorite part that I found of uh, Luther Biggs' YouTube channel? Meaning Ernest Borgnine. <laughs> yes, what a hat. All right, Kid Cash beat Paul London to retain the X title. Good high spot fest. Two and a quarter stars. Russo left to put Siaki in charge of SCX, which we had Tanay interview Jonah on a sit down when he was talking about. Then uh, Wade rated Mike Sanders Jonah one star. Sandman went through the interrogation, whatever that is. Then Raven and Loki beating Sandman Steve Carino when Raven pinned Sandman A14. Wild Brawl of the Arena. Carino bled. Shocking. Two and three quarter stars. And Jeff Jarrett pinned AJ Styles, retained the interview title, all we talk about that. And the show ended with Vince Russo in the car, said he was headed to Jeff Jarrett's house to visit with his wife and kids. Oh, boy. Way killer thoughts. This show gets a thumbs up. Wrestling game wants to spectacular by any means, but the main event delivered. It wasn't great, but it was very good. Very good in terms of drama in the ring between the two wrestlers, and it was very good setting the stage for next week. You continue the mystery of whether Styles with Russo or Zabisco. Wade hopes to at least follow up on explaining why Styles arrived in the arena with Russo, yet turned on Siaki when Siaki offered his help during the match. The production values continue to be stronger than anyone seemingly gives them credit for. When they're not bogged down with long insider promos by Russo, but remain focused on creating compelling wrestling storylines, the pacing of the two hours is really strong with appropriate mix of features, interviews, angles, and wrestling. Cash in London was a decent ex-title match, but the division has lost its luster lately as a focus has shifted away from tightening a spectacular in-ring style to pushing Russo's SCX faction and more traditional feuds. Why not do both? As Siaki's reign last few months in general, the X-Title no longer has the feel of being a main event title. It's too bad. It's not too late to rebuild it. Surprise of the week, Street continues with Vader and Jonah. Gimmick works. We really don't ever know who's going to show up. They're completely passionate about making this concept work, and while they don't always get a hit, the strikeouts are happening less often lately. And enjoy the two hours of wrestling entertainment. He gave it a 7 out of 10 rating on his, uh, on his scale. If he says so. So there you go. I think it would Total have been a better show with Ernest Bork 9. <laughs> All right, we've got some more news here. Jerry Jarrett was there this week, but the belief seems to be that Jeff Jarrett and Vince Russo had the most influence on the television. Gee, you think? I mean, good lord. Um, Eric Watts and Barry Buchanan were backstage. Watts said interview with Mike today, so it appears he's headed in. And he is. Conan, tell about bringing a mystery wrestler from the Puerto Rico and Mexico every week for the X Division. Likely to be Conan's guy of the week versus Jerry Lynn a lot. 
don't remember if that happens, does it? If it does, it ain't long. Bob Armstrong quit the promotion because he asked for a raise from $300 a show to $350 and was turned down. Oh, that's a big sign. 50 bucks. Brian and Scott James may have also quit, but it wasn't related to that. They were at the show February 19th, walked out together in the afternoon, and went home. It, and what appears to be revenge on Mike today, they had him script to go crazy on Styles early in the show about joining Russo, only to be wrong at the end. Okay. Oh, that's great. There was talk at David Lennon's series about matching Tenacious Z's WWE offer of $52,000 a year. The ultimate decision was made not to do so, at least partially because of the feeling it would cause unrest in the locker room. Most people appearing on the show are getting in the three dollars to $500 per shot range, except for the people who have established national names. This would be Zach Allen. Zach Allen, correct. Yes, because they Today, had brought him in for basically a one-shot X-Division match. And immediately after well, he got over, everyone was like, oh, WWE is going to try to sign him. And it did. After signing the wrong one-legged guy first, because John Laurinaitis did not pay attention to uh, anything. Of course. And that's all uh, that started revolving around our week, too. So it's not during our week, but revolving around the week. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, the dancer with a lollipop, lollipop, and Belladonna, who hasn't been around in weeks, so the new church both had boob jobs done this past week. I have no memory of this Belladonna. Vaguely. Vaguely remember it. What was scary was Lorenzo Papa, who won the auction to get become the backstage interviewer, was better at it. This, Better at doing it so that people like Mark Lloyd, Josh Longberger, and Terry Boatwright, who have been doing it weekly on the national stage. Papa's believed they had done some work on Northeast Indies. Sad when you're better than uh, WWE's people, but there you go. Yes. Oh, okay. Uh, Belladonna was a Nashville area wrestler and manager. Or no, she was mainly a manager. Yeah. Um, who worked as Roxanne, spelled R-O-C-K-S-A-N. Uh-huh. Including managing Chuck Taylor in uh, A1 Wrestling. Uh-huh. Sean Waltman's open talking about wanting to come back at some point. He was earning two grand a match. And the market the way it is, it's not that bad of a deal. Waltman's been out with hip and back problems. He's also considered going with XPW. Why? <laughs> Uh, close to home, I guess, at that time. I mean, 2000 a match on the indie scene, if you can keep it going in 2003, is pretty damn good. I think this was maybe 2000 a match for TNA. Oh, I'm sorry. So, yes, you're right. I mean, even then, though, if he's doing getting that regularly from them, that's still a pretty good deal. Yeah. New Jack got a promo on the February 15th Wildside show talking about coming here and facing Ricky Morton and Raven. His name's been talked about when you're trying to offer surprises every week. You pretty much have to go through everyone who has ever had a name. Yes, and he comes in, and this is the beginning of uh, Huggable New Jack. Mm-hmm. And regarding Jonah Adelman from Tough Enough, he's likely to start here if he has one by the time you read this. The funny thing about this is that the Tough Enough contracts, the guys signed were antiquated. And MTV and WWE hasn't changed them for the first season. The contracts have a specified time limit where they can't work for opposition rest promotions. But what was defined in the contract as opposition was WCW, or any group owned by Turner or Time Warner. Those huh. everybody. That's I mean that's interesting. Regardless, though, because it's two thousand three. Well, no, but I'm saying as far as even when this would have been written up. So these are written up in early two thousand one at the latest. So ECW is theoretically still around, so they don't care about that in the non compete. 
but they're not just saying WCW, but any group. Well, I mean, I guess you have to say that in case they were to change the name for some reason. But interesting that they haven't updated them or added TNA or anything. Yeah. Oh, TNA. All right, let's close out with all things World Wrestling Entertainment, which means we start with Ohio Valley Wrestling. As February 19th OVW tapings, Nick Dinsmore won the OVW title on three-way from champ Damage and Doug Basham. After Basham and Damage collided, Dinsmore hit the German suplex on Damage for the clean win. The tag tournament, Seven and Travis Bain advanced to the win over Rob Conway and Johnny Jeter when Canyon interfered and caused Jeter to lose. No real angle stuff other than building up the return for probably a one-shot by Sean O'Hare. Jerome Crony is back, as if anyone missed him. And Bowling Services has added Nurse Lulu, played by the sister of Nydia. Kenny Bowling says a cost-cutting measure is going to have to fire Maurice, who is the butler of Rene Dupree. Maurice looks like a much smaller and less threatening version of Virgil, as in totally unthreatening. Dupree threw a fit saying, my daddy said I could have a butler. So Bowling had to rehire him. Oh, my goodness. And Torch, no development wrestler Doug Basham, was recently informed that the company is not planning on call him up, as he had been told that was the case. And Maurice is uh, Mo Green, right? Yes. Not uh, the guy from Godfather 2. No. Oh, if I start typing WWE Maurice into Google, the first suggested, the like the big suggestion at the top from uh, that Siri shows me in Safari is uh, Maurice Ouellette. Uh, Mazanin. <laughs> or Maurice. Ma- <laughs> yes. Ah, oh, Maurice. So, there's your OVW update there for the week. I don't know if Mo Green's uh, father-in-law owns a uh, Mr. Hero franchise. <laughs> Who knows? You never know. You might. So, so I, wait a second. So, by the way, though, the Basham thing, that means what? That's a way of saying they're not calling him, or there are no plans now? That doesn't mean they're not calling him had, up ever, I would think. No, well, I mean, obviously not. He could get called up. But, I mean, it's just, I guess it was meaning that they had thought about it, but decided not, not this time. Okay. Which, you know, I mean... <laughs> Sucks for him, but he did go up, so he did make it eventually. So yes, and they killed his love of professional wrestling. So, well, <laughs> they did that quite a bit with people back in that time period. So, all right, let's go WWE proper now. Raw February seventeenth was a logical show that built things that made sense for building the pay per view in Montreal over the top. I think it's the name of it, wasn't it? Something like that. Um. Rob There's Van no Dam way pinned, out. no way out. Excuse me, no way out. That's that's right. Uh, Rob Van Dam pinned Lance Storm in seven twenty with a frost flash, which made sense building the tag title match. Storm's mat wrestling was good, and the match was decent overall. Eric Bischoff did an interview teasing that he was bringing back Steve Austin, but said it was Chief Morley who he rehired. They gave Morley a makeup black eye to sell his beating from the Dudleys the previous week. He didn't announce the Dudleys were suspended without pay which contradicts what Dave wrote about being logical. Since Dudley's had worked earlier on the show during heat taping, which airs after the suspension was announced and before the next Raw for it to be lifted. WB, everybody. He also said, Bischoff versus Jim Ross says your main event of Raw. Was it sounding good at this point? You just taped them working heat. (laughs) 
I mean, really. How, uh, quality control. They don't care. No. Obviously, the fans didn't either. So, whatever. Uh, Victoria and Jazz beat Molly Holly and Jacqueline in 309 when Jazz pinned Jacqueline after a DDT. No heat. Jacqueline did some cool kicks. Victoria and Jazz, after winning, had a face-off with Victoria slapping Jazz in the face. Jazz laughed at her and walked off. Victoria had a nervous breakdown. Some cool kicks. Got hot moves and cool kicks. So there you go. Booker did an interview with a, ma- with a mannequin that looked almost nothing like Terry Boatwright. Her face, looked totally, her face looked totally different. Her hair was different, and she was fully clothed. Unfortunately, it was our same nervous interview style. Booker said that Gold does be back in a few weeks, but he's not right to build up his new character. Um, this is when Goldust had been electrocuted by Randy Orton and Batista. That whole deal. But he hasn't showed up with Tourette's yet. No, he has not. <laughs> a mannequin that looked almost nothing like Terry Boatwright. All right, you got to pull that. Let me see this. Yeah, I've got it. I just don't have the sound on. Um, she is definitely wearing a lot of clothes for Terry Boatwright. And she's also she's wearing, wearing a lot, a lot much, her, her hair extensions, her wig and all that are much longer than they usually were in this era. She's got a jacket. She's got two jackets on, basically. And her makeup is much more like the Marlena makeup than it was the Terry Runnels makeup. Yeah. Okay, so she looks much different, but Dave could have explained what he was trying to say much better. (laughs) It is 2003 Dave Fix, yes. No, I know, but even by the standards of what he's trying to say. I know. I think think he meant for the mannequin thing to be about her acting style, but because of the other comments, it came off as a dig in a different way. Then they did a nice video tribute to Mr. Perfect. You know, as we talked about earlier in the show, uh, he had just passed away. Had the funeral. Rodney Mack pinned the big show. Or excuse me, Al Snow, sorry. What? I thought, uh, well, I, I looked at that from a distance, and I, I thought there was an H. Well, well, it's the big snow. <laughs> but anyway, this is Rodney Mack's debut. So let's go to uh, this, and uh, Teddy Long is going to explain why Rodney Mack is here. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that's a look what you saw last week on Raw and a little that you didn't see. D'Lo Brown losing to Booker T. Teddy Long, you didn't set well with, with Theodore Long, I should say. No, that wasn't down with Theodore Long at all. And there you see Rodney Mack and Theodore Long. The following contest is scheduled for one fall. Introducing first, being accompanied by Theodore Long from Lafayette, Louisiana. Weighing in at 276 pounds, Rodney Mack. So Theodore Long back, did not take the well to that loss that, that D'Lo suffered to Booker T. Booker T's beat a lot of people. Allow me to introduce my new player, Rodney Mack. New player? <laughs> now, Rodney Mack is here to do what that weakling D'Lo Brown couldn't do, and that was to stick it to the man. Now, what a better time to be on this mission during Black History Month. And what a better man the Mets gonna face tonight than Al Snow. Did I say Snow? It don't get no whiter than that. Now I'm gonna send a mission to the man right now. We're gonna do it right here tonight on President's Day. I'm sending a message to Whitey. And you know how many black presidents has been in this country. 
And you know the chances of a black man becoming president is the chances Al Snow has of beating the Mac right here tonight. So it's no longer down with the Brown. It's time to back the Mac. You feel me? Now back the Mac, done. baby. Back to Mac, JR. What does everybody want? Federal financial Ed. aid. <laughs> People to start working again. <laughs> oh, a way to charge almost $14,000 for a wrestling school. <laughs> Not great, Teddy Long. At this point, Don. Oh, he's, he's fantastic. fantastic. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so technically, though, we do not yet have the uh, two minute or three minute or whatever it was white boy challenge yet. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, but he is wider. There's nothing wider than snow picks. So, well, <laughs> yes, going to be hard to top this one then. <laughs> yes. So anyway, um, Mac wanted. 155 after a Tiger Driver 91. <laughs> okay, I'm curious to see what he's calling that. Which is an incredibly dangerous move that he messed up. Yeah, let's watch this, shall we? Okay. So, Snow is going for a moonsault. Rodney Mack pull those knees up. Man, that could crack your ribs. Right in the nick of time. And, oh my gosh. Oh I'm not sure what that was supposed that was to be. An ugly ending. And, oh it wasn't Tiger Driver 91. Oh, it was supposed to be an underhook powerbomb. I think it's just supposed to be a regular Tiger Driver. Okay, so here's your problem. It's, a it's supposed to be a Tiger Driver. He starts it from the double arm DDT position. And Snow seems to think he's going to turn it into, like, a uh, more of a falcon arrow kind of drop. It looks like, from the, he, the way he ends up kind of going sideways. And it could have been worse, but he does land similarly to a Tiger Driver 91. So Dave was saying, this guy has so much charisma in OVW. He had less ability and no more charisma than D-Lo here. Jack Doan gave a signal that Snow was legit hurt. Snow around the ring, was able to walk, then collapsed on the ramp. After about another two minutes, Snow was able to get up and walk to the back on his own. Ooh. None of this aired on none of this aired on television. It was scary looking live. Yeah, do we have the X yet, or is that on screen, or no? Or now, as far as Mac, you know, in OVW as Red Dog, he was a baby face. Yeah. And yeah, I, look, his... you look at his eye. It looks like Snow busted him. Oh, busted Rodney. Yeah. I, for one, am shocked that uh, El Snow might possibly have taken liberties with someone he did not consider white. <laughs> All right. So, uh, so anyway. Um, Holy shit, is uh, Christian polished at this point in his career? Well, we're about to get into that. All right. Uh, Shawn Michaels and Jeff Hardy beat Jericho and Christian at 720. Not a great match, but also not designed to be one. Christian is sporting a new jacked-up physique. <laughs> this is the beginning of that era where he, where he got jacked. Uh, they handcuffed Sean to the ring post right away in large beautiful Hardy. Uh, Jericho got too close and was hit by a superkick by Sean, who then got the key and unlocked himself. Later, Michael superkicked a chair into Jericho's face and Hardy pinned him with a swanton. Jericho was mad, claiming Hardy had won a match in four months. They were trying to put Michaels over as Jeff's new mentor. Years ago, people would say Hardy was going to be the next Sean Michaels. 
it's been a long time since anyone with a clear head has thought that. Dave thinks the company is a few years back there on this one. That say, like the match because it was different with a surprise ending and again built for the future. Well, if you were going to put anybody with uh, with Jeff Hardy, Shawn Michaels would have been that guy because they uh, had a lot in common at their time of their, their life. Although Jeff was a, was a little bit more out there with his issues. Yeah, I don't think Shawn was, was doing uh, crystal meth. Uh, no. Meanwhile, Christian looks like he's doing his best impression of uh, Super Delphin's entrance at the second Mission Oku Pro Sumo Hall show. <coughs> well, Christian looks like he's ready to ditch that top part of the singlet. <laughs> I mean, he already he had. Well, he's wearing point. it now. Yeah, I don't know why. Maybe it's to emphasize his traps or something. I don't know. But um, but he's doing the whole like puffed out like chest and shoulders thing that uh, Delphin does for his uh, new physique at that show. And Jeff uh, does not look good. Oh, no. Oh, no. No, no. Definitely not. Oh, no. No, he looks terrible. It got to the point where it was like almost uncomfortable watching him on television every week. You know, we always bring it up. The big one is that Triple H match. Yeah. Where he keeps messing up every single spot and you can see Triple H. Like... Triple H of all people, who, like, you know, he's an operator, but he's a professional generally and keeps his cool. You can see him getting more and more pissed off as that match goes on. It is very, yeah. very obvious. Yeah. All right. Uh, Hurricane beat Chris Nowinski in 341 without the Hurricane. Sounds like Nowinski is going to be spending more time in Louisville. Dave knows he isn't ready, but he ain't seen him give up on young guys so fast. Well,. <laughs> Chris have other issues that would have become paramount there. So, yeah. All right. Uh, Rosie and Jamal and Rico beat Spike in 329 the handicap match. They just destroyed him with Jamal doing a splash off the top to allow Rico to score the pin. Dave gets this will lead Rico to a Rico Spike House Show program. Then we get Scott Steiner and Booker T beating Triple H and Batista in 654. Triple H works his fair share. Clearly injured, moving slowly, but it was an embarrassment. Steiner didn't look good. Finished off Steiner used a blizzard suplex on Triple H, and Booker got a clean pin with an axe kick. They just think being Triple H was sold well enough by the announcers. Dave thoughts on the previous that they should injure Steiner early in the show and have Booker take his place at the match, have Booker pin Triple H clean once again. They can announce that since Triple H hasn't signed for Booker, he keeps the title for a bit to build for the title match at Mania when people think Booker really had a chance. If they want to see him elevated, they'll care. If it's Steiner, they can't have a match. Oh, we know how this turned out. Triple H Booker T didn't have uh, any issues at all with nothing in that. Oh, deal. No, not at all. So. All right. So next, Eric Bischoff and Jim Ross. So Eric Bischoff comes out and he wants to demonstrate his karate skills to the fans. So uh, let's watch that, shall we? Oh, we are? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Honest with you, I don't feel good about this at all. King, we know that Eric Bischoff always has a plan, always has something up his sleeve. I think the same can be said for here tonight, of course. Did you know? Did you know that Bischoff was an eighth-degree black belt? I didn't know that at all. That was news to me earlier tonight. The following contest is scheduled for one fall. Introducing first, being accompanied by Chief Morley, the general manager of Raw. I see a center block. Larry Bischoff goes one-on-one, -on -one, the return of Stone Cold Steve 
awesome. Chief, let's give these people a little taste of what I'm all about. Let's give them a little demonstration. Bring me a board or two over here. I'm going to show you something. Did he say a board or a broad? You think you know me? I'm going to show you who I am. Oh, please. Now what? Did you know well, he's a karate champion? Well, I didn't know it. Now make sure you don't go flying out of the ring. Alright? Hold it tight. Well, that was kind of impressive. You see that? That is Stone Cold's ribcage. Give me another one. You want to see the power in this right hand? You want to see the speed in this right hand? Go ahead. Hold it up there. Can, uh... Well, how did you now lock yourself in there? Ready? Okay, watch closely. Yeah! Ow. King, I got to give Eric Bischoff some credit. Can JR call this off? Well, this one scares me myself. I'm very impressed by Eric <laughs> Bischoff. I want to see and I want to show them what Stone Cold's head is going to look like. Give me that watermelon. Wait a minute. What the heck are you going to do with a watermelon, King? Stone Cold, I hope you're watching. I know Stone Cold's watching somewhere tonight. Now what? This is supposed to be Stone Cold Steve Austin's head? This watermelon? Watermelon. King. I'll be honest with you. This looks more impressive by the second. Is that just too good? Hey, there's more. (laughs) Give me a cinder block. Oh, no. Now he's going to smash cinder blocks? A cinder block. I don't think Chief Morley can even believe what he's asking for. Uh-oh. Wait a minute. <laughs> he said a block on a blockhead. What are you? JR, don't come out here and interrupt him. Well, here comes JR, folks. And King JR said that he wasn't scared. He said he's ready to fight. He's been waiting for this nearly all his professional life. What kind of shirt has he got on? What's it on you, shirt, King? All right, pause, pause real quick. Isn't it something though that this is taking place almost ten years to the to the day that Bischoff fired Jim Ross? That is something, isn't it? <laughs> What's the actual date that he's uh, demoted? I mean, this is right here at the time because he doesn't announce Super Bowl two, I me mean, three. No, he doesn't. Um, right? Or does? That's what I'm saying. He doesn't. He doesn't announce it. Um, his last world championship wrestling was in February. So yeah, almost huh. 10 years. Why can't this era right, be the one in my TMs? Oh, you know, we talk about this era of WWE. One of the most redeeming things about this era of WWE is Eric Bischoff. Yes. He's fantastic in this era as being, it being that character. Yes, oh, absolutely. Because it's so believable as him. I mean, he is just a complete ass in this yeah. era, and he's fantastic at doing that job. It's also really weird hearing Coachman in the Bischoff era as a babyface announcer. Uh, yeah. Well, he's only announcing because Ross is out here doing the match. All right. Uh, right. so we need that. We need the whole the the finish of this because this Dave really puts this over uh, for being great. So. Fast forward, I guess, a little bit. 
pulling, I went through the 10 second thing. I would I mean, drag this is, the, I mean, the match is very short, so I don't even know if I need to. Okay. Well, let's, let's do it. Look at Jay Hart. He's getting right, right in Bischoff's face. He's talking a little trash. <laughs> And this crowd most certainly behind a good old JR here tonight. I just want JR to ball up and f- just hit him. JR with your fist. Right in the mouth. That crowd, he. I'm ready. I'm ready. Whoa, 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 whoa. Before you do anything crazy here, JR, I want you to know something. I'm not afraid of Stone Cold. You know why? Because this Sunday, I can make any match I want to because I have the power. Just like I do tonight. What's he saying? So tonight, nope. We're gonna have ourselves a no hold bard match. No hold bard. You know what that means? That means anything and anyone is legal. King. Oh no! What is that? I don't like the sound of that. I don't like the look. So here's the deal. Stone Cold, I know you're watching at home in Texas. And I know technically you may have saved my job and to show my thanks tonight, I'm going to kick your best friend's ass. Oh, my gosh. King JR's not yes, a fighter. He's admitted that. No, that's and gratitude that was, for you. It's no old bar. Oh, look, 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 look. Well, here we go, folks. <laughs> JR and Eric Bischoff. Okay, real quick, for what it's worth, Ross resigns on the 27th. Uh, Watts's resignation was the tenth, and Watts's demotion was January twenty ninth. So yeah, we're in that that month period yeah. of all this shit going on. Yes. Match like quite frankly, I thought I'd never, never see. What city are we in for this raw? By the way, uh, I don't think I mentioned it earlier. Uh, let me see. Oh, Columbus, Ohio. Okay. Look at Bischoff. Yeah, right. Well, I love the Karate Kid King. He's mocking Karate. Right He's Come making on, a Jared, fun. Come on, Jared. Come on. There you go. <laughs> there you go. He slapped the top of the second chip morning from behind. Okay, I want to see that one more time, but let's real quick. Well, Dave talks about this. Well, okay, read what he says, and then I have a comment on that. Alright, um... Ross slapped Bischoff hard. Hard enough that some thought he intentionally potated him. Okay. Here's why I think Dave is on the ball. It's not even necessarily how hard the slap is. If you are completely working with someone and slapping them, you throw the most telegraphed possible slap so they can prepare for it. Yeah. Ross came up on him with a very short slap. Yes, he did. One that he probably would not have seen coming. Yes. So, yeah. <laughs> there you go! <laughs> there you go! He slapped the top of the second chip forward from behind. Wait a minute. What is this? Well, King, it's, it's, technically it's no holds barred. He said anything or anyone. But... Oh, and... Come on, this is ridiculous. King, look, Tim at Moore, look, look, at, look at Bischoff laughing at this. King, this is, this is ridiculous. Tim Moore is a former intercontinental champion, for God's sake. Is this what he meant by no holds barred? And we know JR's not a fighter. Oh, no. Yeah, at least now Morley's getting out of the ring. Well, now Chief Morley is Eric Bischoff. Uh, is chatting things up with 
And Earl Hebner can't do anything at this point. It's no holds barred. JR is at the mercy of whatever Chief Morley and, and Eric Bischoff want to do. This is ridiculous. Well, JR, I think mean, he, he may. What does Morley do with that cinder block? No. Chief Morley has the cinder block at ringside. Hey, wait a minute. No. Now he's leaning it against the head of Jay. Wait a minute. Hey, you can't do that. Come on. No. Referee, stop that. Come on. Don't, don't, don't. He won't do that. JR's lifeless at this point. Bishop, don't do this. King. No. No. Oh, my God. Oh, no. He murdered him. No, no, this. Oh, now you run in. All those gray matters splattered everywhere. Go get it, King! King might be behind! <laughs> somebody had to come to the rescue of Good Lottery punches, brother. <laughs> oh, and now. Oh, this is getting good big time as JR continues. Oh, look at that. That's a pretty good kick. Just stop the King mid-stride. Oh, and now Team Morley from behind. And now the King is down. The King is down, and JR remains lifeless. Lawler, by the way, is um, early in the hair transplant era. Yeah. And uh, he has not done a good job blending it with the rest of his hair yet. No. So, okay, skip ahead Ross a little bit. Is a, Ross is juicy. Bischoff, yes, he gets I up. guess, trying to show what power he has at this point, trying to, sh to show Barbaric self-mutilation. Who's got to be watching at home, and he ain't happy, folks. I guarantee you, Stone Cold Steve Austin continues to be dismantled on the outside. Now, JR, tell you what, he was, he's a gamer. He's got a lot of heart. He said he was ready to fight. He had a center block kick exactly in his head. He's doing, but he has no idea where he is. He's been knocked senseless, but he's got on his feet. Oh, Eric Bischoff, a shot to the midsection. I guess the match and is still going on, actually. He is open game. He no, is open the way he was written up. Eric Bischoff. Or is this the end? And now he's... He's asking Earl Hebner to count, and that's it, but I'll a victory to say the least. Here is your winner, Eric Bischoff. A clear, straight message to Stone Cold Steve Austin from Eric Bischoff. The Royal General Manager saying, I can do whatever I want to do. you got to wonder, what's in store for Stone Cold Steve Austin this Sunday? And what kind of match could possibly be in store for Stone Cold Steve Austin? But I guarantee you this, the Texas Rattlesnake doesn't oh, care. He's got oh, no. the earphone at him. And now, Eric Bischoff is mocking Stone Cold Steve Austin. He may have gone too far this time, mocking Stone Cold. Oh, my goodness. Eric Bischoff calling for more beer. Oh, my goodness, folks. Stone Cold Steve Austin's got to be watching, and he is on happy. This is a hole that maybe Eric Bischoff can't even climb out of this Sunday. Then again, we've seen stranger things happen. Eric Bischoff is not afraid of Stone Cold Steve Austin. And he's showing that right now. Wait, this song has verses? It's not just one chorus? I cannot believe what yeah. I am seeing just six days yeah. before No Way Out. And that's the bottom
This is what Dave said. This was by no means a good match, but it was very emotional and excellent piece of business. Whereas when it was over, people were a hell of a lot more interested in Austin and Bischoff and seeing Austin get Bischoff a beating. Ross was doing great promos throughout the show for the match. If only the babyface on the show understood business promos that well. Bischoff was breaking boards, watermelon, punching kits, can be a former champion karate. Uh, then we had the slap. Ross sold the rest of the way and juiced heavy. Lawler came to make the say. Morley posts him, but now took a beating. Bischoff on the kick center block, which exploded near Ross's head, giving the impression he kicked it into Ross's head and pinned him. Bischoff mopped off by doing the beer drinking and poured beer all over Ross. Yeah, I mean, it, for what the purpose it was trying to achieve, it definitely did that. Yeah, if Austin's not going to be on TV before the pay-per-view return, then yeah. I mean, the... The thing is, though, they did way too many heels-up endings to Raw in this era. Yeah. So it's like it just feels like too much. Even though in a, it, it, this is the correct angle to do for what they're doing. Yeah. So. Alright, the only details we have for Raw's show did a 3.9 rating. A lot better than it sounds, once again, because first our wing is Joe Millionaire! Yeah! which was the most non-watched sports program of the season. Joe Millionaire did an incredible 25.1 rating against the first hour of Raw, which did a 3.5. 25.1 rating. Holy shit. Jesus. Wow. <laughs> Raw people was the gym. Did it do? Uh, let's see. All right, so February 17th, 2003 TV ratings. All right. Uh, okay, here we go. All right, so Joe Millionaire did a 29 share. Interesting. So the not much higher than the rating. The first hour... Uh, all right, first hour did a 16.6, 23 share, 29.3 million viewers. Uh, second hour did a 21.8, 29 share, 40 million viewers. Oh, my God. Um, also that evening, 2020, Living with Michael Jackson, did a 6.6. Is that the premiere of that or a rerun? Repeat. Everybody Loves Raymond uh, did a 10.8 in this time slot. CSI Miami did a limb point five in their time slot against second hour of Raw. Uh, Dateline, Michael Jackson unmasked at a 9.5 rating. Uh, and then you have UPN. UPN and, and WB was doing 2.2s and 3.2s in their ratings. Yeah. So. Seventh Heaven did 8.3 million viewers. Yeah. But I mean, good here, God. I mean, here's how much things have changed, especially with how anemic the numbers on the CW are th these days. Everwood, a show that was gone in four seasons and is generally considered like more of a thing with a cult following. 5.3 million viewers. Yeah, well, 
people watch television. <laughs> Ain't no streaming in 2003, brother. Yeah, and also, I, I mean, it's also interesting seeing the difference between those two shows because I don't know about you, but I didn't watch Everwood during its actual run because it I never was, watched it at all. So, well, here's where I'm going with this. It was the lead out of Seventh Heaven, and it didn't seem like it had the hate watchability of Seventh Heaven. The problem is, it was a f- actually really good show, but like, I like Seventh Heaven. I watched it, but it wasn't actually good. It was good. Oh, Seventh Heaven was a good Chris, show. Chris, I like Seventh Heaven. I'm sorry, it was a good show. Oh uh, yes, what a wonderful show. I'm sorry, it goes against your. Thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> who, who are your favorite Seventh Heaven characters, especially from the later seasons? Are you a T Bone fan? Um, I'm trying to remember all the characters on those later. So the latter seasons were not as good as the early seasons. Absolutely not. No. When Jessica Beale, when Jessica Beale left the show, I mean that was pretty much uh, the end. Ruthie, when I thought Ruthie grew up into a good character. Yeah. When she when she became a high schooler. But it, it's like you see these numbers and it's like you would think they kept more of Seventh Heaven's audience because they were marketed as like the other family friendly show. But they don't, you know, and because it's programmed as the Seventh Heaven lead out, though, I think that kept a lot of other people from watching it. It's a much better but, fit with the rest of the WB than Seventh Heaven is. But anyway, I mean, a lot of big ratings, so. Yeah. Just, a different time and place. Ooh, the Parkers did three point three million. <laughs> All right, um, Raw Pete with the Ross Bischoff segment doing a four point seven overrun, which would be the second highest rated segment behind four point eight three the week four for the Bischoff Vince deal in the last several months. Suddenly Bischoff's future looks a lot brighter. Yeah, because he's awesome. Yeah. Oh, did you see that? Wait, did you mention earlier? I feel like you skipped it over or you went past it very quickly. NBC had their own Michael Jackson thing airing as a first yeah, run opposite it. the real. Okay, I didn't hear you say that. Yeah. Opposite, opposite, or I was confused by not having the page in front of me yet. Um, yeah, they ran opposite the rerun of Living with Michael Jackson. Huh, interesting. All right, go to the torch now. The major snowstorms caused the Raw crew to arrive late for the show in Columbus, Ohio. As three as a three hours for airtime, Vincent Mann and Jim Ross hadn't even made it to the arena yet. Uh. Now, Michael Cole, Taz, and Josh Matthews were being praised for going above and beyond the call of duty during the snowstorm. Fearing there would be snowed in and able to make the February 18th SmackDown taping, the threesome left Sunday and tra- traveled by car from New York to Indianapolis. That's hmm. dedication, brother. Yeah. Uh. All right, speaking of Smack Dern from Indianapolis on February 20th, no killer matches, although Matt Hardy and Shannon Moore versus Remisio and Kidman was very exciting and heated for their five minutes. All the rock stuff was strong and it overshadowed everything on the show. Had Taz and Cole not done such a great job in the final segment. Showing up with Rock doing a promo. Crown was sitting percent behind him, so he turned there by acting like he was above it all and said there's no more sing-along with the rock time. He did a bit where in the middle of the promo, he got on the phone with a Hollywood producer and made fun of the Hicks from Indiana. He came back doing the Bischoff fake sincerity bit, saying he meant hickory trees. He also made fun of Larry Bird. But you have to tell fans not to sing along. He got big cheers when his promo was over. Hey, fans are fans. What can you say? He's the wrong. And then you, yeah. well, when you assault them, I mean, you're going to get even more over. It's just the way it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, that's why MJF's not on doing promos in the arenas hardly anymore. Mm. <laughs> you know? 
<sighs> Ben won't be, be day train at 2.30 when I roll up. Oh, how long was the rock segment, Bix? Which is the reason why we're not playing it? I mean, the the chapter mark of the next segment starts like 17 minutes in. There you go. And then the other rock segment later in the show is like 18 minutes long. <laughs> yes. Ben won't be A-Train at 2.30 with a roll-up. They aired a commercial for Triple H's faction. So much for that brand extension. <laughs> yeah, the beginning of evolution. Okay, wait. Commercial for that after that match, I guess? They said the Ben won A-Train. Huh. Well, A-Train in singles action, of course. Okay, that's not that's not on the award-winning uh, World Wrestling Entertainment Network. Well, Blonde hair for Benoit at this point, which I do not remember. Yes, he lightened it up a little bit in this era, yeah. There's Hulk Hogan making his arrival to the building. Yeah, also, this looks like it's around when Benoit really starts going hard on the growth hormone, because his face is changing rapidly. Uh, yes. Like, this is when his brow and his eye sockets get gigantic. Yeah, Funaki, number one announcer, is looking for uh, The Rock. Smackdown, number one announcer, yes. Yes. So there's that. All right, uh, Rikishi pinned Johnny Stamboli. Nunzio and Chupalumbo ran in after the match to attack Rikishi. Someday they'll figure out why Stamboli has a job, and they got rid of people the, the people they did. Stamboli did a press slam on Rikishi, which even with help can't be easy. The next day, Dave will commit himself. The remake of the FBI, Nunzio, Palumbo, and Stamboli come across as a dead group going nowhere. And they were. Yes. All right. Next, we get uh, Chavo and Uncle Eddie as uh, they're walking around the streets. And this is uh, the beginning of uh, something kind of special. So let's uh, go to the clip. Man, this is a beautiful neighborhood, as they it looks familiar. Hey, didn't we steal a car around here one night? Something like that. Watch this Excuse me, man. Watch it. You this. look very, very familiar to me. Are, are you on TV? Yes, you mean Pamela. That's oh. where we know her That's from. Right. That show. That's right. Man, she's on that show with all the mamacitas uh. running on the beach. Uh. Say, baby, watch. That's right, bro. And look you. at your, your hair is so oh, beautiful. It, it shines. shines. Yes. Oh, look, the little baby. Oh, oh, you don't know Hey, little baby. Should note that we have the stroller point of view camera uh, at this point in the spot. In the spot. And, and Eddie's about to just completely bust out of a shirt. <laughs> What's her name? Emily. 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 And you know what that means in Spanish? Yeah, yeah that means light of God. That's right, it does. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm let you go now, okay? Oh, we're going to see you again really, really soon. You make sure you keep that baby warm now. That's the ugliest baby I have ever seen. Bro, you're not kidding, man. That baby could steal the shine right off my ribs. Oh, yeah. It's hey, what time is it? Oh, wait a minute. Hold that for me. Oh. Okay. So about a quarter till three? Hey, is that a Rolex, bro? <laughs> I don't know, man. <laughs> yeah. I said, what are you going to do with that? Hey, man, you took everything else. I had to take something. Well, a bottle. We could use it for some coffee. Hey, milk does the body good, bro. Feed more. If you're not cheating, you're not trying. Viva la raza! <laughs> <laughs> Ah, we lie, we cheat, we steal. Yes. I also forgot that those were shot like an episode of NCIS. 
<laughs> yeah, in a way. Yeah, sometimes like I'll have USA on like and wake up to it in the morning. And it, it, so I'm seeing NCIS a lot more than I ever had in my life. Holy shit, is like every episode of that show just completely like blown out and with Vaseline over the lens for every scene? <laughs> Only you have you noticed that type of stuff <laughs> again. Well, it comes on it right after, like it'll come on after an. SCU I know, but only you would notice notice that type of thing with the can the camera lens and how it's shot. <laughs> but it's the type of thing usually you see only like for close ups of certain people who don't want to show their age. And here it's just like <laughs> every scene looks like it's under like a hanging light bulb, like at the wrong angle. I don't know. It's weird looking. Matt Hardy and Shannon Moore beat Kim and Ray when Hardy pinned Kim and clean with a twist of fate in a three-star match. Best thing on the show in the ring. Also, your basic logical finish to build up Hardy challenging Kim and for the title of the pay-per-view. Fans were taking on the match because they were using a crane to set up the Undertaker interview while the bout was going on. Well, that's not good. Next, Nathan Jones. Nathan Jones making his kind of debut here, Bix. Oh, that's what show. this is. Okay, so do I need to... Get to that part of this? No, go back. Oh, that was before this. Oh, so this is what? It's one of the Colossus of Bago Road videos, or oh. well, it's after the Ray. It's after the Ray Kidman uh, okay match. If it's on, if it's on here, I'm gonna have to refresh because I did look. Okay, hold on. Let's see. So this is a vignette, or I'm guessing it's a tape promo. Okay, let's see. Uh, let me go back. Okay. Oh no, it's 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 him and Michael Cole. Yes. Uh, All right. Okay. I have no memory of this whatsoever. Do you? No. Well, I won't. I wasn't watching that now. Oh, this is Undertaker's friend uh, Nathan Jones at this point because we're heading yes. to WrestleMania. Yes. So he's he presumably he's already done the run in where they had to edit out him missing the spin kick and falling off. Yes. Okay. I guess Sunday at No Way Out on pay-per-view, Matt Hardy will meet Billy Kidman for the Cruiserweight Championship. Hey, did you have fun interviewing Nathan Jones? No. Yeah, well, let's go to your interview right now. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm with Australia's own Nathan Jones. And Nathan has now been exclusively signed by SmackDown. And Nathan... Why are they sitting at a right angle to each other? <laughs> From some uh, brick wall there, too. Nice little setup they got there. Okay. How's the United States been treating you since you've come over from Australia? Well, it's just like at home. The American people have been very forgiving considering my past. As you know, I was convicted for armed robbery. And I've done my time. I've paid my dues. It's all behind me now. Now I can look forward to my career in the WWE. Yeah, you did your time 10 years in prison, and your career in the WWE really starts next week. You'll be live on SmackDown. What are your goals in the WWE? What are my goals? As it should be for anyone. My ultimate goal is to be the next WWE champion. But first and foremost, I have some unfinished business with the biggest dog in the yard. But the question is, will it be Tick or will it be Tuck? Tuck, they're alive. Tick, they're dead. Or will it be in between the moments of Tick and Tuck? Will we have all the time in the world 
Okay, he's not throttling him. He just put his hands around his neck without squeezing. Well, I guess Nathan Jones don't like your uh, announcing skills, Cole. Try to rip your throat out. Um, they still got the Manson music in here. Yeah, they mu- they must, after a certain point, have only used songs for intros if they had rights to use it perpetually. Yeah. Dave said, I guess they're grooming for Undertaker. Probably that's the first making it to a tag team. He didn't know about Undertaker being his first major opponent. Yeah. We saw that went. Undertaker didn't have two boxes of gifts. The first was a puppy. He opened the second box when Big Show came out, let them laying out there a choke slam. The Undertaker show angle was good today because they spent last month keeping those two out of the ring while still building their match at every show with a storyline. The week earlier was Canyon. Was Canyon as Boy George. Yes. Mm, not the best way of using Canyon, obviously. So No, and also features the most obviously uh, malicious chair shot in the history of professional wrestling. Uh, yeah. Where he just straight up unloads on him with the seat back to the head. Yes. Uh... Ninia beat Tori in a paddle on a pole match due to interference from Jamie Noble and Don Marie. Funaki made the save. A wonderful, wonderful sounding segment there. All right, so next we get uh, Hulk Hogan and The Rock for 18 minutes. Uh... Rock ended up spitting water in Hogan's face and walking away. Hogan got a huge pop again, and apparently his body changed greatly since two weeks ago. Rock and Hogan tried to recreate the magic of their first standoff last year. Rock was tremendous, and Hogan always knows what to do to play his character, but it lacked the magic. Rock is so entertaining on the mind that it's really sad he's not going to be around for much longer. Dave gets the question, is it whether Hogan was shrunk or not, was answered. Last year, he looked to be slightly taller than The Rock. He was legit 6'4". This year, it appeared Rock was an inch taller than Hogan. Leg drops, brother. Yeah. That'll do it. Next, we get John Cena. So let's go to a John Cena vignette here. With his uh, Jake Hager bucket hat? Mm-hmm. Oh, wait. I had it on mute. And it's a Tim Horner, Tim Horner shirt. So thank you, bro. Shattered my knee on TV. Now I can't walk. It's official. I got crippled by the meathead. But Brock, you left me breathing when you should have left me for dead. So I swear John Cena's a name you'll remember. From this point on, I declare war on Brock Lesnar. That doesn't rhyme. This is more than a match. It's a total obsession. I'll be watching everything you do 24-7. Forcing you to keep me in the back of your mind. And since your brain's so small, I won't be hard to find. I'll break you down. Watch you drown and not throw a rope. This is jail, Brock. We inmates. You just dropped the soap. Word. Well, here comes the pain. Alright. Uh, watch this promo. It's amazing to me how John Cena basically has not aged. I mean, in the last couple of years since he's been out of the ring, his, you know, he's lost a little of his mass, especially in his face. But good Lord, a guy looks exactly the same. Hmm. So good for him. Do you realize how much money he must just be making from the voice work on those car ads? 
Just in general, I mean, John's into everything. He's in all, I mean, he does commercials, you know, in himself. He does the voice ads. He's got his movies. I mean, John Cena is a busy man. He's always got something going on. He's always got to hustle, man. Hustle all team respect. Sure. Kurt Angle said Brock Lesnar would have to beat Team Angle before getting the title shot, so he beat Charlie Haas and Shelton Benjamin. Crowd was dead for both matches, and many people left. Haas went four minutes. We had five. Dole. Second went 5.30 with an angle slam finish and a decent match. Right about to start the title match, Heyman hit Lesnar with a chair for a DQ finish. Lesnar no sold a chair shot, went after Heyman, but people didn't like that at all. But the reaction wasn't as negative as when they did the same base scenario at MSG. They triple-teamed Lesnar until Edge and Benoit made the save. This had surprisingly little crowd heat live. The way the segment was laid out could have taken the edge off Lesnar and Angle at Mania, but instead it made it stronger. Angle's finally getting to the character he needs to be at this point. Lester's being pushed tremendously, and his only weakness seems to be coming along at the wrong time and missing that one element between a good headliner and a ticket seller. And then you talk about how Lester and Benjamin was a good five-minute match. Yeah, I mean, Brock, Brock came along at... If, he, if Brock would have been around... If he would have came to like two or three years earlier, Rise Attitude Era is getting going... I mean, his star would have been even bigger. But, I mean, good lord, we saw how big he got. So, he still was a big deal. So, there is that. And Angle's character has changed by this point in time. So, yeah, he's he less definitely... less than he had been, yeah. Yes. All right, SmackDown drew a 3.36 rating. 3.91 realistic rating. 5.37 million viewers. Good for fifth place on the night. Says Fox drew big numbers with a Michael Jackson interview. Are you kidding me? <laughs> uh, let, uh, let's look at that, shall we? All right, um, so, just as a reminder, uh, when Dave says realistic rating for SmackDown in this era, he's doing that out of uh, places with UPN. Because he feels so Fox- like since UPN... Since a, a network rating is based out of every home in the U.S., but not every home actually has UPN. He does the math to come up with that as well. Fox did a 9.1, 13 share, 14.2 million viewers. Hmm. All right. Um, so, Bachelor. Yes, The Bachelor. 8.9 rating, 13 share, 13.5 million viewers. Uh, 6.9 for Are You Hot? The Search for America's Sexiest People. 10 chair, 10.4 million. I'm just going through the SmackDown block. Survivor did 11.4, 17 share, 20.3 million. CSI, 17, 25 share, 28 million viewers. Friends, 12.8, 19 share, 19.5 million for the first one. The repeat, 11.8, 17 share, 18.1 million. Then Will and Grace at 10.5, 15 share, 16.4. Scrubs, 8.6, 12 share, 13.4. And then, uh, WB had High School Reunion, did a 1.1, 2 share, 1.5 million viewers. Surreal Life, 1.4, 2 share, 3 million viewers. And Jamie Kennedy Experiment, 1.4, 2 share, 2 million viewers. And e, uh, and then ER killed everybody in the 10 o'clock hour, 14.4 share. I mean, 14.4 rating, 23 share, 22.4 million viewers. Hmm. So, there you go. 
All right, uh, the reigning wild elephant last week has to be a major disappointment because there's a final confirmation that the combination of not only live appearances by Hogan and The Rock, but the promise of WrestleMania title match with Hangar Lesnar, which has been built up as a forbidden fruit since Lesnar's rise, drew a number no better than what the show had been averaging in the past several months. The rating appears to be down from the usual level slightly, but factoring up the Dallas preemption, the realistic rating is right in the usual 3.9 range. 7.8 in New York, 5.4 in LA, 5.3 in Chicago, 5.5 in Philadelphia, 3.0 in San Francisco, 3.1 in DC, 4.3 in Detroit, 5.1 in Atlanta, and of course, 8.7 in Houston. So, high point in New York, San Francisco, DC was Lester and Team Angle. Hogan and Rock was high point in LA, Detroit and Houston. Chicago's was The Rock interview, the first one. Philly was Tori and Nitty, and Atlanta's peak was Ben Wagon's A train. <laughs> Well, Christian was from Fay- was living in Fayetteville, so uh, I guess all the t- all the homes in Fayette County was tuning in at that time. Hmm. To show that Rock had a big part in the rating, only San Francisco had the opening segment, the traditional lowest segment, at this low point. New York, L.A., Philly, D.C. bottomed out with Rikishi and Stamboli. Houston's low point was Tori and Nydia. Detroit's low point was Benoit Hay Train, and Atlanta's low point was Brock and Charlie Haas. Hmm. <laughs> wow. All right, D'Lo Brown. All right, so you saw, heard where Tanny Long ripped on D'Lo Brown. Buried him. D'Lo was given notice he'll be let go in this contract. Cycle runs on March the 1st. His downside guaranteed $350,000 negotiated during the good times may have been part of the reason. He never recovered after the injury left there and dropped off a quadriplegic, and soon after it went public, he's considering jumping in WCW during a heated part of the wrestling war. Yeah, I remember that. They had broken up the scene of Red Dog tag team, which is the reason Buchanan was fired last week, and moved Red Dog to Raw as Rodney Mack, real name Rodney Bignon. That's what he's first given the name for one weekend of The Dog, with Taylor Long as his manager. D'Lo's angle with Taylor Long was a last-ditch effort to save D'Lo's job, but it was given up on last week. According to those close situation, Vince loved the racial angle, shocking, and will be continuing it with Mack, but didn't feel Brown came across as mean or threatening enough for the role. And then more than salary issues were the reason he made the switch. Talk about how they did the angle backstage on the February 10th for all in true D'Lo fashion, aired it on Heat on 16th, where Rodney took D'Lo out, un, took him out under the orders from Taylor Long, who was mad at D'Lo for losing to an Uncle Tom, Booker T on Raw, this past Monday. Because the idea he wasn't threatening enough, there was actually at least some talk of New Jack, although they don't know how serious for the spot, but they went with Big Nod. Oh my God, that would have been amazing. D'Lo's been friends with Russo dating back years. If you recall, Russo attempted to get D'Lo in the WCW in late 99, which co- coincides with the last attempt to ever do anything with him in WWE. And so we had to start with TNA next month. Yeah, D'Lo, D'Lo had a lot of things that went against him there in those last few years. Yeah. And it doesn't seem like any wrestlers actually blamed him for the Draws accident. No, but I think the WCW thing was probably even more of an issue than the draw thing. What was his contract up? I'm confused. Like, what was the heat? I think there was a thing where he could have left. I think his contract may have been up. Mm. So, I don't know. I don't but his contract is expiring in March. So if it was a three-year deal, that would have been, two, you know, like six months after that, uh, the draws. I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. For those of you who worry about things like Red Dog and Step Bully switch your rosters after the answer, all rosters were frozen. Hey, you can always in your mind pretend there was a trade. They might bitch off spinning the Dudleys and definitely rob them appearing six days later on Heat. Yeah, yeah, that's that's true. 
Vince McMahon's really trying to get Johnny Cochran to do a cameo with Taylor Long and Rodney Matt to get mainstream attention for the gimmick. Long has been taken off the road as a referee, but was still getting paid on a contract for the past several months when he was sitting at home. Another fact that may or may not play in the dog move in the Raw is that it gives him a chance to actually spend time on the road with his wife, Jazz. Oh, they're not being that nice in 2003. <laughs> oh, Johnny Cochran would have come in. Oh, my goodness. That meant something. Yeah. Tommy Dreamer's been helping with the Raw writing in the past couple weeks. Pretty smart guy when it comes to wrestling. He's always Heyman's right hand man ECW. At this point, Dreamer's been put on the committee as a tryout, and it's not like the position is he's officially been given. So I'm company has no plans for him as a wrestler, so if it works out, he would probably become a full-time writer. Most of the writing the past few weeks, which have had a lower nonsense quotient than Raw and had during this embarrassing run, has been done by Vince McMahon. Dreamer's mainly observing the process at this point. Yeah, I mean, Vince was still in 2003, still doing a sensical booking job. But you get older, things change. And Dreamer, you know, was in creative off and on for the rest of his run there. Well, he wasn't in creative, really, after this. It was, um... Well, he was smoking. I mean, he was in a hot valley. That was for like a week or two. But still, he was, he had some. He ends up being creative more developmental liaison. Yeah. The plan to put Rhino as the fourth member of the Horseman Revolution group has been changed again. Leaning evolution. Dave thinks there's a movie to get on SmackDown, which was the original idea until they did a flip flop several weeks back on Rhino and Nathan Jones. Rhino would not have fit in with Triple H in evolution. That would have never worked. Unless they gave him a makeover and made him look like Wardlow. Yeah, but I just it just wouldn't have worked. Well, aesthetically. Was tall. Exactly. It just would not have worked aesthetically. No. All right, house shows. 15th uh, in Winnipeg. Drew 5943, paying 24680 Canadian, well above the recent house show averages. And probably because of the localized Kurt Angle Chris Jericho main event that was heavily publicized. Raw house show that night in Kalamazoo, Michigan, Drew 3881, paying 113256. Then Huntington, West Virginia, Drew 3800 the next night. SmackDown, Detroit, Drew 7000 that night. Raw on the Blizzard in Columbus, Drew 7000. While SmackDown, Cincinnati, Drew 3300 and $98,000 gate. And SmackDown Indy did 10,500 fans. Nice. So, yeah. Lance Storm and William Regal defend the Raw belts against Rob Van Damme Kane. And Undertaker and Big Show were officially added to No Way Out in Montreal. Test Jericho matches off, and they changed the booking for Raw around to have Jeff Hardy pin Jericho on the show to set up Hardy replacing Test in the match. They had teased beginning a program with Test and Jeff Hardy, with Test being jealous of Jeff saving Stacey Keebler. Test and Keebler had the weekend off from house shows. And did it, they did have some appearances booked. They were told to leave a day ahead to beat the, the storm to get to Columbus. They didn't leave a, a day ahead. Got caught and missed Raw. And were the only two in the company to do so. Which is actually amazing when you think of the weather situation. There was a lot of heat on them for not leaving early, and they were never acknowledged during the Raw broadcast. The reason they have so much heat is that they were in Columbus to a promotional work on February 15th. All right, so Raw's on the 17th. They were in Columbus on the 15th. John Laurinaitis told them it would be a good idea to stay because they expected Blizzard. They decided to go back home to Baltimore anyway. Had trouble landing. They believed their flight was redirected to Philadelphia and had to drive to Baltimore, so they were well aware of travel problems. 
On the 16th for Baltimore, they were talking with Laurinaitis again about problems getting to Columbus. Laurinaitis told them to wake up at 5 a.m., check the airport. If the airport was snowed in, they should drive to Columbus. A lot of the crew that lived in New York and couldn't get a flight for SmackDown, such as Taz and Cole, drove to Indianapolis. At noon, still in Baltimore, they called Laurinaitis again. At that point, it would have been impossible to make it. They had to rewrite the TV because both weren't going to be there and put, put in the angle where Sean wrestled and where Jeff Hardy pinned Jericho that reason for their match. During Jericho's match, it was that the program had disappeared into thin air, and when they ran down the complete lineup for the show, that match also disappeared from the card. The decision was made that night to pull the match, but not sure where that one ended up because what they weren't told the situation, the decision was final. <sighs> they were there two days before Raw and left. What's the point of... Knowing the weather was going to be what it was. It just seems like so much of a bigger hassle to go back to Baltimore unless they absolutely had to. Why? 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 You're going to be on the show in two days. No fucking sense. Why? This is why they... I mean, this is... I mean, why they had their problems with, with I mean, here doing shit like this. Mm-hmm. Lord, 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 Lord. Anyway, Edge had a back, has a back problem with Mr. Weekend House shows, so I didn't wrestle at SmackDown tapings as well, although he did a run-in. He had an MRI done this week. No word yet on results, but this point looks like he'll at least work the pay-per-view. Well, <laughs> the next week he has his major surgery. Yep. So, yeah, not not good. But, dude came back. Like he's come back from every other deal he's had. Crazy. Took some time, but... Yeah, Johnny Jeter did his first dark match in Columbus on the 17th, where he and Jackie Gata made her first appearance in months in the same bout. Doug Basham and Damage, using Gata as a valet, beat Jeter and Nova. Mark Coleman, who lives in Columbus, was in the front row of the Raw taping. Never acknowledged on camera, but was there with his wife and several friends. His not being acknowledged was an executive decision. His cameras were elsewhere when Scott Steiner gave him a high five. Breaking character told him in front of the people to hug and kiss his wife as he left the ring after his match. Both would have been Big Ten wrestlers, Steiner at Michigan, Coleman, Ohio State, but not at the same time. Steiner was two years ahead of Coleman in college, and it's very likely they would have wrestled each other in the 1986 season because both wrestled at 190 that year. Coleman that year went to school in Miami, Ohio, and placed fourth in the NCAA as a sophomore, one as a senior in 88. Steiner placed sixth as a senior. Bischoff was drawn with Coleman to get more heat after the show went off the air. The company was clearly more concerned and thrilled, as shown by not acknowledging him, because Coleman had gotten pretty drunk by the end of the show, and they had eight security people camping out around him for the last 30 minutes of the show oh for fear he was going off the rail, all looking scared as hell the whole time they were there. From those sitting behind him, they said he looked happy to be there, never hit any trouble, and being a pro wrestler himself, Dave said there was nothing to worry about. Coleman was also besieged with autograph seekers during every break. I don't think I realized Scott Steiner placed so high in the NCAAs. Yes. Oh, yes. He was legit. I knew he was legit. I didn't realize he was, you know, that legit. Mm-hmm. All-American, baby. Yeah. Well, that would have been something if he did hop the rail. <laughs> His hip would have went out. <laughs> Victoria's right knee injury is ACL damage. Large from years of gymnastics, cheerleading, fitness competition, and pro wrestling. At this point, there are no plans for surgery. And she just wears that big old knee brace forever. Mm-hmm. Trish Dress is scheduled to return next week from being off selling her TV injuries for a program with Jazz. 
During our time off, Stratus filmed an episode of Mad TV. Oh, great. Did you have a Swan sketch? <laughs> I never watched Mad TV, so I don't know what you're talking about. The really racist, like, Asian woman character who keep, who's Kate, whose catchphrase was, she look like a man. Again, I... And I don't watch Mad, Mad TV, but this is the type of thing you catch occasionally. Okay, I'm surprised you weren't familiar with that. No. Okay. Sorry. I, I was actually out on Saturday night doing things in this era. <laughs> Wasn't at home watching television. I'm sorry. Um, Hulk Hogan went to a spiel the Bubba Love Sponge. You say this like February I was 19th. watching Mad TV every week. I was not. I'm just, well, I'm just saying. Uh, Hogan went to a spiel the Bubba Love Sponge on February 19th because Edge, who he's friends with, was injured. He claimed he was because he kept both his feet on the ground at almost all times, and insinuated also because he was physically tougher than most of the day's wrestlers. That's why he hasn't had as many injuries. Uh, just you wait like a year. He's also now claiming because Dave gets some people have pointed out that Austin's numbers overall to draw were bigger than his. That's not about drawing the most money during any time period. It's about drawing the most money for the longest period of time. Okay. Montreal Gazette ran a story on Chris Jericho on February 19th. Very good stories. He pulled up both a concert he did before No Way Out. In the pay-per-view. He said going up, he wanted to either be a wrestler, rock star, or hockey player. He says his experience of spending six years wrestling all over the world in the long run is preferable to the system most WWE newcomers take these days, which is OVWWE. They're making good money right away, but it's bad on experience level. You're not taught the discipline and honor of being in this business. I'd rather do it the way I did, beating the bushes, making contacts, seeing the world, learning different styles, being put in different situations everywhere I went. He says it's hard to be able to heal because if you're good, the people naturally want to cheer you. And he's right on everything there. But it depends what kind of heel you are. Yes, and also, I mean, overall, it's harder to be a babyface because it's harder to make someone like you than it is to make someone hate you. I mean, they're a heel, that type of heel that won't get cheered. Like, WWE right now has Don, Don Mysterio. No one wants to cheer his ass. And they love booing him. Yeah. So... There are some internally believe there's going to be heat from the outside on Lawler, who made a joke about Bischoff was do, while doing his martial arts stuff. That judo is what you make bagels from. A lot of fairly powerful people in the industry, entertainment industry, that are Jewish were not happy when we heard that remark going on the air. Well, at least it's Dave making the comment. A lot of fairly powerful people in the entertainment industry that are Jewish. <laughs> yeah, that is. <laughs> well, Vex is that 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 Jewish cabal that runs the entertainment industry. As Alex Jones would say. Well, he doesn't say that. He codes it a little bit. It's global uh, yeah, for him. Uh, if I said he would say cabal. He would say cabal, but he wouldn't say Jewish cabal. Well. He's slightly more careful than that. Not careful enough to not owe the Sandy Hook families over a billion dollars. but. <laughs> well, he's facing uh, he's going to face Tyrus for the NBA title in the next pay-per-view, so that's a pretty big deal for him. Oh, excuse me. That's Billy Ray. Sorry. Um... Talk about misleading stuff that isn't even of any benefit. The advertisement for this past week's Confidential took the cake. On the TV shows, they oh, indicated they'd something. be doing... I'll get back to it. Okay. On the TV shows, they indicated they'd be doing a feature on Bischoff's role in the destruction of WCW. On the website, to try and garner more attention for the show, they put a photo up of Goldberg to advertise the show. Making people think they, maybe this show would be an announcement of the elusive Goldberg signing. As it turned out, they simply replayed the entire show from last summer without even changing the open. And the show opened with Gina Oakland acknowledging that Vince had just shot the wrestling world by hiring Eric Bischoff two weeks ago. <laughs> okay. WWE, everybody. Jesus. 
they believe both the John Cena gimmick and playing new Goldust gimmick are taken because both guys were entertaining wrestlers doing those gimmicks, and it was decided they would make for good TV gimmicks. Dustin Rhodes has done a comedy routine pretending to have Tourette's syndrome dating back years. Cena's might work, which anyone saw who has saw OBW always knew was good, has gotten better by the week, and he's nearing elite level already. Yes. Yes, he was. Yes. And we go to the Personal Torch next. Nathan Jones, who was, and it was as close to the show. Nathan Jones was detained at the airport recently for telling airport security he had an explosive in his shoes. Jones missed the house show as a result of being detained at the airport for questioning. He confirmed the store for other wrestlers, but he said he was only joking. When asked why he would joke about such things, Jones said he has no idea why it would cause such a commotion. What rock has this guy been living under? One coworker rhetorically asked. Well, rock is wow. on SmackDown. So. <laughs> Jeez, though. So when was the attempted shoe bombing? Oh, that? That's in this era. So that's Richard Reed. Uh, okay, it was oh, it was December twenty second oh one. But still, I mean, that's yes. Yeah. Well, the shoe thing goes on to this day, anyway. Yeah. That you should not bring up bombs or anything like that when you get on a plane. Yeah. It makes your life easier if you don't have anything that might look like a bomb on an X-ray in your packs. Nathan Jones or something else. <laughs> so. Do it, does the public know about his lactation habits at this point? <laughs> I don't know. Um, was that but an anyway. interview he gave? Was that... I, I'm trying to remember. I don't know. I don't know. I just remember I, we knew it was a thing that he he had done so much steroids that it threw off his estrogen levels to the point that he had lactated. Yes. Great Banana and Rama song about him, though. Anyway. Okay. The song, Nathan Jones. I forget who it's a cover of. Anyway. You're not familiar All with right. the song Nathan Jones? No. It's not about him. Sorry. But, okay. All I right. mean, Bananarama, Cruel Summer. I mean, I know that. Well, I like earlier Bananarama better. Yes. But anyway. All right. That's it for this week. Uh, God, 2003 WWF sucks. Let's talk about something better, hopefully. What What are we doing next week? Well, we'll go back to 1998 next oh, week. Oh, boy. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh as I've gotten, as I were recording this show, we ha- I haven't even got t- t- totally through the notes yet. But anyway, uh, interesting week we have in 1998, as we have Super Brawl to talk about. Hogan and Sting, the big uh, rematch on pay-per-view. So we'll have news on that, plus uh, all the other festivities. Hall and Nash and the Steiners, where Scott, uh, Scott Steiner did his big heel turn. And all the other stuff that was going on there. We got Nitro the next night in Sacramento. We'll talk about all the stuff from there. Thunder, of course, that's during the week as well from Cedar Rapids. We'll have that. Got some house, interesting house show reports from Bruce Grummert picks. So we'll have uh, have that. In 98? Uh, yes. What about the Najek twins? They're not mentioned. But, uh-huh. I'm, I'm, but anyway, so we got a lot of WCW stuff. We got a little bit of independent stuff featuring a... Uh, Restaurant review in the Atlanta Journal Constitution of a certain wrestler. Draw read between the lines there. We have a wrestler being arrested at a show for uh, having to conceal a weapon. And we have another wrestler being arrested for some really, really seriously bad charges. ECW has television issues in Pittsburgh. We'll talk about that. 
We had the Eddie Gilbert Memorial Show. And not a great week for Tammy Sitch. So we'll have that. Uh, we got all sorts of... We got a major arrest at Puerto Rico wrestling to talk about. WCW Pro Azteca. What an interesting uh, deal there. <laughs> Especially if you're Conan. So we'll have a big news on that. The Brennan Brothers. We'll talk about them at AAA. We got... Uh, all Japan with their first big Budokan show of the year, plus news on the Tokyo Dome show coming up. And we have uh, Raw to talk about, which uh, has some interesting stuff going on there. We got some house shows. WWE's doing, WF at this time, doing big business. Ahmed Johnson showing the door. We'll have news on that. And for those of you that listened to the Patreon show last year, as we did the 25 Years of Montreal, Vince McMahon off the record with Michael Landsberg, but we'll be focusing more on show number two. The non-Montreal uh, show is the one that airs in our week. That's right. Okay. So, so we didn't yes, talk about this on, on the Patreon show then. No, but we will have uh, Bret Hart's thoughts, though, from the Calgary Sun. So there is that. But anyway, should be quite the show next week. Again, I haven't completely finished the notes. I haven't even tried to get a guest yet. So we'll see what happens. But should be quite the show next week on Between the Sheets. All right. Bix, thanks as always. You're the rock of the show. This is Chris saying so long from the Peach State of Georgia. Monkey.
Hello, everyone, and welcome to Between the Sheets, Patreon Special Edition number 76. I'm your host, Chris Zellner, joined as always by my co-host, David Bix and Span and Bix. It's time to start a new series. Yes, as we return to one of our mascots. Yeah, I guess you could say that. As um, we've done more Patreon shows on this particular person than anybody else in various incarnations of his life. And now we're going to go to an interesting one, to say the least. As we go to 1993, a year in the life of Paul Heyman. And um, this is a very pivotal year in his career, in his life. As uh, you'll see as we go along in this series, as it starts in one direction and ends in another direction. And there are a lot of twists and turns in between. So let's start the show, shall we? All right, we get January 18th. Torch and Observer, January 25th. Start the Observer. Paul Heyman was officially fired January 15th by WCW by a letter faxed to him from Bill Watts. Watts and the letter claimed WCW's investigation of dangerously expense reports turned up false fire reports at the Ramada Hotel, Atlanta Airport, South. Oh, I know where that, what that place is for dates. <laughs> In April, May, June, and July of this past year, Watts' letter also claims that the Ramada Hotel confirmed Danielson wasn't registered as a guest on the dates claiming the suspense reports. And it appears that you induced the Ramada Hotel to provide false information that you did stay at the hotel to support fraudulent expense reports and attempt to obtain improper payments of approximately $1,200. Watts also claimed that Paulie Danielson may have falsified other expense reports as well. Reported during that four-month period, Danielson turned in receipts from the hotel totaling $1,162.50 in 39 days. According to a hotel official, we contacted. There's no question Danielson stayed at the hotel during that time period, although the official claimed that they would be unable to prove how many dates. Okay. Before we move on, again with the reportedly, where you don't say why you're saying reportedly? <laughs> well, that happens uh, on the Observer. In this era, and not just the Observer either. But anyway, yeah. keep going. I'm just going to say Heyman. Heyman sent to your contract at WCW and kept front on April 1st, 1992, where you know, base salary and performance incentives and expenses went and says $200,000 per year. The contract also listed him as a TBS employee rather than an independent contractor. This would have made him the only performer in the company designated as such to the contract. As such, so the contract was somewhat precedent setting for a perilous performer. Employees contract provided that work-related expenses, such as medical expenses, road expenses, and promotional expenses, be paid for by the company. Shortly after Watts took over the reins of the company, Danielson found himself phased out of the spotlight. It's been heavily speculated that the size and terms of his contract, which no doubt Watts would have never given any of his managers, spelled his downfall. Similar to Jim Cornette's two hundred twenty-five thousand a year per year contract, with WCW being a large part of his initial downfall to Jim Hurd, who felt no managers worth that kind of money. And Cornell was phased down, which made Hurd's feelings into a self-fulfilling prophecy. Nevertheless, the investigation dangerously was known by, by, by some within the industry for several months. It wasn't a quickie deal by any means. Now, an interview in the Charleston Post-Courier on Friday, Heyman claimed that Bill Watts attempted to bear his career in an attempt to make him settle on a contract buyout. They made that allegation of falsified expense reports. It's 100% untrue. It is false. It is a lie. 
The only discrepancy at all in my office is the fact that for several years, several members of the organization have stayed at a particular motel in Atlanta, never got receipts, and that was the maximum amount the company would pay us, pay us to stay at the motel anyway. They asked for documentation, and I got uh, from the hotel itself a letter acknowledging I had been there on the dates in question. And all of a sudden, even that is not good enough for WCW. This has been a witch hunt for five months because I refused to renegotiate a contract. I signed with that company because I refused to take less pay when I had already committed myself for two years under an agreement. I have no problem renegotiating this deal on April 1st, 1994, when this contract expires. It would have been stupid to renegotiate a contract that had already been signed by both parties in good faith. In my contract, there's a buyout clause which they have to pay, buy me out a certain price, even if there's just cause, which there isn't. They have to pay me six months severance. It's just $100,000 up front. They tell they give me the lie down and lie down like a dog, so I don't chase after even that. This company is holding the treat of a criminal, prosecu- criminal prosecution to make threat, me go away. Threat, somehow that got... I think that was a title. Treat. (laughs) The treat of criminal prosecution. I'm going to seek all legal recourse, not only to enforce the stipulations and provisions of my contract, but for damages to my professional standing and reputation for this blatant attempt to blackmail me and ruin my career because I wouldn't buckle on the Bill Watts' pressure. We're going to litigate. The last statement concerns two items. First, Danielson claims his contract calls him to be given 30 days' notice in the event of termination and severance pay equal to slightly more than his six month salary, a combined figure in the $120,000 range. Secondly, in Watts' termination letter, Watts said the WCW is not waiving the right to process criminal action in regards to the case. Delane Donovan, the general manager of the Ramada Hotel Atlanta Airport South, was worried that the entire situation may have been a misunderstanding because wrestling personalities often check in under pseudonyms so they can avoid being bothered by fans. Donovan, who wouldn't contact him Monday, wasn't aware that Anderson had been fired over the incident, but knew of the WCW investigation. So the problem may have been that the office computer would have no records of any cash purchases if made under pseudonyms unless they were asked to pull the records away to pseudonym use on the specific night. She recalled Danielson was a regular customer at the hotel, saying she even recalls personally checking them in on several occasions. I don't know too much other than they were investigating his records, she said. Turner's on our comptroller's office to pull the records. They took it back to the office. I haven't heard anything since that time. Paul then had the receipts. He had a letter from us saying he stayed here. Turner's, Turner's people were looking for backup copies of the receipts. All the guys stay here in their different names. They don't want the fans to find him. Sometimes they don't even want their families to find him. He definitely stayed here. The problem is some of the dates didn't coincide with the dates he turned in. Sometimes guys rent rooms late at night and pay cash. It's hard to pinpoint unless you know the name that they use and look for it on a specific date. If he signed in as Joe Blow, for example, he should know that Joe Blow was a well-known signing name of a specific restaurant at the hotel, and we would have no way of pulling those records up. He could have been his own worst enemy. That's really the kind of a screw we deal in both parts. He has stayed here. We never had any problems with him when he was here. I know he stayed here because I first checked him in. Without knowing the dates and the name he used, we can't go back and look. But the guy stayed here for a long time. The investigation got out of my hands and it's an owner's hands. I had no control over it. Without paying by credit card or knowing what name he used on specific dates, there's no way to prove he stayed here. Where's this Dave calling the hotel manager and giving extensive quotes? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, unlike him, isn't it? Yeah, and also unlike Paul, I really 
so far kind of believe him. Yeah. Would he really be trying to carny WCW out of a fairly small amount of money, all things considered? And if he's... what, Like, and what's the idea? He didn't stay at a hotel, he stayed at someone's house? Like, what is their theory? Uh... My guess is that... I guess he... he, I don't know, I mean, I... He's clearly staying overnight in Atlanta until he flies home. Yeah, and the the Ramada was right near the airport, so it's it's just a little... Little piece away, so it's not far to travel. Uh, a lot of guys stay at the hotels near the airport, so and you're not right that you're not far from downtown, right there. So where you need to be if you're at at, at uh, Turner headquarters, I mean you're just maybe hmm, five seven miles away. So it's a good spot if you want to stay, if you're just chilling out, whatever. So I don't know. But I understand the student thing, because, I mean, if fans want to try and figure out who's staying where, and, you know, you use your wrestling personality name or your real name, if they know your real name, you know, they could heckle you and, or, you know, stalk you or whatever. So I get it. Okay, so I do have a question about that, though. You know, in my, you know, adult life, when I've stayed in a hotel— there's no, never any distinction made between, like, my listed name and the name on my credit card or anything. Was that a thing that ceased to exist at some point? Because I know, I know all the stories of celebrities using pseudonyms when they check into hotels, but, like, they're paying. Like, are they paying cash? Like, what am I, every time yeah, they do that? Yeah, well, more than not, I think, cash. That's what I would think. So do we think Paul is going to an ATM, or do we think Paul is getting a draw and paying for the hotel with that? I would say something like an ATM. Because if he's getting a draw, then this makes this also a lot more interesting. Yeah. Because then he's go, you know, he's going to WCW to get an advance. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's just weird. So the hotel manager is backing him up pretty hard, though. Yeah, she's seen him a lot there, and uh, can corroborate that. But I mean, the, the the simple thing with this was would be ask Paul, ask Paul with his names he used and match them up. Maybe he used a different name each time, and that's what I'm saying. But I'm sure he, knowing Paul Heyman, I'm pretty sure he remembers the names he used. I mean, I remember when he used them, right? But I'm pretty sure he remembers the names he used. So. Oh, no. To hear this entire show, support Between the Sheets on Patreon for just $5 per month. Go to patreon.com slash between the sheets.